everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 447. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host David Bix and Span and Bix. Uh, quite a uh, interesting week, two weeks we've had here on the show. We've had uh, a long main show. We got a new Patreon show to talk about. We got the show this week, but yeah, let's go ahead and talk about the Patreon real quick as we did a plug last week. But it was before we finish actually, actually finished recording the show, so we actually had some things come up in the last segment, which are interesting to the uh, show. So uh, yeah, talk about that real quick before we get going into the, the main show. Yeah, and this isn't giving anything away because it's something that's out there and you know was reported on at the time a few years ago. But you know the the latest Patreon show that went up for February is you know. 30th anniversary of Missy Hyatt getting fired from WCW and her subsequent, you know, EOC complaint against the company and the lawsuit that led to and her settlement and all that, you know, for sexual harassment, among other things. And, you know, we have a lot in there, you know, from, I mean, you know, like half the show, or at least half the notes, was an interview she gave to Wrestling Perspective in fall 94 that gets heavily into what she was alleging. You know, she was on Current Affair, and we talk about that. There's extensive stuff in uh, the monthly uh, version of Matt Watch from the time, Matt Watch 94, that covers some of the, you know, initial media coverage. And also Steve Beverly, very clearly and openly wrestling with how his personal feelings about Missy were affecting him. And yeah, we talked about all that in the plug last week. What we recorded, you know, after we finished the main show last week, was dealing with basically the end and the aftermath, you know, like everything after the initial lawsuit was filed, the settlement, and then more recent comments that she's made, like in her book and online, and also what Eric Bischoff has said on his podcast about it, because he wasn't defendant. And, you know, Missy had been on a Wrestling Observer radio around the same time she also posted a YouTube video. They said kind of the same thing, or she said kind of the same thing in both videos, I should say, or both podcast or whatever you want to call them so i played the thing from her youtube and i had watched the whole thing before i added it to the notes but it had been months ago when i put the notes together so i think it, it after you know we had over the course of a few weeks of recording this spent hours you know hearing her side of this and emotionally discussing some of the details she ends up going on this weird side rant about jeffrey Epstein and why didn't the victims just leave and it's really weird to watch because in the wrestling perspective interview, and there are two, there's the big one that I'm talking about and also one earlier in the year. She basically talks about that mindset among others, among people like Jason Harvey saying things like that to her and dealing with that. So it's just so weird to watch her, you know, uh, 26 years later, you know, saying something like that. And also, I mean, she had said in her book that her original motive in talking to a lawyer was not sexual harassment. It was that once she brought up the photo on the wall at the CNN Center photo studio with her boob hanging out, that her lawyer was like, well, wait a second, that's sexual harassment. What else happened? She had already been open about that, but 
she talks about it in a way in 2020 where she acts like it didn't even affect her. And it's very weird to watch. So that le- that left us at kind of, I mean, we talk about it, but there was definitely, I think, an element where we were both at a loss for our words. So it's, it's a weird turn. And it's also just interesting looking at whether you want to say it's politics or whatever else or being conditioned in an older environment or whatever, like seeing her take such a turn from what she was saying back then, where she largely does come off very credible to saying things that in terms of how she talked about how she went to her lawyer and everything that kind of fed into what Bischoff was saying about, you know, treating it like, I'm not saying he's necessarily right, but feeds into his claims that he had already made about how, Oh, it's just another, uh, everyone knows if you sue TBS, they'll pay you a hundred grand thing. So there's a lot there. It's a very interesting show. So people can check that out at patreon.com slash between the sheets, you know, uh, five dollar a month tier or higher if you do an annual subscription you get 16 percent off so that's that i i didn't do a free sample clip last month i think i'll try to do one this month but that's that and and we're recording uh at least the first part of this show uh the day that the nick kaniski story at post wrestling and slam wrestling dropped too where he talks about terry garvin and telling vince about terry garvin uh doing Terry Garvin things around him and saying Terry Garvin things. So. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to the main show now as uh, we have a guest this week. Yeah, you surprised me. You didn't tell me until you started the call. <laughs> well, no, well, you yeah. didn't even tell me. It just he showed up. <laughs> well, sometimes that's how we do things. But, uh, yeah, so I finished the notes and... I was like, well, I need to get somebody on this show because of some of the stuff we're talking about. And there was no one I thought of that would have been better to talk about some of these subjects than our dear friend, the King of Kingsport, Bo James. Welcome back, Bo. Hello. Finally, Bick's come off with some of that Patreon money, so I'll do a 90 show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it's an early 90 show, so it's kind of still 80s leftovers, but uh, but yeah. It's, we're, it's, like, uh, it's like how Mad Men, you know, at the beginning of Mad Men, everyone forgets the 60s are still really the 50s. Well, that's <laughs> how every decade works in a way. I know. Because I, I would say, like, the second year of every um, numerical decade is when, like, the new decade really begins. Like, 1980 is still part of the 70s in a way, you know? Absolutely. And yeah. I, I say the 90s, really, I mean, 1991 is still part of the 80s, so to speak. It isn't until grunge gets going is when it's the like 90s becomes the 90s. One into 92. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so what we cover this week, because when I was reading through the notes, it's kind of like you can tell that the people in charge are saying, well, it's a new decade, so we're supposed to do some new stuff, but we don't know what to do. We still have the same people from the last decade. Exactly. And uh, we our first story kind of gets into that as we go to the week that was February 28th through March the 6th of 1991. And we start with the World Wrestling Federation and Dave Meltzer's commentary. Yes, and something also that's very interesting in light of how everyone's been re-examining things in light of recent events, too. Yeah. Dave says, I got a quick comment on something that's been a subject of some controversy of late. It's the finishes of the Ultimate Warrior Sergeant Slaughter match that ends up with Sherry Martell left hanging from a cage in her bra and panties. 
after attending a show with that finish, I personally wasn't, wasn't offended, although I recognized it was in real bad taste. But then again, I am not a woman. At the same time, there were many who were. It appeared to me that more people got off on the finish that were offended by it, which doesn't make it either right or wrong, but that was my observation from seeing it live. By and large, it seemed like the guys loved it. Women hated it. And mothers who had come with their children were dragging their kids out of the building as it was taking place and were furious. But wrestling draws 70% men, so more liked it than didn't. Dave wouldn't call it sexist because he had Kurt Henning earlier in the show get stripped and take bumps in his underwear as well. Sometimes Dave thinks people tries to hold pro wrestling to too rigid a standard when it comes to taste. At the same time, if pro wrestling markets heavily the children, it deserves the same standards that other entertainment market the children is held to. Pro wrestling tries to have things both ways. It's a business that when it does something in the worst of taste, claims it's all in fun and the business isn't meant to be taken seriously. But when outsiders write about it as if it's a joke, the business claims that the fans read something that should be obvious to all of them to begin with that destroys the business because it keeps people from taking it seriously. Just a few days before the Royal Rumble, J.J. Dillon of WF and I had a long discussion where he claimed that if titles or the key babyface in the company isn't taken seriously by the fans, then eventually it would kill the business. Nothing else has to be serious, but the fans have to be able to have one person to believe in or believe in the title matches. But when the same company, as its main angle for its biggest show of the year, does something and people take it seriously, the reaction is that it's only entertainment and it's not to be taken seriously. This thing with Sherry Martell's not as bad as what the USWA did last year, where the idea of seeing Tessa and Dirty White Girls strip each other down was advertised as the lure of the cards. And in this case, nobody was doing interviews promising to leave Sherry in her underwear. It was just an added bonus that those there live got to see. Here's the problem, and it's not just the problem of the WWF, but all of pro wrestling. If pro wrestling considers itself to be sleazy entertainment, any criticism of pro wrestling for being sleazy is ridiculous. He'd be like criticizing in a strip club for being in poor taste for having strippers. If that was also the case, then every ethnic stereotype and portrayal would also be fine. You can go to any comedy club, which caters to an over-21 crowd, and you'll hear plenty of off-color jokes. If you don't like it, you don't have to go. But those who pay know what they're paying to see. However, if a comedian from that same club were to perform at a grade school, one would think he'd throw the off-color and racist jokes out the window. In this case, however, we got companies, and the WF isn't the only one here, claiming to be family entertainment, but then wanting to have free license to do anything as sleazy and as tasteless as it can come with, come up with. We've got companies here that want to use any sleazy method to draw money, which is fine, but they also want to play the same routine at the grade school. There's nothing wrong with the former. There's nothing wrong with the latter. But you can't have things both ways. You know what jumped out at me first? Just seeing this at the top of the notes. What? I don't remember who's PWI or one of the other magazines, but one of the after magazines, I think it was even before they started doing this at the house shows, they had this story about, it was basically like, Hogan did it, Dusty did it, Will Warrior crossed the line and hit Sherry. <laughs> yeah. Which was about the Savage matches. I, I didn't even re I remember that Sherry was doing run-ins on the Slaughter matches. Yes. Um, but, you know, I feel like it always really jumps out. Like, if there's something, you know, and... I'm trying to remember, had she had she done the getting stripped thing in any of the prior feuds, or was it just this? 
This is the beginning of that. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. So when they were right, so when they were writing those articles, that aspect was not part of it. But in that era, when PWI did something like that, it's because they were trying to send a message within a storyline context. Like they're talking about the book. They just can't write it that way. And here it is going even further and worse than what they were concerned about. Yeah. Um, and I think I think the thing with Sherry is, is that Sherry being who she was, I think it made them feel differently when they did this type of angle because it, of Sherry. You're not doing this with Miss Elizabeth. You know, they're not doing this with any other women around the company. But yes. Sherry is different than all the other women because she's basically one of the boys. Well, and also, until this point, and even then they're not doing this on TV, her character was not sexualized. Never. At all. It's scary Sherry. Yeah, it's really the Sean, this and the Sean stuff that starts that. This is the beginning because, I mean, what? Look at her in DiBiase relationship how she's dressed in that deal she's kind of really going to the heavy low cut tops and all that stuff and wearing like the fetishized made outfits and stuff yeah not exactly a fifi type outfit but but it's it's this era it's this era is when she starts ramping it up and she ramps it up i mean throughout the rest of her run i mean there's the handling of the luna stuff certainly you know, I mean, she does. I mean, good. I mean, good lord, she does the underwear deal in Memphis when in the Lawler Savage feud, and then and, uh, and that's not and that's not WWF. I mean, that's yeah. USWA. And then WCW, it's not played up most of the time, but again, but then the Flair Hogan cage match, she's stripped down and taking bumps and stuff again. But when she gets to Harlem Heat, though, I mean, that's when she goes to the totally different look. Then Sister yeah. Sherry is a totally different character. Yes. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, but before we get to the, the, the wide range of thing, I mean, Bo knew Sherry way better than we did. What, what, what are your thoughts on all this? Uh, what's going on here, Bo? It was her idea. So I was about, <laughs> that, that's what I wanted to ask. Like she, she pitched it because the matches were so bad <laughs> and she said, people are leaving going, this is terrible. Pitched it specifically she, for the yeah, slaughter matches the, that she wasn't even part of. Yeah, she was a student of the game. She and she was a business lady. I mean, she and she's just like, this is we. They've got to leave with something. She and the pitched, thing, and the thing is, too, the Savage Feud is still there because we got Mania coming up. It's yeah. just Warrior and Slaughter are doing the title rematches around the horn, and this is keeping the the Savage Feud alive. Yeah, so. She pitched the idea, and they said, absolutely not. She says, I'll wear two things of nylons. I'll do this. I'll tape myself. There's no chance anything is going to be seen. So she went the extra mile to make sure there was no wardrobe malfunctions. Nobody could leave. <coughs> they can leave saying, oh, it's in bad taste. And, and like you said, if it was Elizabeth, they may not have said a word. Or one of the other women. But because Sherry was the heel and had all the heat, 
the moms hate her anyways, so they're going to complain about it. They just but, wouldn't. Have, they just wouldn't have done it though with it. An, another it, woman because that's not what was, they did. Right, but it was her her idea. She put the stuff together. She wore the long nylons underneath and the thigh highs over top. She was taped. She was fixed, and she got the big pop every night. And the people went home with something to talk about instead of a dead finish. Yeah, I mean, that, one thing you can say is, you know, she was in her underwear, but she wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that much more than what she would have wore, like as a one-piece swimsuit on a beach or something. Right. So, I mean, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like you know, two thousands WWE lingerie matches right. and stuff like that, bra and panties. I mean, it was a totally different thing, but this is a different time. And this is where we're getting at though, Bo. This is Dave is calling it out because you can't have your cake and eat it too, that you're doing this type of angle, but you're deep in a relationship with Torres R us and, and you're pushing your action figures at the children. So that's, that's the conundrum that, WF is finding themselves in at this point in time. And you also have to realize this is what, seven years after the expansion and the boom? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now the kids that bought the original um, what were they, Hasbro's? L- LJN. The LJNs. The people, the kids that bought the LJNs they're losing that crowd, but now you got Sherry out there, and most of them are now in puberty or raging hormones in their teenage years, and you yeah. brought them back to the wrestling matches. Yeah, I mean that's that's another that was, thing too. That was her other thing. That was her other thing and her other idea because now business, as we all know, in the early nineties across the board, business dropped. Yeah, and well, they're and trying to figure out big time in ninety. Yeah, and well, the kind of, to, we, we're war, we're wartime, and you got a recession going on, so there's all kind of stuff going on. But WWF also wasn't catering to that demographic either. No, but this period '91, and which I mean, Chris, you've said from what you've seen in shoot interviews and stuff. Apparently, a big reason was Jake Roberts gets a little bit of booking influence. Yes, is when they start flirting with a darker edge and more adult-oriented angles. Yeah, this is just the beginning of all that happening. You know, going on. I mean, right now, the you know the thing is is playing out the the Persian Gulf situation. So you got that controversy going on, which we'll get into, and, and, and it's. It's just it, okay. you got that with that with this mixed up, yeah. And you've also got the boys on the road that were making a lot of money two years earlier, not making nearly as much money now, but still putting the miles, still making the towns. So they're all pitching ideas of what to do to get it back, and that's how you end up with. The snake bite. That's how you end up with getting locked in the casket and other things that were way out of the way of WWE at the time. I mean, 
that player and <laughs> Flair and Liz a year later, even that old thing. Yeah, yeah, you're getting more adult. They're testing the waters with more adult angles. But while they're still, you know, have doing this big deal with Toys R Us and and, and yeah. Hasbro. Yeah, it, I mean it's it's a double edged sword. We're making this much revenue off of toys and video games, but now for the first time, and possibly the first time ever, we're not making money in the towns. Yeah, well, they're, they they have the kids, but they don't have the adults. Right. Yeah. And and, this is, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, like, this is the beginning of, like, long term when they're really starting to diversify their licensing too like you mentioned the Toys R Us thing there had been a bunch of deals they made like in 85-ish that had kind of faded away this is the first time since then where like their stuff is everywhere at retail you know from school supplies to kids bedding to lunch boxes to board games like this period there's stuff everywhere and it's all kids stuff it's then got two kitty. That's the thing. And that and that in turn turns off adults. Especially young adults. Yeah. And it's exactly why ECW caught fire two years That's, later. Well, because they it's weird. Even though like they were more popular with and arguably like marketing to kids more in, you know, the eighties into the, you know, first few years of the nineties. Like, yeah, they become, like, disgustingly, like, kiddie with the new generation stuff. And yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, it gets kiddier. It gets it's kiddier later. You know, I mean, it gets worse, you know, as the 90s go on. You know what just occurred to me? And I can't believe we've never talked about this before, but it makes perfect sense. You know what probably a huge part of that push was? All of a sudden, what? they didn't have all these toy deals anymore. No. Nope. You know, but they didn't. The they didn't. Start, they didn't have an action figure line for what two years? Not other 90, than the Bendies, yeah, two years between ninety four and ninety six. And yeah. yeah, it's like yeah, like so, like early summer ninety four, late spring is when the the last Hasbro series comes out in very limited release, and then it's like late summer ninety six is when the first Jack Specific line comes out. So you look at you look at you know going into ni- late ninety four or the ninety five in ninety five. When you have you're trying to push Diesel as this you know big time babyface character, you have nothing as far as merchandising the kids as an action figure line to to go behind with that. Yeah, and like yes, the Bendies were out there. I don't think they nobody ever cared about the that shit. No, no, no. Well, here's what I was about to say though. I don't think they ever mentioned the Bendies on TV once, did they? No, because I mean that's an extremely niche audience that would buy something like that. Um, what was I saying, though? So, yeah, like, with hindsight, like, especially, like, yeah, probably the move with the why they go in that direction, it's pro- it was probably the end of the Hasbro deal and having nothing else to replace it. And whatever other deals might have been expiring around that time. You know? But, and, yeah. When do we get into where everybody has a job? Every wrestler is... A trash man. That's in, um, in that era, right there. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's 90, yeah. 93 to ninety five, ninety six. A bullfighter all of a sudden. 
Well, you got, uh, you got, I mean, well, you got, you know, Dirty White Boy as a plumber. That's 96. Yeah, the goon. Yeah, I mean, so we're going to yeah. 96 with, with all that. Yep. So, so yeah, it takes, it's about three years worth in the mid-90s, you know? And even when they had that toy deal, uh, once they had the Jax deal, I mean, Jax was a brand new company, too. Like, Jax was not a big player, so they, like, they're kind of, they're trying to figure out what works, and then by the time the figures are out, they're already moving in more of an adult direction anyway. But But it's very split personality though at that point and 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 we also have to take consideration the timing of this of the culture at this time 1991 at this time is still very primitive in a lot of ways i mean this is right the time period where uh madonna had done the justify my love video you know I would think it's around this time. It's in this era that people were like, it was banned. I mean, people were losing their minds over. I mean, we're still in a very primitive time and culture where, you know, seeing a woman in her underwear, you know, in public like that is kind of a thing. You know, I I mean, you know, that's not, yeah, it's just different than it would be. You know, even just a few years later. Well, I'm okay, so I'm going to check the release date on Justify My Love right now. But the you know, that coffee table photo book sex, that doesn't even come out till October ninety two. Just to get an idea of things that were controversial then that would not be considered controversial now. Yeah. So, okay, Justify My Love was a single off of the Immaculate Collection compilation and came out November six ninety. Yeah, so we're in that era where it's mm, that that video. MTV will not play the video until after midnight, and all that. Is, I mean, and, and all it is is Madonna is like kissing a woman that's dressed up as a man, you know that that type of thing. There's like these little gay overtones and stuff, and people are just like losing their minds over that stuff. You know, we're still in that era where. So much stuff is being is such a much bigger deal than it would be just a few years later. And it also shows how much stuff should change so quickly because MDV would not have had a problem with that a year and a half later. Oh, well, absolutely not. The real world and all that. Yeah. You know, like I said, I was going to ask Bowen before he even said it, like, because I did kind of have this feeling reading this, like, knowing what I've heard about Sherry's temperament, like, it does sound like something she might have bitched. So, but because I mean, it, it, it's not it's not something that they Vince or Pat would have come up with because that's not what they did. And one thing you can say about not WWF, then. well, Vince yeah, what, then Vince might have done yeah, something but, like that later, but not then. But I'm saying, I mean, one thing you can say about WWF is for a, a long time they did not push sex at all any type of sexual stings at all in their their book look look at what the Liz thing was at SummerSlam 88 oh she might have a relatively whatever (laughs) bikini bottom on yeah so exactly right the presentation of women is very chaste for quite a while yeah so well all right well speaking of Sherry it was reported in Pro Illustrated Weekly this week 
That's sensational sure went up with Ted DiBiase, which basically is where the result of a match everyone knew the result of to begin with. How about Pro Wrestling Illustrated Weekly breaking a story there? Yeah. That's the run that people all you know forget about the Sherry run with DiBiase. But it lasted for uh shit set um uh, uh, half a year plus half a year plus. Well, it's from Mania, because she actually joins him at Mania. Yeah. After the Savage match. So January ninety two. I mean, is it Jan- January or February? Whenever she joins up with Sean, it's January because that's when Ted goes with Jimmy. Money becomes tag champions. Yes, which also something else people don't remember. Before it was before they were really like a team on TV, but when they would team up a little bit, like at house shows and in dark matches, Sherry actually did manage Money Inc. very briefly. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, controversy is. Has a casualty in the WrestleMania build. Bob Costas pulled out of WrestleMania on February 28th. According to NBC Publicity, there were several reasons for his decision. His stick schedule, which includes doing major sports events for NBC, a late night TV talk show, and a radio show, keeps him busy. But the way the show was hyped was a key reason in his pulling out. Costas was scheduled to be involved in an instant replay controversy regarding one of the finishes with George Steinbrenner and Paul McGuire. Costas was originally contacted by John Filippelli, WWE television producer who was an Emmy Award-winning producer with NBC Sports for getting into wrestling, and agreed to do the show. But after being questioned on his radio show regarding how the show was being promoted, he backed off. Costas was quoted over the weekend in the Miami Herald saying, under the circumstances, I don't think doing the show would be in the best of taste. According to NBC on March the 1st, Paul McGuire was undecided upon his participation. Titan Sports considered a lot that he was doing the show. McGuire's comments in the same article indicate he would participate as he said, understand why people are suddenly up in arms. People have to understand the atmosphere this is all perpetrated in. They should know it's nothing but entertainment. I won't justify the way WF is promoting WrestleMania 7, but pro wrestling's always made fun of blacks, Arabs, women, and rednecks. Wow. Well, we're about to get more to that. Alex Trebek is expected to take Costa's spot. As a correction... The quote in last week's Observer attributed to Paul McGuire as it related to his appearance at the show was actually from an NBC publicity person as it related to McGuire's situation rather than from McGuire himself. <laughs> I had to put the correction in here. Although they have been advertising for weeks, which means it's several-week-old news, Roseanne Barr and husband Tom Arnold also off the show. But enough of reasons having anything to do with publicity for the show. More Dave guesses for Roseanne Barr being Roseanne Barr. So, yeah, it was an NBC publicity person. That made those comments, not Paul McGuire. <laughs> but basically what Bob Costas is pissed off about is the whole Persian Gulf part. Yeah. Did, that, did, did Beth Wade moonlight for NBC? <laughs> More on Beth Wade later on. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the thing was, is this whole Persian Gulf thing and how they're, you know, Using it as a promotional tool for WrestleMania was a huge deal at the time with some with people like Bob Costas and stuff, and really soured people on WF in a major way. Yeah, and you know we've talked about this a bunch before. We you know we did the Patreon show about you know Dave's whole thing with the national, but like the distinction that I think people don't always realize looking back, what people were taking issue with was that there was an active war. And the way that was invoked on TV. Yeah. But what, what, I mean, 
what were you? How do you think that they did? Do you think that they went uh, above and beyond what they should have been, or I mean, what is your stance? Uh, you know, I don't. I mean, they used the Vietnam War in Florida with Pak Song Nam, with the Steve Kern and Bob Roop angle. Um, were, but I mean, Steve Kern Bob Roop was after the war was over, wasn't it? Uh, it was either after it was over or right there at the end. Yeah, one of the two. As, for those who don't know, it's that Bob Roop called Kern's, you know, multiple time POW dad like a coward and a failure, and you know that whole thing. And yeah, the, and now with Pak Song Nam, that started I think while the war was still a little going on a little bit, yeah. but they did they never actually did any. It was the name Pak Song Nam, and mainly Dusty having promos about his brother Billy Bob serving, right? Something like yeah. that. Like they didn't go and that Pac- far with it. it go ahead. Well, they, he was he was Pak Song until that, and then he became right. Pak Song Nam. He was introduced from Vietnam, and uh, so they knew what they were doing. I, you know, the wrestling. Pro wrestling didn't boom until after World War II. The war was over. But here are all the Japanese wrestlers, the German wrestlers. You know, they're being used all over the country. Von Brauners, Von Steigers, Von Erich. I mean, you know, they're all these guys just a few years after the war. Um, but the thing, the, thing, the, the, the thing is, though, is wrestling exploited... The Cold War, more than they exported an actual real war, with right. all your your Russian, your Cubans, well, especially yeah. while the conflicts were ongoing. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. did we were we in the middle of a you know true war? No, but wrestling always exploited that element, even yeah. though we weren't a true war. And they went so far with it, like the multiple, like. And when I say far, not just like in terms of edginess or controversialness, like granular shit, like the multiple wheat embargo angles and stuff. Oh, that was all in that 83. I mean, good Lord. Look at the fucking uh, Memphis. Russian uh, uh, the day uh, after. Yeah. The day after deal. Yeah. You know, Lawler doing right. television and stuff like that. I mean, that, that was wild doing that angle then. Mid-South did the same thing with Volkov. You know? So, yeah, I mean, they were exploiting something at the time that was actually a fear among some in the general public. But, it, it, you know, it's also that we just were talking about. They're testing the water for more adult angles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because a lot of kids don't realize what's going on. Uh, but here... Is this serious thing? Because people's thinking, oh, gosh, this war's going to go on. The draft's going to start again. You know, what's going to happen to us? Are they going to attack us here? And they're turning wrestling on to escape it because it had been such a cartoon show for the past six years. And now all of a sudden, here's the real world involved in wrestling, and people didn't know how to take it. That's a great point. You're, you're watching wrestling to escape from seeing all the stuff you're seeing on the news and now you're getting in your wrestling yeah and now something else we should know too real quick it, uh, um it's wwe fans it's not it's it's the wwf fans it's not 
wrestling fans that saw Volkoff and Koloff. You're right. Mm-hmm. All these guys is the people that came along with rock and wrestling that now this is the first time they've seen it to where us here in the South, we know about Tojo Yamamoto. We know about uh, um, Pac Song. We know about Alexis Smirnoff and Ivan Koloff. We've seen it all of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I did a search on ProQuest for Bob Costas with WrestleMania and limiting it to 1991. The first article that came up was, uh, a Baltimore evening sun. What looks like, uh, picking up a, the Miami story on, on a wire, maybe scripts news or something. It's explicit here that that quote about Paul McGuire is from an NBC spokesman. Well, Dave got confused. (laughs) Not the first or the last time, it seems like. Yeah. Well, at least he corrected. But, I mean, it explicitly says, though, like, you know, it has the question. I don't understand why people are suddenly up in arms. An NBC spokesman said of McGuire's involvement. And then it continues with the rest of the quote with, you know, pro wrestling made fun of blacks, Arabs, women, and rednecks, to to name a few. So. Good. Hey. Could it also be that the, that's their their story that they're saying, but it's actually, hey, we ain't involved with that anymore. Saturday night's main event's over with. Well, when's the, the main when events do they are over Saturday with? Saturday night's main event. It's in the middle of all this. Yep, it's as this is going on. But what, we just, we, had, I mean, we just, yet, or, we just, no, we just had it. They just had a Saturday night main event. I'm checking. Because I don't that was having that, that was the one that was done in Macon. That's the one where Hogan went to uh, Fort Benning. I don't remember that. Oh yeah, it was at Macon Coliseum. Oh, that, that's the, where it was controversial that they show like whether or not they said they were going to show the footage of him visiting the troops, and then they did that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, we did that well, week. I, <laughs> I'm already in the wrestling business at this point. Time making town, so I'm. <laughs> Must have been gone on a Saturday. Yeah, I, yeah. I was thinking that was no, thinking no. the Saturday night main event done like in late '89 or early '90. Oh no, the last okay. NBC one aired on well, April twenty, so, April fifteenth. What they had just done okay, so, so, on uh, it was the main event. Yeah, on February first uh, was a primetime special. Yeah, yeah, was the main yeah. event, and then from May, and then the last Saturday night's main event is April. And there is, other than that, there was no NBC special since October. But you know what part of that was about, though? Saturday Night Live has then come back. Oh, was there a writer strike? No. Or you just it's talking about the popularity? Back. Yeah. Oh, and thus people are actually going to want to watch the reruns, basically. Yeah. Yeah, so Saturday Night Live has popular, been popular again. Yes. I was in, uh, this is 91, or I'm... Finishing up my junior year, going into my senior year, and every freaking Monday at school, I would have to hear kids do impersonations of Wayne and Garth. Well, that's he. That's I, I mean, that's that, one of the big ones. I mean, you got all these other characters that have caught on fire on Saturday Night Live in that era. No clue what they're talking about because I'm never <laughs> home on Saturday night. Yeah, o'clock in the morning. Yeah. All right. Well. They pushed the, the the taste level a little bit hard on primetime wrestling during our week. 
And now let's go to Wade Keller. Last Monday's primetime wrestling deserves a few notes. For those who have not seen the new version of the show, it is now conducted in front of a live studio audience of around 100 people. Vincent Mann and Bobby Heenan host it and interact with the crowd during their segments between tape matches. Well, on m- last Monday, Paul Bear demonstrated some of the more grotesque features of his job on a dummy. However, inside the dummy were real organs and intestines, which Paul Bearer pulled out of the dummy and threw into a bucket. He especially had fun playing with the intestines. Bobby Heenan was having trouble stomaching a demonstration and eventually vomited on camera. <laughs> All right, let's go, ahead, let's go ahead and start playing this before we move on to uh, the other part of this deal. It's nine minutes long? <laughs> well, well, there's going to be two parts of this, but you know, so let's go ahead. Okay. By the way, how far are we into this format of primetime? It just started. That's what I figured. Yeah, in the last month. So this is the studio audience uh, deal. They yeah, and they and they tape the shows um, late at night, and it's all Titan Sports employees. I didn't know it was late at night. I mean, I guess that makes sense, but. I read yeah. one of the one of the one of them said was at the, was at midnight or something, but I don't know. I don't know if I, that was true, but uh, yeah, we're so we're early in prime time, and we're also early in the Paul Bear gimmick, as you'll hear in the voice of Paul Bear here. Yes, something you want to know a lot more about. I can. No, I don't know. Well, actually, I just realized like this is like this skit is basically the beginning of the cartoonification of Paul Bear. In, in a way. I mean, not that he way. wasn't already a cartoon character, but this is the beginning of him being, oh. Not necessarily. But you'll, tonally, you'll hear it. Tonally. But well, anyway. you'll hear it. And of course, we have Vince and Heenan in their outfits. Yes. Heenan in his sweater, Vince in his uh, full-body Zubaz. Yes. Or, uh, what was it? Was it Wade or Dave that, would call, that called them bodybuilding leisure suits? That's what it was. It was Dave, I think. Think about it, Bobby. Okay. Here he is, the manager of The Undertaker. Here is Paul Bearer. You uh, check out the instruments over there, and why don't I go check the car? No, 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 no. You stay right here. Um, hi, pal. How you doing? All right. I'm not too sure what this is for, but why don't we hold it? Kind of. Uh, there we go. In any event, you want to run this, uh, run this by us? What, what we're going to do here? The preparation of a dead body takes a long time, but I'm going to give you a mini course. See you, McMahon. No, no, no. Come here. Come on. I'll give you basics. I'll get right to the meat of the subject. <laughs> all right. What do we have here? First of all, the sun cover the cadaver. Yeah. Yeah. Well. And the first thing I like to do is grab my favorite instrument. This is not one of Bobby Heenan's love dolls. We we could see this little something. Different. <laughs> where is the Where is the valve on her? <laughs> Never mind. Hey! Hey! Come on. Hey, you wouldn't want to get that rubber cool. The scalpel. <laughs> The scalpel, my favorite. Okay, so there's a lot going on already. Um, Percy, this is, I think, maybe the first time he has the heavy white makeup is the big thing, though. 
I think that's what yeah. I was thinking of. He, but he sounds like actual Percy Bill Moody, just trying to sound a little spooky. He doesn't sound like yes yet. Not the other thing, uh, Chris, do you remember the significance of uh, blow up sex dolls in the WWF in this time frame? No. Something we talked about on the Titan Gate shows that came up a couple times. Uh. There was a blow-up doll of a man, as opposed to this one, uh, that was used for jokes around Titan Towers that had a large uh, inflated penis that they referred to as Big John. Oh, okay, yeah, now I remember that. (laughs) So that they are using uh, what appears to be a blow-up sex doll of some kind for this, albeit of... The female variety in this time frame is interesting. Especially right. since Vince is being all Vincey about it. Yeah. And what you need to do is start your incision right here at the sterner clavicular articulation. And right, go all sir. the way down to the umbilicus. And you know how I like to do it? Well, I like I to hope. touch it like this, and I like to stick it in. Hey, wait a minute. She don't feel anything. It don't matter at all. That matter and it goes the... straight down to the umbilicus. Okay. Opening up the skin. Why? So we can get down inside her. That's why. <laughs> After we get not... through the skin, we open the skin up. We go through the muscle. Mm-hmm. Then through the bone. We yeah. cut through the sternum and get inside the thoracic cavity. Now, did you, you have any toys when you were a kid? <laughs> you, uh... What do you do with the, uh, this the fluid? Like, I mean, you're like, isn't there something to do with the... We take out all the bodily fluids and replace it with my special embalming fluid. That's, uh, this wonderful-looking... That's this machine stuff. right here, right, sir. See. My okay. pressurized embalming machine. Mm-hmm. But first of all, we want to remove the inside organs and make sure that they are preserved. I see. Where's my preservation bucket? A preservation bucket? Yes, we take all the inside and put it inside the bucket. Now, this is what I really like the most. I want you to watch close. I like sticking my hands inside. (laughs) First thing is the heart. Oh, it looks like it's like a CPR dummy or maybe like some kind of like medical instruction dummy. Yeah, it's not a blow up doll. Yeah. Yeah, It looks, I guess not a CPR dummy because it looks like it's designed to be opened up. Yeah. <laughs> now wait a minute, just hang in here. Come on. Have you ever seen a heart, Mr. Hingen? No, no. I know Bret Hart, that's about as close as I want to get. <laughs> kind of enlarged. Kind yeah, of enlarged. Mm. But that's all right. <laughs> what else? Well, that's we- uncomfortable given how a bunch of wrestlers die after this. <laughs> have inside what else mm. do we have inside oh a kidney a kidney uh, how about a kidney mm, mr heenan i'm full <laughs> you're looking a little peaked uh there's two kidneys i don't like this two kidneys inside you're looking very peaked yes. <laughs> see if i can find the other one you uh you might want to get you look like you could use a little fresh air back there pal get Oh, oh, this is really nice. You do this for a living, huh? Oh, she's got more. Oh, it's nice odor. Mm. The spleen. The spleen. The spleen? Yes, the spleen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it feels so good. 
Just what we always wanted was to have a spleen in our hands. One more little kitty. Hey, take it easy. Take it easy. Take it easy, will you, pal? Get more intestines. Huh? More intestines. More intestines. You really enjoy those intestines, don't you? <laughs> They're hot. Oh, they're funny. They're so cold. They're so nice and cold. Oh. Oh. Yes. Bobby yes. Ian. Yes. Bobby. Yes. We should note, by the way, like, this isn't nearly as graphic as Dave is, or Wade is what? describing it. Because, like, the intest, the quote-unquote intestines do not look at all like intestine. No, they don't. They're not real. I mean, I'm saying they're not even real like animal intestines. Yeah, but they're not real. Yeah, they're not real. They're not even supposed to look real. Young Wade uh, thought they were real. Wow. We remove all the juices from the Bobby, take it easy. Come on. (laughs) What has he done? What has he done? What has he done? He's messed up my body. How can I do his cookies? I can't do the makeup. I gotta do the makeup. Uh, We'll be back with another cadaver. Yes, we'll have another cadaver for Mr. Paul Barra. We'll be back as we continue with more prime time. Defiled, my body. We're uh, we're back. Talk about your barf breath. Are you feeling better or what? Wow. I feel like you look. Really? Tell me that made me as sick as your outfit. <laughs> Speaking of sick, here to join us once again now. As a matter of fact, I believe he has a, a new cadaver. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't go away, Bobby Heenan. Here he comes. Here comes the Paul Bearer. Paul Bearer, where are you? The Paul Bearer. Yes, here he comes. But well, there's a tag on this one. Are they using a water cooler to try to look like an embalming machine? <laughs> yes. Yes. Do you think that's one of the water coolers they had to get rid of in 94? They <laughs> Probably. <couldn't> <laughs> yes. Well, Jesus. Um, We're going to get into it. Well, I I was wondering if I was seeing things, and obviously I was not. The uh, cadaver has an erection. Yes. Well, let's we'll talk about that more. Let's let the video play. I need you to understand that the funeral is not for the deceased. The funeral for the living. Makeup is very important. We need to present a memory picture so you can remember your deceit. This guy's been dead for a long time. I know him personally. Mm. <laughs> Alfred. Oh, it is Alfred. Alfred. Yeah. Hey, the stuff you took out of the last one, can you stick it back in him? <laughs> <laughs> He's already full of it. Come on. Come on, Alfred. Alfred. The Hayes, as in Gabby. <laughs> Code tag, Gabby huh? Hayes. Alfred, how could you possibly subject yourself to this? Oh, excuse me. 
We want him to look as natural as possible. <laughs> you should have come here 63 years ago. <laughs> sort of like, uh, hey, never mind, would you please just have a little decorum? Uh, basically, the implication is that uh, Heenan was pulling down the sheet to get a look at the whale rope, as they called it. Just keep it going. I know, but people can't see this. Uh, By the way, what do you do when uh, that pops up like that when they're... <laughs> there a procedure you when go When they're in the casket, you can't see past the waist. You take the old... <laughs> take, no, but when you're embalming him, do you take the old hammer and... How do you, uh... How do you work it? What? What? Three points! <laughs> The book sheet here, and see if you can't get that where it belongs to be with a chapter 29. Would you like to read it? Huh? I don't want to read it. I don't care. Oh. Oh. What a wonderful job. There is life after death. <laughs> Look at Alfred, never looks better. Alfred is a. <laughs> of course. Alfred? Yes. Yeah. Mm. A question here. Uh, would be, Miss Paul Bear, how, how would this cadaver compare to uh, some of the other cadavers you've worked worked on in the past? Why, Mr. McMahon, it's one of my masterpieces! Oh, my God! A masterpiece? <laughs> what? What do you mean, a masterpiece? Just a minute! Wait a minute! We've got some decorum here, and we're going to find him here. Let's take it out of the matchup. Mr. Perfect starting off against Superfly. Jimmy Snooker. Oh, first of all, Christ's sake. My best regards. Before we speak of our masterpiece. All right, so let me read before we have to talk about this. All right, so <laughs> also on the show, Lord Alfred Hayes was carted out on Paul Bear's bed and given the typical makeup treatment. During the treatment, Bobby Heenan tried to look under the sheets to see what Lord Alfred was wearing. We were led to believe that not only was Lord Alfred wearing nothing, but he was somewhat turned on by Heenan's antics. The protrusion was settled by Bobby dropping a book onto Lord Alfred's lower midsection. Bobby Heenan told Vince to solve the problem as he usually does. Sit on it. It's this kind of slapstick and grotesque humor that you could expect if you tune the prime time. Joe Blanchard's promotion was taken off USA Network in the early 80s when one wrestler poured dung on another. Wade wonders how long USA would put up with sexual innuendos, intestine fondling, vomiting, and hen-camera bathroom scenes. So far, there's been no great effect on the ratings. Okay. Just, just wait first. seven years. <laughs> Let's just get it out of the way. But the uh, the dung angle in Southwest USA didn't like it, but the issue was that they weren't paying their bills. Southwest was it right? Um, well, they were behind on the money, but it it got major major heat. Okay, that was the beginning um, of the end. There was an FCC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there was an FCC rule about showing feces on television. Well, that doesn't apply on cable, though. Uh, well, but I mean, in early well, days, a lot of they tried in wrestling to. Might not know that. Yeah. Plus, it would air to, uh, in bro on broadcast in the territory anyway. But okay. Yeah. So, it was the begin. It was the beginning of the end. Yes. Okay. So with that out of the way, they were looking. They were. Okay. 
so with that out of the way, so talking about this, <sighs> um, it's hard to separate this in my head from the stories from Roddy Piper and people like that of Alfred sexually harassing or outright assaulting people with the, his large penis by, like, you know, Piper's thing of, like, putting it on his hand and stuff. Stuff that was seen as ribbing back then, but now is looked at as a whole different thing. Yeah, this is not something I was expecting to talk about on this show. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, this goes with what we were talking about earlier, too, as far as the content. But, like, geez, this is... This is a change from where they've been at. But the way, I mean, they're openly talking about his heart on. That's um, the thing. Well, and also, I mean, unless they use some sleight of hand with the cameras, it didn't look like they did. I'm not sure he had anything on er, there that he was using as a fake one. No, it was, I'm sure it was really him. <laughs> so, I mean, that, again, both, I mean, this is, very unlike what Delioff had been doing. You know, this type of and humor. One of the reasons they moved it into the studio with their planet audience. Yep. Exactly. For this, boo for that, laugh at this. They're trying to educate the rest of the audience that's yep. watching yep. of what they're supposed to be into and who they're supposed to cheer and who they're supposed to boo. And aha, we're going to do a little funny adult stuff here and there, some serious stuff. Yeah, yeah. but also, has the best, what's the best way to say this? I mean, I would think that attendance for these tapings for some people was compulsory, and even if it wasn't, you're making people have to deal with their co-worker having a visible erection in the same room. Culture. Humor at that but time. I mean, but, but also non-wrestling staff, too. Yeah, but a different time and place. They don't look at that. I mean, it wouldn't look that then like it is now. But also, it's in, like, I I don't remember if I'd ever seen this whole thing. Like you, I'd never seen it. You think about the other significance we're talking about. It's insane how in the, how in the open the segment is. I mean, Again, different thing. time. And I mean, it's like, well, also like we talked about on the Titan Gate shows, it's very clear that that scandal was not real to them until there was actually stuff in the media. Like well, that's when, where, the way that stuff goes. You're no, insulated but, and, you, and you're insulated into everything, your own world. And, you know, it's it's not that big of a deal. Well, I, I'm t but like how they didn't get rid of the underage ring boys even after uh, like. Jeff Savage had repeatedly reached out to them for, like, his article and stuff. Like, it's clear this was just not a real thing to them until it was actually in the papers and on TV. That's the way and, stuff like that goes. Yeah. So, like, you, so something like this, it's like, oh, it's a goddamn pal. It's in good fun. Yeah. His whole life, his whole life was in that building that they're shooting that in and in the arenas. He's insulated. He's more insulated than anybody ever in the business. Yeah. Vince, specifically. Yes. Vince, specific. He has no social life. He has no other. It's all business. It's all that. His humor that everybody else must laugh at. It's yep. the culture. Actually, you know what, though? Which, which he create, helped, you know, create, basically. 
and it might actually make things a little bit worse in some ways, this is one of the periods where he does have a little bit of a social life. Because he's got, <laughs> you know, he, he's got uh, Dick Ebersol and John Filippelli and their friends in his social circle at the time. But Guy's humor back then was different in a lot of ways. Especially and it's, and it's, in sports, it's, media and sports broadcasting, yes. And it's still people that he does business with. Yes. Mm-hmm. He has no interaction with anybody outside of his business circle. Yes, exactly. None. Exactly. And, I mean, and everybody have else ever... around him. Go ahead. Everybody else around him is going to laugh or whatever what he's doing because they want to keep their job. Yeah, and or they or they think it's funny. They think you it's know, funny. The only friends we've ever heard of him having are all people like from, you know, business like. He hated his neighbors. He thought they were all snooty. You know? So, what a weird... like, And what, like, the turn it takes from the first segment for the break, too. Like, I mean, I think people were kind of overreacting to the first part, because it doesn't actually look like any real, like, even animal guts or anything. But then you go from that to, you know, here's... Alfred with his stuff, and he was wearing underwear. He was. He was oh, not nu nude. Oh, they kind of but... tried to act like he wasn't, but he was. Yeah, like you can see after Alfred pulls part, most of the sheets off that he's wearing underwear. But what? What? Jesus Christ! It's a yeah. I mean, poor yeah. <laughs> accountants and event coordinators are sitting there. Midnight watching this and well, you got women. At it and just, you got there's female there, staff yeah. there. Older, also older oh. women, older women sitting there. You know, I mean, yeah. Well, they drew a 3.0 for that show, as Dave said, the controversial show with the cadavers and erection with erections and Bobby Heenan throwing up. It's thrilling to see the staying power of this show, but its numbers are higher than primetime was drawing in their old format. All American the previous day was down to a terrible 2.1. So the ratings are up. So there's that going I mean, forward, at least. Is this a trend or was this um, isolated to that episode? Uh, Dave just said they were up from, you know, the previous era primetime. So I guess he's talking all together and doing this format mm. by this point. Well, Dave noted that Paul Bear is just incredible in his role with The Undertaker. And he was. Well, he, he got a little too cartoony, but he definitely uh, was the perfect fit. Ricky Steamboat will debut his gimmick at WrestleMania and start on the road after the break. The Dragon. Yes, which... I don't know what I thought. I, I, I mean, I don't think I ever really liked it that much. It just... It's, he doesn't have a personality anymore. Like He's the Dragon. I think, honestly, if not for the goofy headgear, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. Like... Otherwise, he's just Ricky Steamboat with a cape and breathing fire. But he's not Ricky Steamboat. He's, well, he's the drag. drag. Yes. See, that's the shit I didn't like. Me too. Especially you because know. you know he's <clears throat> Steamboat. Yeah. I mean, he's only been gone for three years, too. Le even a little less than that. What's that branding? You know, this is the time where Carrie Von Erich's along with Carrie Von Erich. He's the Texas Tornado. Mr. Perfect. Uh, well, yeah, everybody just about Tito. the front of him. The Tito, the Tito, 
Tito becomes a matador later in the year, you know? So. All right. There's a difference between doing away with a character and personal humiliation. If you saw the Brother Love Burial, you'd know the difference. Well, let's go now to the end of Brother Love. Now, sadly, there is no real normal version of this online anywhere on YouTube. So the video I have is going to have you know good sound, but the video part of it, well, you'll see. Oh, no. Is it someone doing stills and stuff? It's play it and look at it. That's all I'm going to tell you. I see this person put together a special thumbnail, but... Yeah, well, just... You didn't want me to see if anyone had anything on a Google Drive or Torrent site? Okay. We're recording right now. I mean, before. <laughs> well, I guess it's time to settle things down. All right, pause. Now. So basically what we have here is somebody, whoever did this, which I don't know if I'm going to say his name or not, Decided he was going to create this whole backdrop where somebody is sitting in a studio in watching one at Titan Towers or the TV studio, watching all these yeah. monitors. While at the in the middle left corner is the actual video playing. Okay, so I have a question: Does this guy have other videos like this, or is it possible? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, and this is not something WWE would do a copyright strike on. So I don't think he's necessarily trying to get around. Well, they're not. Well, I mean, that, that 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 whole thing is weird anyway. I mean, who knows what they're going well, to get trying done. To, and, uh, the exception would be if he's trying to monetize it, that would be an issue. WWE wouldn't pull it down, but they would absolutely match it. So maybe this guy's trying to monetize. I guess. I mean, but I, we'll, I, I mean, we'll, be, we'll be able to hear it. Perfectly, no, I, I have so. I have YouTube Premium, so I don't like I don't see ads, and think, I'm not able to just see if someone's monetized or not. Settle things down a little bit now. A very sincere individual who means every word he says, of course.
there's the end of Brother Love. <laughs> yeah, that actually looks okay once I zoomed in. Yeah. Because he did, I mean, he did encode it at full HD. So, like, the portion of the screen was still good enough that yeah. you can see it okay. Um, Here's the thing with that, and people should watch this to get an understanding. What Dave wrote there about, like, personal embarrassment and all that, that's only in the commentary. Like, the way the segment is executed with Warrior, it's what you'd expect. It's all Vincent Piper's commentary. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then three months later, Bruce is gone. Completely. Yes. Because of whatever his dispute with John Filippelli was. Yeah. But it was time to give a brother love at this point in time. He, I mean, yes, yes. It run its course. Yes. When did he start? At 88? 88? Yeah. Yep, summer 88. Yes, after Ernest Angel showed up in Memphis. <laughs> Funny how yeah. that worked out, isn't it? Funny how that worked out. But Yeah. I mean, Bruce, Bruce had a good run with it, you know, and... But it was just time. Yes. And, uh... Yeah, he's got, he's got bigger problems than the character being written off TV, though. <laughs> Yes. Yes, he does. Um, Warrior Warrior seemed pretty safe with him, though. Oh, yeah, no, especially, like, Warrior looks like he was trying, like, to be safe more than he would be normally in matches. Like, on the clotheslines, especially. Like, he was taking care of Bruce. Like, he's clearly not wanting to hurt someone from the office. Yeah. (laughs) Um, As a kid, though, this always stuck out to me because it's like, it was so rare that they had something that was like explicitly we are killing off this character. Yes. They didn't do that like that. No, it was like Warriors out here and he's like, I am ending you. And he did. And that was it. Yeah, you didn't see burials like that on the television that much. No. And but. also, like, it's so stupid too, where they're like, oh, they gotta they're gonna have to clean those stains on off the mat like ah he shed himself you know he's wearing white pants like you can tell there's nothing happening it's Vince I thought they meant from his hair or from his or the skin. makeup uh, yeah maybe I guess but you never know it's Vince so yeah it's Poop Vince he just, he just put it Lord Alfred Hayes' dick on TV I mean <laughs> yeah alright well the earthquake as an issue here with a mysterious wrestler. So let's go watch that clip, shall we? Yes. Wait a minute. Who's this? Coming into the ring, we've seen him before. Behind the earthquake. Off the rope. Whoever this is is chopping, hammering down into earthquake. And just to be clear, earthquake was going to splash the job guy again after the match. Yeah. That is why this mysterious masked fellow uh, with the not at all distinct body type runs in. <laughs> yes. A headbutt to the side of the head. Whoever this is continues to attack the earthquake. The earthquake is down. The earthquake is out. Is that, is that Valentine? No way. Jimmy Hart runs for cover. Because Valentine had just turned it. Talk about pack a punch. Who was that masked man? He is nuts. Well, we might see him this Sunday. Who knows? He may show up. The earthquake definitely is. Sunday at what? 
uh, I guess it's about Mania. Mania's not this Sunday. I know that. <laughs> so what I would have been no this Sunday. I don't know. Maybe it's a, a Vince mistake. But I mean, this is from the it's from the WWE Classics website version, so it's not something that would be like a local dub or anything, huh? That's but, weird. But it, this is Brutus Beefcake as the Mariner, and he he did nothing other than put a mask on. He didn't try to move differently or anything. Well, he, he wasn't wearing he wasn't way wearing, of running too. Yeah, yeah, but he wasn't wearing the cut cut up pants. So there is no. That. Yeah, he's got different pants on and a mask and a do rag, but everybody knew who it was except Vince and Roddy. <laughs> yeah. So what would but, the air uh, date have been for this? Supposed to have been February the twenty eighth, I think. So wait, did he say this Sunday or next Sunday? This, uh, okay. Unless there's two different him issues of him jumping earthquake, which I don't think so. It'd been uh what's was a Saturday. Yeah, I'm pulling Mar- up history March second for Mariner. March second, I think. Uh yeah, March second is their day. Okay. And once WrestleMania seven is not till the end of the month, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's March 24th, so what the heck could that have been? Who knows? That's very but peculiar. Um, but there you go. Oh, there are there are two Mariner run-ins, but I think one was in, aired. Okay. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, right, how- well, okay, I wanted to ask you guys something about this. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen it explained, but, like, the idea obviously was he was going to unmask eventually as Brutus Beefcake, right? I guess. Like, I always felt like the idea is, oh, he has metal plates in his face. Now he has the world's most powerful headbutt or something. I guess that's what the in-game was. And then this just got dropped without any mention. And also, I always found it weird because I don't remember the photo being in the magazines or anything. The way people online would nickname him Furface. But he never wore the Furface mask on TV. No. I, like... The, the photo in WWE encyclopedia is that I don't, I maybe it made it to the magazines or something, but like, no of the stuff that aired on TV, he's just in this very generic mask as this like pirate looking guy. Yeah. Yeah. No fur. All right. How shows Portland, Maine on the 28th in front of 5300. We had barbarian of a Coco beware hearts, our foundation of the Orient express, which like our butch over Hercules about his qualification. Jake over Rip Martell, Warlord Davy Boy arm wrestling thing was this what it was? Piper over Mister Perfect by Countout and Slaughter over Warrior in the cage. Providence in front of fifty five hundred saw Duggan over Dino Bravo negative two stars. Carry over Barbarian by Countout star. Bossman over DiBiase two stars. Snook over Coco who turned heel halfway through dud. Coco did that a couple of times. You know, uh, on on in house shows, and you thought maybe that they, they were doing this as like a dry run setup, but no, nah, they go nowhere. Yeah, because he had that really good match with Tito at MSG where he works heel. Yeah, um, Earthquake over Jake, two and a half stars. Rockers of Orient Express, three stars. Hogan, one of twenty men battle royal, throwing out Earthquake, no star rating. Then San Antonio that same night drew a sellout of eight two hundred seven thousand pay. As we have Tito over Barbarian. 
Davey Boy Warlord Arm Wrestling, Mountie over Jim Powers, Undertaker over Tubboat, Bushwhackers over Demolition. Oh, no. Bar- Who did Dave say that Undertaker beat? Tug Bloat. Thank you. <laughs> uh, hearts <laughs> over Power and Glory, Piper over Perf by Canal, and Slaughter over Warrior in the Cage. Then Boston. So, yeah, Boston under 7,000 fans. Great Valentine over Dino Bravo, dud. Coco over Pete Doherty to Duke of Dorchester, dud. Mountie over Tugboat, which Dave says sounds like they're putting him out to sea, dud. Jake over Barbarian, so Rip Marteau, who was at his sister's funeral, two stars. Jesus, that guy lost way too many siblings young. Yeah. Uh, Rockers over Nasty Boys by DQ, three and three quarter stars. Carrie over DiBiase, half a star. Undertaker over Sluka, one star. Luigi the Doom over the Orient Express, Mr. Fuji, two stars. And Hogan over Earthquake in a stretcher match, star and a half. So uh, Sacramento on the seventh, drew 76.55, 6,300 paid. Snook over Coco, where Coco did the heel thing again. At which point the fans started cheering him more, negative one star. Doug over Sheik Adnan at 124, negative two stars. Nancy's over Bushwhackers, dud. Valentine over Bravo, dud. Undertaker over Tubboat, negative one star. LOD over Demolition, dud. Slaughter over Warrior in a cage match in AT15, negative three and a half stars. Even Sherry didn't work well. And this would have been much worse than the Phoenix match by those who saw both of those matches. Okay, wait a second. Is Dave talking to fans who went were at both, or is that talking to people on, on the show? Um, maybe fans, I guess, Bix. So, so, uh, a lot of these star ratings are fans, you know that. But who would be going to the house show in both Sacramento and Phoenix as a fan? Shit, Multiple you'd be people. You'd be surprised okay. in that era who did that type of shit. Okay. Um, look at the Grummer. Look at the Grummers. What they did. <laughs> but they didn't just travel right. outside of their area that far. So the matter. I mean, you never know what kind of fans have that type of money to go do shit like that. I guess. Uh, the thing that's really jumping out at me here, though, is Hogan Earthquake drawing so poorly relative to Boston. Well, it's kind of a cold feud. It is, but. Two weeks I mean, earlier, we're in they March doubled, 91. I know, but two weeks earlier, they doubled this crowd at Nassau at the show I was at, which was the first show I ever saw live. As we discussed before, you know, when I did the Boston Garden Series with McAdam, you know, you got to look at Boston, Philly, and the Garden, Masquerade Garden, were all different beasts. Mm-hmm. You had some some stuff that drew better in one that wouldn't draw in the others. You had views that were only in one venue that weren't in the others. I mean, you had all this different stuff going on. You know? Well, and also the Nassau show was a matinee. And it was a big deal that it was a matinee. Yeah. WF had the television canceled in New Zealand due to outside pressure because of show content. A a media watch survey was done, which which labeled WF Wrestling as the most violent show on television. The A-team was taken on New Zealand television for the same reason as stations in that country are cracking down on TV violence. The show was not doing well in the ratings, so the station wasn't making any kind of sacrifice to cast on the show due to the outside pressure. And it's pretty tough in that in New Zealand, <laughs> you know, and a lot of stuff. So that's why they sent their most violent team to America, the Sheepherder. <laughs> yes. So uh, they didn't put up no crap. 
I mean, yeah, if they're not airing the A-team and they're taking that off TV, then yeah, I can see why pro wrestling was... I mean, but they had a history of pro wrestling in that country. I don't really get what what's standing out about WWF at this time compared to all the other wrestling that's aired in New Zealand. Or is it just a shift in how TV is there? Hence the A-team thing and whatnot. I guess that makes yeah. sense. Especially considering if the... Uh... Barnett tape would have shown there years ago with Curtis and all of them and all the blood and guts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? It's just, you know, product of the times, I guess, but they took the A team off the TV show. So, so yeah. And we close with this story. The veteran. Of- well, we close the WWF. We don't close Titan sports. Well, yeah, the veterans of foreign wars in Scranton, Pennsylvania were planning to picket last month's WWF show there because of the Sardis Slaughter angle. Newspaper reports out of Pennsylvania said the promoters backed down under the threats and Slaughter was pulled from the show. But the reality situation was Slaughter was pulled from the show to work St. Louis that night and replaced Randy Savage hmm. because he did every other city he was advertised to appear in. The newspaper quoted a VFW official as saying, it proves that if we stick together, we can beat anybody who tries to pull something. Actually, it just proves nothing. Huh. How about that? <laughs> they thought they had uh, achieved something. Well, they might not have known any better. Yeah, well, still, <laughs> that is pretty funny. All right, let's go to the World Bodybuilding Federation part now. Expected major changes in the bodybuilding lifestyles mag. Titan is recruiting through Howard Sloan Associates, an executive search firm in New York, for a new editor for their magazine. According to newsstand sources, not only is the mag considered a flop within the bodybuilding world, but it's dying in stands. They're attempting to recruit writers, photographers, and editors from other magazines. Apparently, they're having problems finding an editor as the group st- struck out the bodybuilding world to find an editor and have been recruiting in the wrestling world. Craig Peters of PWI and Sandy Krebs from Main Event were both asked they were interested but both turned down the offer. Krebs said he had no desire to work for that particular person. Peters are putting the pressure on and that they are now saying anyone who goes to work for McMahon's magazine will not be allowed back, which has scared a lot of people because nobody knows if McMahon is in it for the long haul. However, bodybuilding sources say the two names from Weeders Mag have been negotiating. Tickets for the first bodybuilding show in Atlantic City went on sale this week. I'm trying to remember her name. Uh, this, I presume, is when they recruit the uh, former Playgirl editor. Yeah. I wasn't sure if that was at the beginning or later, but I mean, it's still early because it's still bodybuilding <laughs> lifestyles. It's not WBF Magazine yet. And if I'm to believe what the late Dr. Fred Hatfield told me uh, when I interviewed him for my WBF story for Fighting Spirit, even though this didn't make it in the article, he basically got her fired for making the magazine too gay. <laughs> At least yeah. he saw it. That he saw a photo spread of two bodybuilders cavorting on a beach and flipped out. Yeah. Which, you know what, though? If you're hiring a former Playgirl editor to run a bodybuilding magazine, what what are what do you expect? Yeah. Yes, she's a woman, but who's the main audience for that magazine? Okay, man. <laughs> More often than not. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could remember her name because I I emailed her, but she didn't get back in me get back to me in time for the article let me see actually if i search my emails for wbf magazine it probably comes up uh 
Oh, here we go. Nancy, Nancy S. Martin. Nancy with an I.E. Nancy S. Martin. Yeah, I mean, it is funny, though, watching the Weeders use Vince's tactics against him. Yes, you it's know, very funny. You know? Yes. And uh, there's either a backing down on her position or they're playing good cop, bad cop routine, as Tom Platz is calling insisted that nothing would be done to make bodybuilding into entertainment and they would keep it a sport. And also said they would allow the to be a bodybuilder to have their photos in other magazines, which is a change for the company's original philosophy. There was more criticism of IFBB, Weeders Group, in the mag, particularly that the ruling is bodybuilders posing in dirty mags. Ooh, dirty mags. So, w- meaning what? Like, quote-unquote, physique magazines? <laughs> yes. Did those still exist in 1991? Probably. Like, the type of stuff that, like, young, like, Adrian Street posed for and whatnot? You're like... The kind of stuff that uh, Paul Rubens allegedly was collecting that the more unsavory material got mixed up in? Yes. Did those still exist in 1991? I'm pretty sure they probably did, Big Sister Magazine era. I guess, that you have your physique and physical culture magazine, so to speak. (laughs) Strapping young lads. (laughs) In a sense. So, wait, 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 wait. So, at the same time, they're hiring a former Playgirl editor who then gets fired because the head of WBF Research and Development didn't like that she was making the magazine too gay. And at the same time, they're criticizing the weeders for not letting bodybuilders post for magazines that they feel are too gay. (laughs) Yeah, it's wild. Well, this section ran the gamut. That's one thing I'm glad I never really cared about was the whole WBF thing. So it just was a it seemed like a big waste of fucking time. Well, and also as far as the Tom Platts thing here, that first WBF championship that's just a Coliseum video. Like I don't remember if we ever covered the week it happens, but like it, it's not really worth watching. Like it's just basic bodybuilding with some personality segments and stuff. Yeah, it's just fucking like, stupid. It's not the, the 1992 thing, which is basically Vince's id. Like, it's not that. It's just, it's boring. It's just bodybuilding. Yeah. All right, let's go international now. And we'll start with the land of the rising sun in Japan. And we'll go to All Japan Pro Wrestling. Where they ran a Cork and Hall doubleheader, March 2nd and 3rd. Second, we had Joe Malenko over Rocky Ayakea. Yes, Abadouba Dabian. Motoshi Okuma and Haruka Egan over Mitsubomoto and Samateri Nishi. Mighty Inoue and Rush Kimura over The Henchman and The Punisher. The Undertakers. I don't know why. K- where Where did you get this from that it doesn't call them The Undertakers? Uh, this is from Wrestling Data. Okay, but yes, Val and Tony Puccio. Butch Masters and Skywalker Nitron landed the Giants over Kinnikabashi and Shishikuchi. And yes, for those wondering, there was an Undertakers versus Land of the Giants match on this tour. Yes, there was. Uh, Masafuchi over Dean Malenko. Mr. Masanto Shikawada over the Black Arts, Destruction Apocalypse. And then Jumbo Shiruta, Kiritawa, and Yoshinaragawa over Terry Gordy, Dusty Wins, and Richard Slinger. Okay, they're just trying to find new foreign tag teams, clearly. March the 3rd, we had Kikuchi over Slinger, Abaduba Dabian over Ogawa, um, Undertakers over Rush Kimura and Mitsuo Momoda. Land of the Giants over Okuma and Agen. Black Arts over Mighty and Wayne and Samateri Nishi. Doc and Gordy over the Malenkos. 
And Jumbo, Tawe, and Fuchi over Misawa, Kawada, and Kabashi in over 30 minutes. You know, I uh, see tw- that uh, oh, MVC uh, Malenko's result. And it does make me wonder, like, yes, there's a size difference. Do you think Doc would have ever tried Joe? Um, Doc would have tried anybody. He started with Steve Williams. Even Carl yeah. Koch is most prized student? It's Dr. Death Steve Williams. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's all I have to say. I mean, Dr. Steve Williams is, was a bad motherfucker. Yeah. So, he, yeah, he did bad enough for nobody. All right, the tour ended on March the 4th and Hamamatsu before sale at 34.50 with Doc and Gordy keeping the tag titles being Jumbo and Tawei in 22.15 when Gordy pinned Tawei after Powerbomb and Fuji kept the Jiro title being Joe Malenko in 16.26. Rest of the car, we have Ogawa over Abaduba Davian, Dean Malenko over Richard Slinger, Okuenagan over Russia and Lamoda, Mayanu in the Cemetery Nishi over the Undertakers, Black Hearts over Kabashi and Kikuchi, Fuji over Malenko, Masawa Kawada over Land of the Giants, and Doc and Gordy over Tawe and Jumbo. And the, TV, the matches that aired on television from this was Fuji over Fuji Malenko, Kawada, Masawa, Land of the Giants, and Doc and Gordy against Tawei and Jumbo. Again, like I said, this is one of my favorite eras of all Japan wrestling. I love this era so much. And um, it's because all the random foreigners are showing up. You got Jumbo's army against Super Generation Army, which is amazing. Doc and Gordy are just king-sized here as a tag team. Hanson's Hanson whenever he's there. Just great, great shit. Everything's popping here at this time. Is this the Blackheart's only tour? Or is there another one and that's when there's, the whole Stan Hansen thing happens? There's two or two. I think they did more than one. Um, and this is their first tour because, as Dave knows, Blackheart's getting over somewhat with their Japanese wrestling style and hot high spots, but were green when it came to transitions and some fans spent too much given the magazine hype, but the gimmick is getting over really good. Okay, they come back in... Uh... Yeah. For Summer Action Series 2, and then they come back again for uh, Excite Series 93. And that's when Hansen brutalizes uh, Tom Nash with the chair. Uh, yes. So, uh, like I said, a great period in all Japan wrestling. Right and this is... Uh, how long... Oh, Wait, but... <clears throat> okay. How long was Gordy and Doc actually a team? Um, as, a re- as like a regular tag team? Yeah. About like two years. Three years. That's what I was thinking. Two to three. I was thinking two to three years. It wasn't. They're a team when Dot when Gordy has his issues. Um, yeah. In '93, people forget that yeah. Gordy Gordy's issues doesn't come in, into effect until late later in '93. Well, I think people get confused because there were the two overdoses, and one he was fine after, and then the other was yeah dead. Uh, there. They be they begin as a regular tag team in March of ninety. So All right. Well, he's still working for New Japan as well. They win the tag titles. Um, yeah. His last, the last TV match with him and Dot together, aired on August fifteenth, taped on July 29th. 93. beating Johnny Ace and Kendall oh. Wyndham. Yeah, it's, it's not nearly what as long as some people think that it is. Uh, yeah, they had a great run. Oh, they're fat because both and both were in like the best physical condition that they had been in. Yeah, 
especially Gordy. Yes. And it, it's because they were taking time off between tours. That helped. And plus, Gordy just, he got in better shape. He would want to take care of his knees, especially. Yeah, his knees were so bad. Yeah. And, and that, that I, was, I mean, I, I mean, you can make the case that Dr. Death in 93 could have been the best work on the world. It's very, 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 very debatable. I mean, I think, I mean, it's, he's above, up there. Uh, Kabashi? Shit, he was, out, he was out working Kabashi in their matches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Doc, I mean, this is the era where Doc is doing the, the fucking handspring elbows. That's topes. <laughs> he's doing fucking topes. Tope suicidas. I mean, he's just a man. I mean, I just finished the whole night. I'm in 94 now. I finished 93, and Doc is just out of this world in 93. Well, and into 94, too. Yeah. You know, he has that triple crown match with Kawada the same night as the J-Cup. And there's an argument that that's actually the best match in Tokyo that night. Yeah. Yeah, Doc was just fantastic in, the, in this time period. All right. New Japan. Their latest tour opened up on March 1st in Suwa. Before sale 2350 for a TV taping. As Tatsumi Fujinami, Rike Choshu, and Keiji Muto beat Tony St. Clair, Big Van Vader, and Brad Rangans. When Fujinami made St. Clair submit to the Dragon Sleeper in a very exciting match. Hero Sleeto and Super Strong Machine kept the IWGP World Tag Titles, beating the Destruction Crew. Wayne Bloom and Mike Enos. When Machine beat Enos, Enos after a hip off top rope. Enos. <laughs> Masashi Oyagi. Masahiro Chono beat Bad News Allen and Masakurisu by DQ. And after the match, Choshu made the save as Kurisu was attacking Oyagi with a chair. Mike Rotunda beat King Okamura. Rotunda didn't get over as he worked too slow a pace for Japan. Hiroshi Hase against Kasaki beat Anima Hamaguchi and Katara Hoshino. Kuneo Kobayashi and Sabakito beat Jushin Liger and Takukizuka. Tetsushi Goto Norinaga beat Black Cat Shiroko Shinaka. And Michioshi Ohara beat Koji Katamoto. Um... Now, we had two bigger shows during our week. Uh, Hiroshima Sun Plaza, March the 4th. Coach Kanemoto over Hiroshi Yomoto, Tenzan. Tony Seclair over Takigazuka. Osama Kido over Mike Rotundo. Black Cat and Katara Hoshino over Norinaga and Tesso Shigoto. Bad News and Brad Rangans, that's a team, <laughs> over Chono and Koshinaka. Destruction Crew over Kurokobayashi Masaido. Hiroshi Asuke, Kensuke Saki over Jushin Liger and Keijimuto. Masashi Oyagi over Masukurisu. Hiro and Strong Machine over Hama, know, Hamaguchi and Riki Choshu. And then Fujinami beating Big Van Vader to regain the IWGP heavyweight title. That is a hell of a card on paper. Oh, it's great, great matches on TV, too. And then the tag titles changed hands on March the 6th and Nagasaki before Full House 3380. As Hase Sasaki beat... Machine and Saito in 1902 to, with uh, Hasepin and Saito. We have Choshu and Fujinami over Bad News and Vader. And after the match, Tiger G Singh attacked Choshu and Bloody Jobber Black Cat when he tried to make the save. Talk about a hot fucking angle. That, that was a hot oh, angle. Was this the one where, where Singh cuts the promo after where he just keeps screaming, fucking Choshu over and over? <laughs> yes. Uh, Ch- Chono beat Brad Rangans. Muto and Masa Saito over the Destruction Crew. And Liger and Koshinaka over Hoshino Kobayashi. Other matches saw uh, Kanemoto over Ohara, Izuku over Yamamoto, Rotunda over Black Cat, and Kyokumura and Samakito over Masakurisu and Tony St. Clair. That's a team. 
Yeah, New, yeah, New Japan's pretty fucking hot at this in this point in time too. With, with stuff going on, I mean, they're changing their titles and got some great talent. I mean, Dome shows coming in a month. Dome shows month. coming less than a month. Yeah. Oh, two weeks by the end of our results here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And the first thing I take away from this looking at the results, God, do I wish Destruction Crew went here? You know relatively full-time instead of going to WWF. Um, yeah, here in WCW. That would have been a nice little... Yeah, uh, it, yeah. That's a big what-if for me. I, Go ahead. Same with me. I just think they were totally wasted in New York. I, I just... I mean, yeah, they got a great amount of TV time and they got made some money, I'm sure, but I think in the long run, if they would have went between WCW and Japan, they would have been a lot better off. Well, they would have better matches. They were, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for two guys who were basically two years in, that the WWF at the time was not a place for promising guys two years in to go and get better. Well, it wasn't about work; it was about the characters. Yeah, it was about the characters and the entertainment. It was about they in were the not ring. even put in a position to really get better. Anyway, though, like with. It, yeah, but 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 but, but, but Enos and Bloom were a working team. That's the thing. That's what I'm saying. Like they were like a heavyweight work rate team. In 1991 WWF wasn't the spot for them. No, I saw them um, when they had the hoods on with WCW. Uh, yeah. was that ninety? Wrecking Crew too. Yeah, 1990. Yeah, I saw them in the Steiners in Johnson City. And I was sitting up top watching, and that was one of the best live matches I ever saw. I mean, it was really well, I good. mean, the Steiners love working with those guys. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they go to WWF, they start insisting that Enos start working under a mask as their personal job guy. Because yeah. he, they trust him to take all their stuff cleanly. But the thing I want to point out here, Bo, is the, let's look at the difference in foreign talent here. So in all Japan, <laughs> in all Japan, we have the Undertakers, we have Abaduba Dabian, Land of the Giants, Blackhearts, Malenko's, Doc and Gordy. Okay, Malenko's, Doc and Gordy. I got. Are you not good. counting Slinger because he trained in the dojo? Yeah, I'm not really counting him. Near Japan, we have Rotunda, tough motherfucker. Bad yep. News, tough motherfucker. Rangans, tough motherfucker. Destruction Crew, they can handle themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Vader, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, the New Japan crew definitely has the edge here. I'd say, and they're about <laughs> to get the Steiners. Oh, Tony St. Clair too. Yeah, Tony St. Clair. Yeah, good lord. Who were the American Bookers at that time? Masa, Masaido, mainly. Yeah, yeah. He's the liaison. Nobody expects Antonio Noki have a chance in the race for mayor of Tokyo. The election is a few weeks away. Anoki's political speeches seem more like wrestling interviews trying to build up a grudge match against his opponent, a former TV news anchor man who criticized the Anoki Ali match in 1976 as a farce. You know, the match stunk. It is one of Anoki's most memorable matches because it was a shoot, and he lasted 15 rounds with Ali, even though he was on his back for most of the fight. Anoki does not win that race, he, but he gets bigger, uh, a bigger fish to fry later on. Yes, yes, he is. He ends up having terms in both houses of the Japanese legislature, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. SWS. The biggest news from this group is this feud with Weekly Magazine. Uh, with, uh, Week Magazine. Like Wrestling. 
Right, I'd like to point out. I'd like to point out Anoki was once a resident of Kingsport, Tennessee. That is correct. Yes, he was a Tennessee dweller in the mid sixties. Yes. Yes, on his excursion as Kanji Anoki. Also, during that period, had the single greatest wrestling match that Lance Russell ever saw live. When uh, it was him and uh, uh, I'm forgetting his name all of a sudden, Hiro Matsuda, right? Yeah. Against uh, Eddie Graham and Sam Steamboat on Memphis TV because uh, weather, there was like bad weather prevented the match from happening at the Coliseum the previous Monday. So they did like this big world tag title match on TV. And, you know, you know, 40 plus years later, Lance considered that the greatest match he'd ever seen live. And that's Lance Russell. (laughs) Yeah, everything. They had that that same match headlined here in Kingsport. Um, And Inoki also wrestled Whitey Caldwell. Wow. When I started doing research years ago, uh, it came up, and I'm just sitting there looking at it going, is this real? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there it is. It's real. Yeah. All right, the biggest news from SWS is their few with magazine Weekly Pro Wrestling, which is the best sell on the weeklies. Oh, wait a second, Chris. You're telling me that a 10-roof promotion had an issue with Weekly Pro Wrestling? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Apparently, Weekly Pro has been reporting how fans are booing the action and were highly critical of the January 4th show <laughs> at Tokyo Bay, which from what was said in the Japanese Wrestling Journal was the worst card in Tokyo in years. SWS has banned Weekly Pro from their matches and from interviewing their wrestlers, and Weekly Pro is giving only the most minimal coverage to SWS. Uh, real quick, before we discuss the substance of this, since it's been quite a while since this has come up, for the love of God, if anyone has any Japanese wrestling journal issues, please let us know. Apparently, other magazines reported the SWS's February 22nd show at Corken Hall in Tokyo was a great show, since they don't they don't want to be the na- now allowed to cover the Not March 30th and April. No, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not allowed to cover the March 30th April 1st shows with Hulk Hogan on them. Even though Dave report, Dave's reports from unaffiliated sources said the card wasn't very good. So this <laughs> would be Gong and Weekly Fight and then the more general sports publications. I yeah. Guess. Tokyo Sports. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> but, okay. I haven't gone and watched back a ton of SWS. I know there are people like Phil Snyder and company who enjoy what they've seen. I like SWS. It's different. I mean, what do you make, though, of, like, the whole reputation it had at the time for being boring and these guys on these gar- on all these big guaranteed contracts are getting fat and lazy well, and all that shit? I mean, they were gaining weight. But, but the thing is, is you compared them to what All Japan and New Japan is doing in real time. That's the thing. That's the thing. Because all Japan, New Japan, this time were just rolling. That's what we just talked about. And also, New so, Japan is so deep. So you got SWS, which has the guys they have, and they're they're using WWF guys as their foreigners, and they're doing that type of style. It's different. It's a contrast, and you do have guys like Orihara and Dragon, and guys like that. There is Sano, Sano and, and guys like that that are there, but. I mean, it's just a totally different thing. But it's a good yin and yang, though, in my opinion, to what we were getting on the other one. So it had its place, and I enjoy watching it. But I can understand where, you know, fans at the time wouldn't be so into it. I understand. 
So. I, I think the yeah. one thing we can say that was kind of a misnomer, though, maybe that's the wrong word, but I think the idea that Tenru got bad, I think, was kind of bullshit. No, Tenru, Tenru, was Tenru, Tenru never fell off during that era. Tenru's Tenru. But you know what I mean, though, like, like when... Well, his competition started, fell off, in a way. That's the thing. It did, but, like, you know, like, in the late 90s, when he go when he's mostly with New Japan... Like, the people often acted like, oh, he's on this big resurgence. He wasn't really having a big resurgence. He was just having more consistent opponents and opportunities for great matches. Well, Tenru, I mean, let's, you know, think about it. Tenru started working New Japan shows in 92, late 92. So, I mean. But he starts devoting most of, he doesn't really devote most of his time there until 98, when War's dead. Yeah, but still, he works a lot on New Japan. He does, yeah. In the mid-90s. In the mid-late 90s, so, yeah. But anyway, it is what it is. All right, uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara's version of the new UWF opened up on March the 4th at Corken Hall before Pat Tausa 2306. Carl Gosh made an appearance at the show and announced that he was staying in Japan for two months to train the young wrestlers for this group, which got the biggest pop of the night. Results of the show saw Wellington Wilkins Jr. be Yoshihiro Fuke in 12 minutes with a leg split submission. Fujiwara made Jumbo Beretta submit to a toehold in 7-12. Minoru Suzuki went to a 30-minute tie-in-limit draw with Wayne Shamrock, Vince Torelli, and the main event saw Masar Fanaki beat Bart Vale by submission in 17-36 with a chicken wing crossface. And if anyone's wondering why Dave is calling it Yoshiaki Fujiwara's version of the new UWF, that's because I don't know if they actually made it to the first show like this. Originally, it was going to be called the UWF and not Fujiwara Gumi. Yes. Of the three new UWF versions, the one with the most trouble appears to be Nobuhiko Takada's group. Fujiwara has the backing of Hachiro Tanaka and endorsement of Carl Gotch, plus foreigners supplied by Larry Malenko. Force Malenko. Maeda has Maeda's name, plus foreigners from Chris Dolman in the Netherlands. Takata has eight wrestlers, but no major financial backing and no foreigners, only one main event match, him against Yamazaki. And that's been done a million times in the old UWF. Funny how that all this perception would change quickly. And it becomes the most the most the most popular among a traditional pro wrestling audience, I guess would be the way to put it. Because Rings ends up also being very successful, but tried to get a different audience. Yes. You know, I never thought about it this way, though, that, like, just how few wrestlers UWFI had at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, now we go to a country we haven't gone to before on the show. On March 28th in Athens, Greece, the NWF did a show headlined by Abdullah the Butcher going to a double disqualification with Jules Strombow for 5,500 fans in a 17,000-seat building for a one-night tour. They had one local guy from Greece who has done some wrestling, but basically didn't have a clue. Among those there were Wendy Richter, Larry Winters, the Cheetah Kid, whose mask was lost by a baggage claim, so work without the mask, Ted Petty, and Cousin Luke. Now, my question, Bo, did Damian Kane have the promoter's license for this show? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just wondering how they got a... A deal in Greece. One night. One day. That's crazy. Well, also, I, I didn't mean, even realize Bob Raskin was still involved in anything at this point. But it's like, it's like we were talking about off the air. 
at this point in time, man, they were tours and people going places that you never hear about. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Dick Karakoff was running Micronesia and Guam, and, and there was tours going to Africa, and tours going to the Caribbean, and... Yeah, me and Bo yep. was talking about uh, how David Manning, right before our week, had a tour of the Bahamas, where it was Kevin Viner, Billy Joe Travis, and others on that tour. And you had mentioned that uh, you had heard of a tour that uh, Rock and Rolls went on while they were in in, in the NWA. Yeah. Snuck they out and didn't tell nobody. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So I mean, there's there's all kinds of tours going on in this era of, of country, South Africa, India, yeah. um, Handsome Jimmy in, in, in uh, Egypt, yeah, you know, with Killerton Brooks. I mean, Mike, Mike and Mike and GQ went to places in the Caribbean, then to Africa, and, and you know, it was just it was crazy. There was stuff going on all around the world. Okay, but I we must... don't no records of it. I must correct it. myself. I remember this being maybe a Rob Russin thing, but I have here in my files, uh, and I went to look it up to refresh my memory, Ivan Koloff's contract with the NWF for a tour a few months after this from his immigration file. How about that? Uh, entered on May 28th. Uh... So yeah, NWF Championship Professional Wrestling, Camden, New Jersey. That's Bob Raskin, clearly. Uh, so terms, okay, da -da -da -da, agrees to pay, pay the artist, and the artist agrees to accept in full payment for his or her services. He rendered, as foresaid, compensation in the amount of $5,000 for a period of 18 days, regardless of the number of exhibitions. Okay. Where is that for? What what country? I'm looking to see if it has anything because I think I might have some publicity or something out about here. Um. Oh, it was a UK tour, one of those like outside American wrestlers UK tours that happened occasionally. Okay. For uh, August 14th through August 31st. Hmm. Uh, special provisions to help offset. Extraordinary costs of wrestling tour. Wrestler agrees to waive any merchandising claims and grants likeness to promoter for same. Wrestler will see, receive transportation by plane slash bus and lodging as agreed to. Private single room. So, Where, yeah. wonder what countries are left that have not never had wrestling. Oh, who knows? I who mean, knows? there's two going to uh, Nepal now. There's a telling. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> no telling. Oh. Gypsy Joe. Uh, oh. I, I bet Joe yeah, he went, worked everywhere. He had a list. of. He went through a list telling me of Cuba, China, Korea, all these places that he had went in the 60s. It was unreal. Yeah, there's no telling where folks was going. Oh. Just, we'd never know about. And Bo... Here's something in here from the NWL about the Dick Karakoff tour of uh, the places you mentioned. Huh. The following, yeah. okay, a uh, tour uh, for the Asian Pacific region, June 11th through June 21st. It's also 91. But uh, the country, uh, following islands will be host to the NWL. Guam, Saipan, Majuro, Ibaya, uh, Pompeii, 
Chuk, Palau, Tin, and Tinyan. Talent contracted to appear include... Uh, they redacted some, because they hate it when they do that. But include Ivan Koloff and more TVA. Uh, I think Bobby and Jackie Fulton was on that one, too. And that makes sense. Oh, and they have in here, interesting footnote, the NWL sold out Guam University Fieldhouse two nights in a row, while the WWF couldn't in one night on March 31st. They, uh, there was a tour of guys from Knoxville and around here that went uh, to Micronesia in uh, 94. Yeah. So there's been all kinds of tours that we don't know about. Yep. Have any records of or anything else. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to more of a normal type of setting, Canada. They ran uh, the CNWA, ran the Silver Dollar Action Center in Calgary on March the 1st. Interested to open the match here. Chris Jericho and Lance Storm as a tag team over Jimmy Jordan and Brett Como. Mega Mask over Randy Rudd. Randy Thatcher over Champagne Jerry Morrow by disqualification. Johnny Smith over Ron Ritchie by countout. Former Pete over Little John. And Mike Lazansky over Chi Chi Cruz. So an early uh, Jericho Lance uh, match here as a tag team. Yeah. There's no way Mega Mask, I just think because it is Calgary, is like Tom McGee, right? Or anyone like that. Oh, uh, probably not. Uh, I doubt it. I doubt it. But like, some good, promising young talent on here, though. Yeah. You know, Jericho, Storm, Brett Como, Johnny Smith, Chi Cruz, Mike Lazansky. Yeah. There's some people here. All right, Mexico. The meeting of the uh, Commission of the Bossy Lucha on February 28th ended with the commission agreeing for the first time to buy life insurance for the wrestlers. They've been doing it for years for the boxers since Jose Suleiman had run the commission. That, if for those of you boxing people who know who he is, he was the uh, kingpin of the World Boxing Council. And now an ex-wrestler, Enrique Yanez, runs commission. Honorary first policies were given to Irma Gonzalez, Lola's mother, who still wrestles on occasion. Octagon, Peralta Morgan, and Petoff. Meanies and women will be also be covered. Hmm. What a, I mean, this, this look at how things are different there, Bo, compared to here, where the 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 commission is setting the wrestlers up for life insurance plans. Yeah, they won't even give you a bottle of water here <laughs> without having to pay for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then a few years ago, it wasn't the commission, but there was that thing where the Mexico City government made that deal where, what was it, if wrestlers did, like, community work, that they would all get free health insurance? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so stuff like this would have made a big difference in a lot of wrestlers' lives, Bo, in this country. Yes, it would. You know, it's a shame that don't have that luxury here. Yeah, and I mean, one thing I think, you know, Bo could probably tell us more about with all the guys he knows. Like, I think something a lot of people don't realize is like, what, especially like, you know, older wrestlers. I mean, hopefully now they'd have a better understanding with people who are getting towards that age now. A lot of wrestlers, just because they weren't taught about or whatever, had no idea, like, had no idea they could get Medicare or disability or Social Security or anything. You know, like, um, that was something, you know, as much as he was in over his head, Constantine Kairos, the lawyer who was behind the concussion lawsuit, you know, not only did he never take a dime from any of the wrestlers, it was all on contingency, 
he would also take time out to like help them apply for disability and stuff. So yeah. like that's also another thing too. It's like when we talk about how wrestlers are here, unfortunately, a lot of them were also not availing themselves of what was available because they didn't know. Yeah. You know who else who else helped the boys like that? that? Hmm. Jack Pfeffer. Really? Yeah. Well, he, uh, good for Jack. He he uh, Fargo's said, you know, they said that they had insurance because of him and they got social security years later because of him and I mean, he was a weird guy and a carny, but he actually never really seemed like that bad a guy, Pepper. No, the people that worked for him loved him. Fargo's loved him. Garvin loved him. Uh, you know, they you know they all had funny stories about him, about what a weird kind of guy he was. But as far as taking care of him, he took care of him. And that's you know about what you would want from the promoter. Yeah. Yeah. One of these days, someone's got to explain to me, though, how he was able to hoard all these records living in hotel rooms, though. I've, I've tried to figure that out myself. I don't, I don't know. Unless he just had them different people's homes or whatever. Or storage or something, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've wondered that, too, how he kept everything. Yeah, strange. Yeah, I mean, for those who don't know, like, a massive amount of what we know of, like, the real history of wrestling like from the thirties through the sixties is because of all that stuff he saved. And that then he bequeathed Teddy Einhorn and that any Einhorn uh, donated to the Notre Dame library. I mean, he kept every letter he wrote or received. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. All right. What about Danny Jarrett pulling the gun on him? <laughs> yeah. I have, I have that around here somewhere. <laughs> well, that was a note that he wrote on the back of another letter, actually, since he brought it up, because I, I know the wording is very, uh, oh, I don't remember what thing it's written on. I'll see if I can find it while we talk, but let's see him alone. Yes. Arena Mexico on March the 1st for what appeared to be a huge crowd saw Sultan Gorgola, Canadian vampire and Ponzonia. Be Huracan Sevilla, Sicon Ramirez, and Javier Cruz of Monaco. Two out of three falls. Second fall was incredible. Ciclone backdrop Sevilla over the top rope, and he did a Liger flip in midair and splashed backwards on the Gargoyles. A highlight. Three stars. Kamala, Pedro Aguayo, and Mascar Añoros Mil defeated Conan, Black Magic, Norman Smiley, and Leesmark. Leesmark suffered a fractured clavicle, doing a Road Warrior halt like clothes on the top rope on Pedro and landed wrong on his shoulder and went in the second fall. Third, third fall, saw Leesmark sit on the floor holding his shoulder in pain while Conan went to the back to get a stretcher crew in the ring. Black Magic got trounced. Star on a quarter. Was it going to retain his NWA World Welterweight title going to double count out with El Gallo Tapado? For us, it's just about the best work on the promotion right now, and he did everything. Tapado was a big name in the 70s. He appears to be brought back to put Fuerza over, so Fuerza is going to stretch out his feud with Octagon. Next week, the two have a Mascara Contra Mascara match, star on a quarter. The main event saw a Caballero Contra Caballero match between legends, Kato Kung Lee and Kung Fu. The two, along with Black Men, formed the three-man team called Los Fantasticos many years back and were awesome. Kung Fu's 39, but looks 20 years older. Lee is four around 42, but looks 10 years younger and wrestles his age, but wrestles his age. Match is real bad, with Lee winning with a rope ball into a kick to the mouth in the submission, and Kung Fu lost his hair, quarter of a star. 
Now, Dave clarifies, Leesburg got a broken collarbone. Still out of action. But Arthur Morgan's been working on a broken collarbone the past few weeks, which he got several weeks back at Arena Coliseo on TV night, taking too stiff a clothesline from La Piera. Jesus. <laughs> breaking collarbones or clotheslines. My goodness. Uh, man. Her shoes. Yeah, they're, well, they're working stiff, that's for sure. So you may be Pantero Serena, Marshall Third, and Rina Coliseum, Mexico seeing the bloody ladies uh Caballero Coach Caballero match with semi-main event. To Petrov keeping his Mexican national heavyweight title to be in La Fiera in a best of three falls match. They also ran a Rina Mako for a non TV taping that day with Riga Mendoza and Pedro Aguayo beating the Texas Rangers in a double hair, double mask match. No word of who the Rangers were. Mavis saw Milmoscular's work Rina Mako beating Kamala in a two out of three falls main event. Oh my God. I can only imagine that one, Bo. Milmoscular's 1991 <laughs> version against 1991 Kamala. Goodness gracious. It, it, that, Mexico is another place. It's, it's amazing the people that work there. You yes. know, and, and got over like Solomon Grundy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Texas Rangers ended up being uh, Sergio Rivera and Joe Rubio. Now, you want, it's so funny. Uh, Texas Ranger won, lost his mask on March 3rd. Then lost his hair on March the 10th. <laughs> Good for him. He's one of the nightmares. <laughs> Double payday. <laughs> okay, I found it. It's in a Nicholas correspondence file. So uh, we got Jack Pfeffer on his hotel Piccadilly notepad in his handwriting that is only slightly worse than mine. So the hotel's name Piccadilly? Hotel, Piccad- hotel Piccadilly. Uh... 45th Street, West of Broadway, New York, New York, 10036. Yeah, I love the old-fashioned stuff where they don't even give the address. I had a good 45th pick- Street, West of Broadway. Anyway. I haven't had pick- Piccadilly Cafeteria in years, bro. Yeah, I hadn't either. I don't think they're open anymore. I think There, they don't, there is. There the, is. The one during the pandemic. There's one in McDonough, Georgia. The best one I ever went to was in Madison, Tennessee, suburb of Nashville. It was great. Fix wouldn't know anything about cafeterias like this. No, no. I'm looking it up now. But, okay. <laughs> so we have meeting underlined, and this is written in mostly caps. Meeting with Fargo, Welsh, spelled Welsh, Goulis, <laughs> Christine Jarrett, Wednesday evening, uh... August 21, or August 2, uh, 67, uh, at 9 o'clock p.m. in the girls' dressing room. Okay, so yeah, at 9 o'clock p.m. in the girls' dressing room, where Christine Jarrett threatened to kill me. (laughs) T-R-E-A-T-I-N. Yeah. You need Mr. Robertini. Yeah. (laughs) That would have been at the fairgrounds arena that burnt down on a Wednesday night. So not the, the sports that, arena, right? Not the, not the sports arena. The fairground Coliseum, I believe it was called. It burnt to the ground, and that's why they built the. They moved to the other building over there. Why they built the sports arena? Yeah. So there's that. UWA on March third, Torreo de Cuatro Caminos. Before nearly 20,000 fans. Pegasus Kid won the WWF lightweight title, beating Viano Tessero with a superflex off top rope in a third fall. 
is a summer main event to connect, retain the UWA title, goes to double count out with Coquina Maximus. Yoko in a third fall. Yeah. When connected to dive outside the ring on Coquina. And neither got back in the ring or beat the count. Other results on the show saw Tinebulus, Tinebulus Jr., and Pedro Aguayo, who's worse as a technico for this promotion, while working as a Rudolf CMLL in the same city, defeated Rambo Fishman and Indikider. Those caras, Ilda Santo and Gran Hamada, went to a time limit draw with the Brazos. Oh, God, do I wish we had video of that. Oh, it gets, I mean, this show's amazing. Silver King, Tejano, and Enrique Vera beat El Signo, Black Power, and Babyface. And the opener, this is the opener, Belente Fernandez, Black Man, and Ultraman defeated Los Temerarios. Jose Luis Feliciano, Black Terry, and Shu El Guerrero. I mean, it's at least theoretically possible there's video of this because they are taping shows in this era for that home video stuff. Yeah, it's possible. But good God almighty, what a group of talent. Yeah, you're in this last big run for uh, UWA. UWA, yeah. Mm-hmm. WC closes out this section. We had a uh, show in Bayamon where we had the WC tag titles versus a mask as a Bronco and Invader numero uno defeated the Texas Hangman, Killer, and Psycho to win the titles. And... Um, Get their, and Bronco and Vera get the mask. And then name versus name, TNT defeated the original TNT, who was uh, Action Jackson. Yes. And Hangman here, I believe, are Bullpain and Mike Moran. Yes. Yeah. At Caguas, the next night, saw a Caribbean heavyweight title change as Big Scott Hall, or Cowboy Scott Hall here, defeated Miguelito Perez to win the championship. Yes, he's Cowboy Scott Hall here. He is not Texas Scott from Orlando, Florida. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh... Gator Scott Hall. Yeah. So, WWC, some fun time here. We got a lot of this on tape, this era. So, yeah, good times. And, and they're drawing well, too, right? Yeah, they're doing they're doing well, yeah. This is Akbar booking? Akbar at, at is there, yes. Okay. So, uh... Interesting time in WC history, absolutely. All right, well, that is it for the first half of the show. It is now halftime. So that's some great 1991 commercials. We'll pivot to the, pivot to the halftime segment where we'll talk about our Patreon, of course. Then we'll uh, talk about streaming friends at the plugs. And then we'll come back, and Bo will be back with us as we have news on Herb Abrams' TV show. We got uh, Joel Goodhart running the big show in Philadelphia. We got an update on Joe Pettacino's Global Group. Jim Cornette going into a side business. And Bo James tells us about Beth Wade in the Mid-South Coliseum's feud with Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler. All that and more after the break. Play Little Caesars Lucky Sevens game. Everyone wins twice every time. I just won two pizzas. This must be my lucky day. And try Little Caesars Lucky Sevens Pizza Pizza. Two medium pizzas with seven toppings for only $7.77. Not one, but two pizzas. Pizza Pizza. Of all the extraordinary new automobiles that come to America, only one was awarded Motor Trend Import Car of the Year. The Mitsubishi 3000 GT. With all-wheel drive, all-wheel steering, ABS brakes, and 300 horsepower. 
the Mitsubishi 3000 GT, import car of the year. Mitsubishi, the word is getting around. I'm an adult. I should eat a nutritious cereal. But there's this part of me that wants frosting! Grow up! What about fiber? Fiber, schmiber, go for taste. Taste? What about fat, salt, cholesterol? Whip! Wait! There's Kellogg's Frosted Mini Wheats. For the adult in you, whole wheat fiber, without fat, salt, or cholesterol. For the kid in you, lightly frosted, great taste. Make the mature choice. Take the frosting! Get it together. Yes. Kellogg's Frosted Mini Wheats. Kids feel sick at the thought of taking bad-tasting medicine. Open up. But not new grape-flavored Dimatap DM for colds and coughs. Don't like Dimatap. New Dimatap DM. It relieves kids as well as colds, as well as coughs. Introducing the new Gripper Zipper from Ziploc, the easiest closing bag there is. I can even close it with my hands tied behind my back. Yes, the zipper is grabbing hold. It's locking. Feel it close the first time, every time. Ziploc bags with the new Gripper Zipper. NBC Sunday Night at the Movies will return following these messages. Monday, Fresh Prince has a friend in from Philly. Can't touch it. And Bel Air is beginning to look like Homeboy Hotel. Then, Anthony, you're out of the house. Blossom's dad gets tough. I did it because I love him. Aren't you just a bottom of sweater? And Blossom does protest it. Are you finished? Yes. NBC Monday. It's the best time ever to get a Mazda MX-6 because the value of the MX-6 is greater than ever. Get an MX-6 LX now and save big on a Mazda value pack. Plus, get $1,500 cash back from Mazda. It's our biggest deal ever, but it won't last forever. Right time, right car, right deal. At Red McCombs, Universal, Benson Ingram Park, and Tom Benson Mazda now. McDonald's Texas Home Style Burger. Medium drink and medium fries, only $2.79. McDonald's Texas Home Style Burger. Medium drink and medium fries at great value at only $2.79. New double McDonald's Texas Home Style Burger. Double, made with a full half pound of 100% American beef. A bigger burger for big Texas appetites. The Spurs build a lead and don't blow it. Highlights of 10 summer my father grew up continues starring john ritter margaret witten and joe spano all right we're back hope you enjoyed those great 1991 commercials as we pivot to halftime seven the show where we begin to talk about patreon patreon.com slash between the sheets and yes of course if you well now know that the missy hyatt show dropped in the last uh week and a half or so so everybody go check that out as our uh, show for the month of February. And uh, it's quite the show, um, Bix. And uh, one thing I, I do want to say real quick is <laughs> there was a question that I heard about in the Patreon post about maybe me not taking her seriously in a way. And the thing, no, I mean, that, that's not true. I mean, I believe me, I can believe anything she claimed as happening in that, in that company. Cause I mean, God knows we know all the stuff that they did in that company. 
and again how culture corporate culture was towards women for all those decades so yes i am not i was not by any means trying to you know say that she was making things up or whatever no i mean what it is is that at the end of the show we're kind of at a loss for words over her 2020 comments about all of this I mean, and yeah, it's I mean, kind it, of it, hard <laughs> to put into words what we were trying to express there. That it's like, yeah, we still we still find her credible, but it was just a weird. I mean, we talked about it at the beginning of this show. Like, it was just a weird thing to watch and listen to. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, she was contradicting. I mean, not on the facts, but like on the. Like, she was making arguments that were used, when she talked about the Epstein stuff, she was making arguments that she said were used against her that bothered her in 94. Yeah. So, there's that. But anyway, everybody go listen to that show, because it's a really good show, and an uh, interesting look at all the shit that was going on in that era in uh, WCW, but there was a lot of it. So, uh, five dollars a month gives you access to that. And all the other shows that we've done in our seven plus years of the Patreon, and that's also gets you access to next month's show, which you haven't started recording yet, but we will very soon as we look at part one of our what three part series, Bix? Yes, yes, three part series at Rob Feinstein's ouster from Ring of Honor, and the first show will. Pretty much mainly focus on all the uh, perverted justice stuff. Am I correct? Basically from the bust through uh, the Mania Weekend show. All right. So that's, that's going to be like the focus of that show. And then after that, the other two shows will be more of a focus on, you know, the wrestling side of things involving uh, that happening and all the other uh, drama that was going on. And is he really gone and this, that, and the other. So you definitely want to be a part of that. Believe me, $5 a month gets you access to that as well. At least this the first show. And if you renew, then you'll keep getting the shows. Yes. And, and uh, lot, like I said earlier, too, lots of uh, PW Insider, too, that I was able to find on Wayback Machine. So yeah, even a little One Wrestling and some other stuff as well. So they, I was surprisingly happy with how much I was able to find of the coverage I was hoping to find. Well, there you go. So, uh, yeah, it should be very, very interesting folks. So everybody go check that out. Five dollars a month, 50, 40 annually, correct? Uh, yes. 50, 40 annually to do that. Now that we have other, uh, options as well. You can, for a dollar a month, you can get access to the Discord and thanks in this segment. For $25, you can access uh, access. You can get the sh- uh, pick a show for the week. Uh, if you want to do that, have a couple of shows on your mind just in case that the show you may want us to do could be on a week that somebody's already picked on the calendar. It could be something that we've already talked about in the past. We've done a lot of shows. So if you have any questions on that, aspects of myself, let us know why you want to do the show. And we will let you know if that um, is will come an issue and let you know if you can get your show on the air. Um, follow the protocol on the Patreon website to do that. Remember, Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline, 10-year rules in effect, 30-day rules in effect to get that show into us and all that jazz. And we should be able to uh, make it happen, Captain. 
And uh, for $50, you'll be able to send in for a segment of that show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. That's at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Now, I know we didn't do halftime last week, so we probably have a glut of patrons to announce, at least I hope, Bix. So uh, who do we have to uh, thank this week as our new and or returning patrons? Yes, we do have a glut, so to speak, as uh, I think we're sitting at our record for simultaneous paid patrons, right? Good. I want to say that every week. I want. I, I would like to say that every week that we have set a new record. So that's great. I love yeah, to hear that. At least looking at the page right now, it's five forty. Awesome. Six hundred. Let's make that a goal, and then we can get the six fifty, and just keep it going. Let's just let's keep that goal going. Well, and let's see. Uh, let's see where we are on Graftrion as far as the uh, podcast rankings. We are 636th among podcasts on Patreon right now. All right. So let's keep it growing. Yes. All right. Who we got? All right. We'd like to thank Derek Reed. Thanks, Derek. Vash the Stampede. Is that Vash with a V? Yes. Thanks, Vash the Stampede. Brandy Jeffries. Thanks, Brandy. You're a fine girl. I know it's a song lyric, but come on, Chris. <laughs> Brandy. See, that's the thing. You need to actually girl. sing it if you're going to do that. <laughs> the Great Looking Glass, one of the great songs from the 70s. Anyway. <laughs> it's a great song. Also, the OJs sang a song named Brandy, but it was about their dog, about a dog. Well, that's that's different. <laughs> That, when I learned that, I was like, what? <laughs> Which, hey, the 70s was a wild era because Henry Gross, uh, Shannon's about a dog, too. I'm like, I never would have known that. It's insane. But, hey, people love their dogs. But, yeah, you got to, when you're doing that bit, you got to do the singing the first time you say it. Otherwise, I don't want anyone to give us any comments, especially, like, no, knowing the relative gender balance of our patrons, I don't want. I don't want anyone misconstrued. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's a, it's a song. I know, but I'm saying you got to sing it first. Anyway. All right. Then we've got... You, wor- you worry way too much, Bix. Do you blame me at this point? Everybody needs to lighten up. That's all I can say. Anyway. Warren, uh, I think it's Isles. It looks like I-L-E-S. Thanks, Warren. Tim Cook making his return. Long time friend of ours i enjoy his apple products thank you tim no tim cook with an e i know uh thomas montgomery thanks thomas chris k letter k not the former wwe referee thanks chris then dan k thanks dan joey stipek or stipek i guess it's joey Thanks, Joey. Is that the... Well, wait a minute. Isn't that the uh, a Stivic on the... Yes. On no, the it's band? not... Uh, no. It's... <laughs> okay. No, it's it's not uh, the grand, the grandchild from all the family. But, but close enough. Thanks, Joey. Uh, Kevin. The winner is Kevin. Thank you, no, Kevin. No, the winner of the match. Kevin. Uh, Paul... What is this? 8148. Thanks, Paul 8148. Stan Guzik. Thanks, Stan. Jimmy Andrews. Thanks, Jimmy. Josh Huddleston. 
Thanks, Josh. Jim Steele, I don't think the wrestler. Thank you, Jim Steele. JTX. Thanks, JTX. Matt Wennington. Thanks, Matt. And just to make this super weird, we have a third person doing the uh, last initial thing with the same last initial. We have Dave K. <laughs> well, thanks, Dave. We're thinking all the Ks. Yeah, so we've got Chris K, Dan K, and Dave K all in the same. Well, but... Okay, so not Danny K, though. Just Dan K. Yes. Because if it was Danny K, that'd be a story. Sure. He's dead. Whatever happened to WWE referee Chris K? I don't know. Whatever happened to uh Some of those some of those guys just disappear. Yeah, what was the guy Brian Brian, the the black referee, Brian? Uh, uh I don't remember this one. What, what oh god. This what was his name? Not Brian Hebner. Not Brian Gwen. What was his fucking name? The one that everybody just called him the black referee. <laughs> the one that people online called black ref because he was the only one at the time. Yeah. Well, there, I mean, there's Brian, Brian, when, when slash Ryan Tran, but that's obviously not who you're talking about. No, I can't uh, remember his name. Uh, maybe it wasn't Brian. I don't know. But uh, yeah, he was something else. No, uh, the no, the guy. I'm pretty sure the guy that everyone referred to as Black Ref was someone else. I'm, I feel bad that I'm blanking on his name. I don't think he's there. Uh, oh, Justin King. Justin King. I don't know why I said Brian. He's been gone long enough that I mean, I feel bad, but like, yeah, at the time, I remember being really kind of slightly disturbed by how many people would just call him Black Ref when, like, I'd see that every time. It's like, no, it's that's Justin King, but. Oh yeah, he's he's been gone for uh, ten years. God damn, <laughs> he was a hoot. <laughs> I always enjoy watching him referee. He was very he, good. Yes, he was just. Oh, it just he had he would have these like mannerisms that would just make me laugh. <laughs> he was something with his yeah. with his mannerisms as a referee. But yeah. Anyway, those are the new and returning patrons for uh, the last two weeks. All right, so we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that left that come back. And, uh, yeah, all, everybody that supported us over all these years, keep on supporting us and uh, tell friends. Let them know that, hey, you don't want to miss this uh, this Patreon. There's some great shows on here, and there's going to be more great shows coming, believe me, at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right. It's streaming friends time. So, bits. What's going on in the world of ITV and Fight ITV. Plus? IWTV. Sorry, I'm talking about the UK. Uh, Fight TV featured plus trailer, whatever the hell it's called. What's going on with them? All right, let's see what we got here. Um, oh, we got an H2O show, of course, this week. Well, that's not surprising. No. Uh, they. They run very regularly, and that's good because at least it gives people uh, consistent work. Yeah, and especially, like, you know, well, the wrestling school doesn't exist anymore. It's just used to run shows now. But still, like, if you went to his school, like, here, you know, you know you're going to get a good amount of ring time just from H2O alone. 
maybe if Maxine Dupree went there, then all that controversy we would have had uh, over the past week wouldn't have been as loud as it oh, was. Oh, I thought you said you didn't want to talk about that. <laughs> well, I, got, I, I had to get it in there when you mentioned it. Anyway, that's Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern with, uh, what's this one called? Praying. Uh, for that show. it? That's just the name? Praying? Yes. P-R-A-Y-I-N-G, not E-Y. Um, but what, what are they praying for? Violence? I don't know. Uh, main event for the HO title is Austin Luke defending against Tommy Vendetta, uh, MM3 and Dam Sullivan, uh, Neil Diamond Cutter defending the Danny Havoc. Ha- ha- what was I saying? Danny Havoc hardcore championship against Mouse and more. Again, it's mainly the the usual uh, Tremont crew without any uh, outsiders. Oh, anything goes Marcus Mathers against Matt Tremont. So there you go. So. That's H2O. Uh, let's see. SOS has a show at 11 Eastern on Friday. And is Makabe on this one? No, he is not. So it's mainly the less known uh, local talent. But that's that. there's someone on the show named Steve Austin 182. Okay. I, I don't know. Um... And let's see. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a pretty light weekend for ITWTV. North Shore's got a show on Saturday at 8 Eastern. But yeah, that I mean, that's it for them this week. And there wasn't really anything of note added to the on-demand other than, you know, what had been on live stream. Although I guess we didn't talk about all that last week, but... Uh, well, so I, I'm guessing, I mean... I mean, we're still a ways away from Mania, but I guess some of these promotions may be waiting. Just a little over a month, yeah. So that's that. And of course, you know, all the shows at the uh, HO Wrestling Channel Mania week are going to be on IWTV. Which, yes. Uh, you know, including uh, Action Wrestling Presents Dean Tilde Bang, which yep. had uh, Gringo Loco versus Dr. Cerebro announced. I will be watching that show. Absolutely. I can't miss that one. Yeah, that's going to be uh, Thursday, April 4th at 8 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, we're going to be uh, done recording by the time that show starts. Yes, yes. I mean, well, we'll see if I end up going to Philly or not, too. I haven't made any. Well, if you're going, then I know we definitely will be recording. <laughs> well, yes. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what I like. I really obviously want to go to that show. I don't know if I would do the whole weekend. But I mean, that's the thing, though. I don't know if I'm in, if I know anyone that would be going into Philly just for that one. The Philly area just for that one show. Um, so we'll see. Anyway, yeah, and the, you know, plenty of shows are going to be happening there, and those are going to all be on IWTV then. So, if you're not already a subscriber, independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD, and we'll get AR. Well, you can always go to the shows Matt Riddle works. Why? Like to be uh, hunt him down and try, <laughs> and try and just uh, go off on him or something. I don't know. I, let, it, it, I love that you interrupted the actual plug for that. <laughs> IndependentWrestling.tv code BTSPOD, and we'll get our referral fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. I'm picturing you like uh, like the, one of those re- um, investigative reporters that's on like the local news that's always hunting some hunting them down. Oh, and... uh, doing a car doing the Carl Monday. Yeah, Matt Riddle's is is trying to you know put a paper over his face or something, trying to run away from you or something. I mean, he's within miles of me right now. I mean, we're recording the same night as MLW. Fresh off their $20 million settlement. 
Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, anyway, uh, Triller TV Plus, powered by Fight. Although, actually, okay, I'm looking on the website. Uh, I'm not seeing the powered by Fight as part of the graphic anymore. <laughs> okay. So, Triller TV Plus. Um, main thing coming up uh, this weekend is GCW returning to Atlantic City for uh, Saturday at 8 p.m. with Ashes to Ashes and Sunday Dust to Dust Yes. What's the Paul Heyman what, what is the Paul Heyman thing? Go ahead and I it don't was remember. A... But and then they have so much fun on Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern Saturday show from what's on fight at least we have Tony Deppen versus Mike Proman, Dan Housen versus Charles Mason, Nick Cage versus Ryuji Ito. Abdullah Kobayashi versus Matt Tremont. Uh, and I have the... Oh, uh, also, uh, Violence is Forever against Dark Sheik and Sawyer Wreck for the tag titles. And I'll pull up the Twitter in a minute, too, in case there's anything else that's not here yet. I mean, I have it up. I just need to look. Uh, and then for Sunday evening, Thrussy of Alley Catch, Dark Sheik, and Effie against Maki Death Kill Club of Maki Ito, Nick Cage, and Matt Tremont. Uh, Alec Price and Cole Radrick against Charles Mason and Richard Holiday, uh, Abdullah Kobayashi and Ryuji Ito against Los Macizos, John Wayne Murdoch versus Casey Cattell, and more. Now let me go to Koji Cattell. No, Casey Cattell, Casey Kirk. She goes by both both her maiden name and her married name. I know. I just said Koji Cattell though. That been that been a story. Even then, they got uh, Ryuji Ito and uh, Abdullah Kobayashi. That's what I'm saying. We've been in a story. I had Coach Gatali in. When was the last time he wrestled? Oh, God, probably 30 years ago. Or oh, no, God, 25 years ago. Oh, great. I closed my tab that had the GCW thing open. Great. Okay. But uh, it, it is fun to get to see those guys come to the States now on a... Or the, the uh, you know, Big Japan and Freedoms guys in general on a semi-regular basis. Too bad they didn't do it 20 years ago when they were in their prime. I mean, they did a little bit, but not that yeah, much. Not not all that crew. Well, no, Abdullah Kobayashi does not move well. Well, I mean, neither, does, been... neither does Ric Flair. <laughs> well, Ric Flair's retired, Chris. I know. Well. All right, let's see. What else do we have here? Oh, uh, Terry Yaki and Mr. Danger against Los Macizos has been added to the Saturday. Uh... Sunday, uh, Blake Christian defending the title against Masha Slamovich, who had beaten for the title. And that, I think that's it as far as what is not on the trailer site. So, there you go. Oh, and the but just for the record, the actually, maybe I shouldn't say the official name of the tag team of uh, uh, Sawyer Wreck and Dark Sheik. Maybe you shouldn't? Yes, uh, it's spelled K-U-N-T. Oh, cunt? <laughs> yes. I have no qualms about saying that word. I say it a lot because as a friend of mine once uh, told his uh, wife, <laughs> when she said, don't call me that name, he said, I won't call you that name if you don't act like one. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> but, uh... Here's the thing with that, though. It's... It, when men don't use it, it's so much better when other women use it too. 
it's just a funny word. I mean, good law. Look, look how much is said in Europe. Well, that's another <laughs> thing too. It, it has a certain je ne sais quoi. Like the way, you know, like I get what you're saying. So you fucking cunt. <laughs> but they'll use it like uh, cunty and stuff like that. They'll, they'll give it like a uh, extra meaning, like you know. But uh, well, and yeah. in the the British version isn't really gendered. Is the thing. Well, no. Well, I mean, guys can be cunts, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Shit, absolutely well, what's they the can. Etymology, though, like, did it exist as an insult before it existed as? I like, mean, derogatory term for female genitalia, or did that? It's the same thing as calling guys pussies. You fucking pussy. I mean, it's the same thing. No, but here's the thing, though. But 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 it has a different association to it, though. It doesn't mean the same thing. I know, but it's just a a, a, a one is insult. asshole, one is coward, basically. It just it, it, it's just a word you can use as an insult. It may not make sense, <laughs> but it, it sounds good. <laughs> it, it is weird, sometimes, like which like words are okay in one country versus the other in English. You know, we got you know fanny with the different meanings. Of course, is an interesting one. Bloody, bloody. I was about to say bloody. I love, I love the thing in Gary Hart's book where he's talking about the angle in Australia where Bulldog Brower slams uh, Haystack's Calhoun and breaks the ring. And that he says he yells out like audibly on the air on TV, slam that fat piece of shit. <laughs> and then like after he claimed he didn't think that shit was a swear word in Australia. <laughs> and then he's like, well, bloody is a swear word in Australia. <laughs> so. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just, it, 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 the word sounds good to say. Yes. I mean, you call somebody a, you call somebody a motherfucker. It doesn't mean they're fucking their mothers. Well, <laughs> George St. Pierre, did you, you've seen the clip where George St. Pierre like lost it at Nick Diaz because he called him a motherfucker, right? <laughs> I remember that. What was it? What was his response? Listen, you uneducated swine. <laughs> right? It was something like that. Yeah. I don't know. We just when you're calling somebody a, a, a you know an insult word like that, yeah, it doesn't have that literal meaning. It's just a good. Word. It's just a fun word to say. All right, finish your plug. <laughs> well, now that they have music on uh, more and more on Triller TV, maybe they'll have some anal cunt concerts. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, uh, if you're not already a subscriber to Triller TV Plus, tinyurl.com slash BTS Triller. And you can also use that for the for the uh, iPay-per-views of various kinds that are on uh, Triller, including uh, AEW pay-per-views if you're outside of the U.S. and Canada, or if you use a VPN, which, Chris... Today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you're using cognito mode, your service provider storing your browsing data many times, even selling it, private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic to one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. In a servers in over 75 countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private, private internet access comes to easy-use apps and browser extensions for all devices. They have rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. If you sign up with private internet access right now, take advantage, especially only for Between the Sheets listeners. Well, let's go over that, shall we? We got three options for you. You can go to straight monthly 
option at eleven ninety five a month. Go yearly, which gets you down to three dollars thirty three cents a month for thirty nine ninety five a year, or you can go with the number one package of all, three years plus four free months, dollar ninety eight a month, seventy nine dollars for the first two years yearly thereafter, eighty three percent off. An amazing deal. Why is that? Because it's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. And if you get it right now, and take advantage of private internet access, 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. So how you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try it in the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we'll go back to 1996, where in the World Wrestling Federation... We'll talk about the comings and goings of talent. Big names at that. We got a live Raw to talk about. San Antonio, Superstars tapings on a Sunday night. No, in a weird coincidence. And Rick Rude makes an appearance on uh, AOL with, for WWF. So there's that. We got uh, USWA starting a few with Burt Prentice's North American Wrestling. We'll have that. Plus Yoshi Kwan. Makes his debut on Memphis Television. We got other stuff from the Indies. We got Lucha. We got Japan, where uh, Joshi's at Cork and Hall doing good business. The promotions. New Japan starts a tour featuring WCW talent like Harlem Heat. And with WCW, we got National Enquirer talking about Vince McMahon throwing out a challenge to, to Ted Turner for a wrestling match. Eric Bischoff talking to Bob Ryder on Prodigy. We got WCW Saturday Night. We got uh, Nitro and Winston Salem. We got John B. Bad quitting. We got Ric Flair getting arrested for being uh, a passenger in a DWI and a wild story. But the big news of our week is Dave Meltzer attends the Big Ass Extreme Bash weekend ECW, where he's in Queens and Philly for two uh, interesting shows, which features. A theme for the last couple of weeks as we had uh, Mick Foley's retirement match on last week's Between the Sheets. And next week, we'll have Mick Foley's last match at ECW to talk about. Plus all kinds of other stuff, including uh, Ray and Hooven to Gareta tearing down the house. In Philadelphia. Yes, uh, back-to-back nights of two out of three falls matches. Yeah, so we got a lot going on there. Yeah, so Chris Jericho beating Mick Foley on night one in Queens, too. That's right, yes. So... Interesting stuff. And Dave's there, so we'll get a live perspective. ECW is a very, very healthy section next week. Yes. In uh I mean, isn't is it this or is it later in the year when he goes back that basically leads to the creation of Dave Shares wrestling Lariat because he thinks Dave isn't being fair to uh ECW. <laughs> uh well, I thought the Lariat was already around. Let me check. I thought the Lariat was around at maybe around this time. It starts in 96. Uh, let's see. But anyway, while you're doing that, uh, a good show next week. No guests because we've got a pretty hefty show and we got a Patreon to worry about. Okay, so. you were right. You were right. It was June 95. That's what I thought. Yeah, I thought it was way earlier than that. So there you go. But yeah, so it should be really fun next week on Between the Sheets. All right, you can follow me at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-L-N-E-R. Show proper BT She's Pop, Bix at David Bix. And actually, and, real quick, before we get into whatever the news of the week is, I, I need to correct myself. It's let me tell you something, you uneducated fool. Oh, that's what George said. Fool. Yes. Well, there you go. 
All right. So next week, and they already did that. All right. So this week, all right, we uh, Sting's last uh, match will have taken place by the time that uh, this show drops. Oh, you want to talk uh, about that? You want to talk? Don't want to talk more about Maxine Dupree? No, because it's all that's all silly. Yes, we haven't we haven't heard from her, so we don't know what she even thinks about this whole situation. I so it's 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 fans and fans, but Re, I mean Rhea Ripley's tweet got everybody up in arms. But whatever, that's the whole whatever. She's taking it for a friend, even though her friend hadn't said anything. But um, yeah, Sting's last match. Um, I saw Sting his whole career. I mean, I remember seeing him in Memphis as one of the Freedom Fighters. Yeah, because you, you had know, Memphis TV by that point. Yeah, yeah, I did. And I've followed him his whole career, and this is one of those deals that there's a lot of those lately, where it's just like, wow, this makes me feel old. You know, Sting's retiring. Although Sting is, you know, up there in age. He's, he's, he's what, 65? Or be 65 this year? I think he's 64... 64, he's going to turn uh, 65 on March 20th. Yeah, so he'll be 65 in just a few weeks. So it's it's just crazy to think about, you know. But, I mean, Sting's had quite the career, man. I mean, the face of WCW in the 90s. Um, a big deal for TNA throughout the 2000s, you know, when – he all he just kept working there, and when he could have went to WWE a lot earlier than he did, but he he liked TNA, he liked the schedule, and he was able to do his thing, you know, at home and this that, and the other. So that that worked in his favor. Then he finally goes to WWE for his run there, and it's kind of a weird deal, but it was cool seeing him there, you know, interacting with those folks. But it was kind of weird. And, you know, having this AEW run these past few years, you know, it's been a great, uh, great send off for Sting to have all this that's going on. And, yeah, I mean, it's just it was interesting watching the uh, the Dino, episode of Dynamite in his last, you know, week, week of television. And uh, it, it came down from the ceiling for the first time in like, uh, was it 17 years? 2007 was the last time he done it. So oh, he did do it in TNA. Yeah, he did in TNA, yeah. Okay, I'm, assu- I'm assuming Garrett uh, Kidney tweeted this at some point in the last day or so. I saw other people t- mention it before him, so... Okay, the last time he did in WCW was in two- October 2000, I believe. Yeah, but he did in 2007 in TNA, so... Okay. But yeah, so... Sting's an interesting guy because he's not in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. He's never really came close to Actually, getting he did in. Come in. Go in. When is Sting going to the Hall of Fame? I'm checking. Did I miss that? I think you did. I guess he did. 2016. 2016. Holy shit. The WWE run in the retirement got, uh, I guess, kind of pushed him in. Okay. Damn, I forgot about that. Because <laughs> I think I was voting by then. That may have been my first year. I No, I think you had been voting for a few years by then. All this stuff. I the started 2010s. voting in like 2012, maybe? All the uh, all those years just run together to me. Well, the 2016 class was Brian Danielson, Gene Okerlund, Sting, and, uh, you know, Legends Committee inductee uh, James McLaughlin. But anyway, um, 
it seems it's a guy who it always seems was beloved, but he'd never, he never got the credit he truly deserved. You know, because I mean, he was a, go ahead. Well, was he like a proven draw in his athletic prime? No, but he, I mean, he drew WCW's biggest pay-per-view number of all time is, you know, the focus of their biggest ongoing storyline ever. And then just kind of really started cementing his legacy over the years. And I mean, here's the thing too. I mean, yes, he has some of a bit of a little more of a drawing record though, like in new Japan, but like is Vader like Vader went in, in like the first class, didn't he? Yeah, but Vader had all this other stuff on his side. But is he that much of a stronger? It, was Vader in 1996 that much of a Va- stronger candidate? Vader, Vader got in because of, of his work, when you think else. Because Sting was not considered a great worker. He just, I mean, he was considered a good worker, and he had, be- he had more, you know, he had better rated matches before his injury in 90, but Dave was was one of those who never really pushed Sting on that pedestal that he did others, but you know, it, and 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 that and that's and when you got the tastemaker who's not, I mean, he wasn't you know talking shit on Sting or by any stretch, but he never he never gave him the credit he deserved as a worker. In my I opinion, I think that's fair, and I think part of that too goes to something um, our friend Charles from Pro Wrestling Only has pointed out at times. Whether it's in their development or just the perception of how they were as workers or whatever, the way Sting and Luger were kind of joined at the hip with Flair, I think also hurt because Flair looked at them as two guys who needed to be carried as opposed to two guys who needed to be challenged when it was really the latter is what they needed. That's fair. Because you look at both of them, you know, especially Luger in 89 and then Sting and stuff like the Vader matches, like, you push Sting, like, Sting is every bit as good as Vader in those Vader matches. I mean, I just watched Sting and Cactus from Beach Blast 92 the other day. A totally just wild, out of control brawl, and Sting felt right at home in that environment, you know? Yeah, I mean, Mick called that until the Michaels match, the greatest match of his career, the beach blast match. Yeah. I and, mean, you know, I think, I think he eventually settled on the Orton pay-per-view match as his best, match. but still like Mick Foley's top three matches of his career are Orton, Michaels and Sting. Yeah. And, and I mean, Sting could do any style, you know, as given to him. Maybe he wasn't the greatest technical wrestler in the world, but I mean, his problem was he was failed by the people in WCW. It wasn't Sting's fault because they didn't have the infrastructure to make him a bigger deal than what he should have been. Yes. It's not his fault. It, Sting, it, it, it goes they, what, they, go ahead. Sting should have been a much bigger deal. He should have been a much bigger draw, but WCW didn't have the people that were in charge they knew how to do that right. And they had barely any functional house show promoting infrastructure for the first several years. Exactly. So, 
It's good. It's, it's, I mean, I know, I mean, Sting hasn't been a full time wrestler in decades, but I mean, it's been fun having him just show up in, in AW and doing things, you know, these past few years. So it's going to be different not having him around. And, uh, yeah, just another piece of uh, our childhood, you know, going away off into the sunset. And, uh, another, uh, another day older we're getting because of that too so yeah uh, and also we should say like for whatever complaints can be levied at times about tony khan's booking he's handled sting absolutely perfectly the whole time oh yeah i mean sting sting has definitely been treated extremely well by AEW. absolutely and you know like I said, they did a much better job of treating him as a legend than WWE did, which, you know, that doesn't surprise me because he was never he never worked for WWE. So they're not going to treat him on the level of some of the people that they treat as legends. Yeah, that reminds me, by the way, I got reminded of something recently I had almost completely forgotten about. Remember when they did the ad announcing Sting for the video game? And they had the crowd noise playing in of the crowd reacting to it on the Titan Tron. And the crowd thought it was a video for him either debuting then or soon. Yeah. And just the the juxtaposition of the crowd reactions. Let me see if I can find that. Sting WWE 2K announcement. Also, they used the WCW Crow music, which then they didn't use for um they didn't use for his actual run for some reason even though they had the rights to it yeah all right here it is well we can tell you now if you pre-order let me see it right now you're going to get an amazing bonus this very special player only if you pre-order so now remember of course the crowd isn't hearing this no the crowd's just suddenly seeing what what's showing up on the screen that crowd turns on when they see the 2k15 logo <laughs> because it was a that was a cool video and it'd been awesome if that had been the that's the way the, that he was brought in maybe not as awesome as the 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 fake out with the undertaker thing but uh with the house yeah. but uh i mean really you, what really what it should have been when he came out of survivor series it's if this was the video and then like the lights went out and he was there, that would have been perfect. Yeah. But, but yeah, old sting, man. I mean, good Lord. Crazy, crazy to think that, uh, that, that we're here at this point in time. 
Yeah, and it's going to be weird now, like, AEW not having the Sting figure. Especially the way they've used the Sting match on so many pay-per-views, too, as this all-purpose, if the crowd is burnt out, we can get them back thing. And Sting has went above and beyond. As a, oh, and, and he's been doing stuff that he, I mean, good Lord. Balcony dives. Yeah, he, I mean, a, a man of his age should not be doing. But he's out there doing it and hadn't been hurt by it. Yeah. So Now, my gut is probably not with the way he dyed his hair um, on Wednesday. And obviously this will have already happened by the time the show comes out. Do you think there's going to be any element of surfer sting, or do you think it's just going to be same bursting? I just don't see him doing it. I could see him maybe adding some color to the crow paint, maybe. It'd be awesome. He's not gonna cut his. He's not gonna cut his hair. That's not gonna happen. No, the idea I saw was that he should just leave his hair gray and be surfer sting. I mean. Th- if the thing that would be interesting if they did it is just have him do the old Seth Rollins thing, where his hair is half dark, half blonde. Mm-hmm. That that might that, and then the face paint would be half and half. I think that would do enough that the fans would like lose their minds for that. That would be cool. I don't think but, we're getting the old WCW theme though. After they had Mikey do all those. No, 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 no. And well, those songs. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think people give Mikey a hard time sometimes, like not understanding that, like, some of this stuff is done on like three hours notice. Yeah, but which is not good, which is not good in the first place. But this stuff was I don't know how much of this is him or what he was told to do. But that was that that weird man called Sting knockoff. I'm not sure what I think of that <laughs> but yeah which that uh, always hit that song to begin with so well that's, that's the problem. thing it's like you know we were hoping that with the you know the famous sting theme being you know a production library song that that could get licensed but we'll no see. but anyway probably not but, but anyway sting is gone uh, um and uh yeah it's gonna be different when i'm around and it should be a hell of a pay-per-view top to bottom too Oh, wrestling-wise, absolutely. Yeah, it should definitely be. Yep. A lot of interesting stuff going on, you know, and then uh, coming after that, you know, the new arrivals will be coming in, so uh, we'll see how that goes. So AEW is an interesting spot right now. Yeah. We'll see how they can how they deal with that as we go along. Yeah. Um, I mean, real quick, do you want to touch on the Nick Kaniski thing at all or anything else? Or I mean, Nick Kaniski was on Pollock and Thurston and uh, talked about being propositioned by Terry Garvin, you know, and basically, and he said some other things too. Um, I he's mean, a he guy he told Vince about it and nothing happened. Yeah. He told Vince about it. And nothing happened. That, that's the thing that's different from the other Terry Garvin stories. Yeah. Vince was like, okay, what? I mean, like Vince took their Bischoff uh, tag to Missy Hyatt. Oh, I'll take care of it. And then he doesn't do it. Um, so, I mean, see we're, how that affected Nick and, uh, and his booking. It's very uh, noticeable. Because I watched a match with him the other day. It was from 
86? Fall 86, maybe something. He's wrestling Steve Lombardi at the guard. Yeah, <laughs> coincidence. And uh, they were, I mean, Gorilla and Lord Alpha were really putting him over on commentary as, you know, it being Gene Kaniski's son and blah, 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 blah. And once he gets everything together, he's going to be a big star, blah, 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 blah. And you can see that this is a guy that they would love to have. You know, his look and everything, his physique, his blonde hair. Yeah, that he's this kind of, you know, Hogan, Wyndham, Spivey type. But then he just goes away, and then all of a sudden, a little bit later after that, he's in AWA. And then he's not there long, and he's gone. I always wonder what what happened to the dude. I mean, because he... He left AWA, and that was it. I mean, he was done with wrestling. I mean, he said he's grateful that he left wrestling. Yeah, I mean, well, he's grateful because of his, you know, he didn't, he didn't have uh, issues with his body like that. You know, right. I mean, the wear and tear and stuff like that. He had a, a few years and uh, had his fun and got up. I mean, his brother quit very young too. If you think about it, Kelly. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kelly was done in '86. He only he was only an active wrestler for, for five years. Did he so, quit right after he got fired by Watts? Yes, he never wrestled again. Uh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. And these are Gene Kaniski's sons. I mean, former world champion Gene Kaniski. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's going to be interesting if, if any more come out. From that you era? Know? I mean, just period. Period. Yeah. Pe- wrestlers, Period. You know, they're going to say anything about, you know, things, you know, not just wrestlers, other people that worked in the company, writers, uh, other office people, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think uh, there's definitely more. I think that's going to come. Well, and- yeah. And, you know, I mean, this is I mean, this thing's just going to keep going and going and going and going and going. Well, especially it's- also the, you know, the federal investigation and all that's going to take time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this ain't going away anytime soon. Um, uh, and then the twenty million dollars settlement to MLW, you know, yeah, they sh- shut them up because like Dave, Dave's theory was interesting to me about how TKO didn't want to dis- go to Discovery because they were afraid of what would ha the stuff that would come out about Dana and Lorenzo. Not as much WWE related, but Dana and Lorenzo related. I don't think from- that would be germane to Discovery though, because of the. T- when the lawsuit covers though it but dave thinks there's some stuff in messages that's gonna that would be bad for them i mean the the plaintiffs in that antitrust you'd already have everything in discovery anyway yeah but still that i mean so i'm i'm curious what dave is thinking because he really didn't elaborate on exactly why he's thinking that but anyway oh Lots going on, so let's get back. Yeah, this was all. But... <laughs> all right, Bo's back with us as we go to the U.S. indie scene, and we start with Herb Abrams and UWF. On Herb Abrams' television show there this past week, he had Captain Lou Albano and Don Morocco out there saying the war shouldn't be exploited to sell wrestling tickets. Then Abrams did all the commercials for his merchandise, saying the profits would go to Operation Desert Storm. Abrams is now claiming he'll have 125 television stations by April, but no television stations seem to know about it. Well, and then well, Matt Watch has this. Lots of jokes about Captain Lou's corner on UWS show Monday. Lou and Don 
the cry wrestling trying to profit from the Gulf War. Then the show immediately goes into pitch mode for support our troops T-shirts. That that sounds more accurate than <clears throat> Dave's version. And then Atlanta-based Show Business Inc., a TV syndication firm, has had legit discussions with Abrams about distributing his UWF series to broadcast stations. Which seems like that's the part of the story that Dave was talking about with the 125 stations. And so, do you recall who Show Business Inc. is? I have no idea who that is. The oh. old Burns. Yep. So, oh, okay. Well, there you go. They put that together. So you said that. Yeah. That's Ninja Bear uh, right there. <clears throat> we never we never saw the TV here. Um he had what was it, Sports Channel America or one he of those? Sports Channel America, he might have had a clearance on Prime. Um I just searched for nineteen ninety one. Do I have it? Oh no, it's by best match. Let's try oldest. I just searched UWF wrestling. And like I'm seeing some broadcast stations in there, so it's I it's not like he had none, um, but I don't know how many there really were. And then you know there's that thing uh, I found it after we did those Herb shows for the Patreon. Like he was claiming that NBC's like international syndication arm would be syndicating his shows internationally. That was true. I found a trade magazine article that mentions UWF wrestling. So, well, yeah, who knows how he swung that deal? But he, we I'm never sure. had in Atlanta. Well, the, but yeah, yeah, I'm not sure how much like broadcast indication he had. I don't think it was that much. Yeah, we never had I, it here. Um, Pedestino never had it in his block. Probably because he saw them as competition, I guess, to GWF. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, how okay, did he about this? Was uh, was IWF ever in the Pedestino block? No. I'm trying to think. Was Rob Brusson's IWA ever in the Pedicino block? No. Uh, this era is the era where we have, you know, basically in the Pedicino block is you got basically two episodes of NWA and two episodes of WF at times. So he's going heavier with those two than any other outside promotions hmm. because they're not competition to him. In that way, where he's he's competing directly against your Herb Abrams of the world, more than he's competing against your WCW WS of the world, because they're they're fighting for the same talent pool. Yes, you know, and of course Memphis is on there, and you know, South Atlantic I think was on there, and stuff like that. Ice Savoldi. How but, how did Abrams end up doing that TV in Spartanburg? Oh, he did a tape in uh, ninety two, I think. Wasn't that yeah, because of, wasn't that because of a uh, boogie and Reb? I mean, I, I, that's where I really first I'd seen the stuff in the magazines about him, but after that taping is where I really first heard the insanity of herb abrams <laughs> well he was, he was From, briefly trying to base out of the carolinas like you look at the torch in that era the torch gives like the home base for different independent and smaller tv promotions and he refers to the uwf as a carolinas promotion that that probably was because of colonel yes my, uh, uh, mighty aspect yeah 
But well, that's yes, um, Yesberg, right? Not yes, Gasberg. Yesberg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he he uh he her Herb thought he stole stole the colonel away from Handsome. <laughs> Handsome was just begging somebody to take him. <laughs> yeah, Twenty-four match TV taping June nineteenth, ninety-two in Spartanburg at Memorial Auditorium. Yeah. That that was when you first started, you know, just people said, this guy, is, uh, he's a lunatic. He's out of his mind. Well, that's also the taping where he does the blade job and feuds with Colonel Red. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> well, there you go. Makes sense. All right. And, uh, so, and, and I should add, yeah. though, of course, that August 21st, 92, for Spartanburg, what ProWrestlingHistory.com has is match results unavailable. The show may have been canceled. <laughs> may have been. Yeah, probably, probably, probably was. All right. Speaking of the Savoldis, the ICW moved to Florida seems to be already dead as they're back running the Northeast and doing their TV show, Pros Produce, out of Rochester. They drew a 600 on March 1st in Staten Island as Vic Steamboat beat Tony Atlas by disqualification. And Joseph Oldie and S.D. Jones appeared. They'll return on April 22nd with Kevin Von Erich on the show. When in 91 is the Rick Rude Honky Tonk Man show? And that already happened? It's or in no? 91. I'm going to go check right uh, now. It, I think it just happened because I remember seeing an ad for that a day or two ago. Somebody was posting like this day in history and it, it was on there. Was that Frank Dusick on Facebook? Because he posts a lot lately of that type of stuff. Uh, no, it was the guy from up in New England, Brett. Uh, oh, gosh, what's Brett's last name? Schwan? No. I don't know if I know a New England, Brett. But I just... Uh, it, it's, I just it's saw, a, yeah, we're close in that era, yeah. Because it said, uh, who would survive the shake, rattle, roll, or the rude awakening? Yeah, who has the greatest... Uh, Neckbreaker finisher of all time. Who's the greatest Continental champion of all time? Yeah, yeah I'm pulling up the well, indie section on the Savoldi uh, streaming service. Well, you know, I mean, if you have those two guys available, I mean, it's a smart move to go and try to book that as a, a deal. It's June because 8th. they're fresh. Yeah. Oh, June 8th. Okay. They're fresh off WF television. Um, They've never had a program. I mean, never Rude, had a program. I mean, they were heels both the whole time. Rude's a babyface here. Yeah, I mean, why not? They just didn't work out for them. Uh, it was funny though to learn too. Like, oh, they had the they had the this little hype thing off this angle they ran for months, and like for years, I and I think everyone else thought, oh, in true Savoldi fashion, you know, this is them promoting a match that never happened and is never going to happen. No, they they ran the match on the same show where they shot that angle. Yeah, yeah. Honky Drew, I was in. I've been in a lot of towns with him over the years, and he he was a draw. Well, he's a a care a very memorable character from the uh, the, the yeah. biggest era. Yeah. So it makes sense that he would be a guy that when you put him on these small towns, I mean that's a big deal. Yeah. See, you know, the the famous honky-tonk man, you know, hell. That's it. It's still very fresh in the mind of the fans. So, makes total sense. 
All right, let's go to Joe Joe Goodhart's TWA, featuring a lot of name big Look at names. Dance. Yeah, Joel ran a show on March second in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Hall, joined seventeen thirty five with a thirty two thousand six hundred twenty nine dollar gate. Alperez pinned Stan Lane, one star. JT Smith with a Royal Rubble, one star. Best guy in was a guy named Rockin' Rebel. Okay. Um, th- <laughs> thank you, Chuck Williams, for your correspondence report. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I got to think that uh, Rebel would not have had kind words for uh, David Allen Meltzer. <laughs> Ivan Cole beat Manny Fernandez in a chain match when there was a rep bump, and Nikita closed line Manny, one star. Nikita was supposed to work, but instead did an interview and said he didn't want to wrestle anyone but Lex Luger. There you go, playing off the WCW angle. Katniss Jap and Eddie Gilbert in a brawl over the building that was said to have been incredible. When Eddie's valet, Veronica Lane, threw her shoe to Eddie, but Katniss got it and used it. Eddie juiced heavily. Katniss took crazy bumps and suplexed the table on the Gilbert outside the ring. Four stars. Wait, what is Veronica Lane doing here? Who knows? God, I looked for her to do some kind of shoot interview or something at some point. The the torch uh, jokingly had this match at fifty stars. Uh, I'm not lying. That's what it said. Uh, the Sheik, as in sixty five year old Ed Farhat, went to a double count out with Abdullah the Butcher. As both guys juiced naturally and brought all over the place, and all the undercard guys tried to pull them apart. And Farhat, who had a blade in every finger, bladed each guy one by one. Three stars. As wrestling, well, there was none. But for what the sheet was supposed to do, he was incredible as he scared everyone in sight with his maniacal actions. Tony Stetson over Johnny Hotbody in a barbed wire match. Both men juiced from the head. Hotbody bled from the chest. One star. JT Smith beat DC Drake by DQ and Larry Winters ran in with a ref shirt and attacked JT after a rep bump. DC was managed by woman, star and a half. And Terry Font went to WQ with Jerry Law in a USWA title match with fans as Lumberjacks. By this time, it was after 11 p.m., and they'd seen rep bumps, hot shot finishes, and juice in just about every match. So these guys couldn't get heat, which says something about burning out a crowd when Funk can't get heat. Both worked hard, however, three stars. All right, Bo, well, let's touch on that real quick. This is the era, and it shows like this is where we begin to have these types of situations where you have from the opening match on – you know, all kinds of hot, high spots, you know, weapons, blood, you know, this, that, another. And it takes away from what wrestling kind of used to be, where you built up to all that stuff on these shows. Well, you know how we got there, right? How did we get there, Bo? Anybody can run a wrestling program now. Yes. You got phone numbers, you got a ring, you got a building, you can run. And Joel Goodhart is a is a famously known wrestling fan. But right. also nope. also ring announced as well in Philly but, shows. And did but, help promote some Crockett spot shows, or at least one. Yeah, but nobody's ever smartened him up. Nobody's ever taught him how to book. Nobody's ever taught him the inner workings of the business. Nobody's taught him the business side. Of the business. Well, that's true, as we find, we find so this out. this is about a guy that's just now, he got phone numbers, he rented a building, he rented a ring, and he's playing wrestling promoter. He's fantasy booking what he wants to see and doesn't care if the people in the audience 
wants to see it or not. And actually, in his mind, he believes everybody in the audience wants to see the same thing he does. And he yeah. does. I mean, you look right here. You went from the sheik and the butcher to barbed wire to this and that. Do you follow a shooting with a stabbing or a stabbing with a shooting? <laughs> do you hang somebody then decapitate them? I mean, what what do you do? There's no flow in the program. There's no, there's no nothing. It's just this is what I want because this is what I went to bed early last night to dream about how great this match is going to be. <laughs> and that's and, before we even get into the economics of all this. Right, right. Which because I mean, he's drawn a thirty thousand dollar house and probably lost a ton of money. So because. Good. I mean, look how many fly-ins he got and the guarantees he's got. And, and I mean, every show that he did was that way. But he 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 is the guy that was a huge wrestling fan that assumed everybody liked the wrestling he did. And he's thinking back to going to Great American Bashes to where you had the Russian chain matches and the scaffold matches and the blah, blah, blah. That's one time a year you get a gimmick show like that. He's trying to do it every month or every three months or ever how much he was running. And he needed a booker. He needed somebody to be the puppet master of you put this match on here. I mean, he put a Royal Rumble on second. <laughs> yeah, let me because in his mind, I've got to get all the ticket sellers out there and they can all be a part of it, but I don't <laughs> want to be, I don't want that to be in one of the main events. He should have put it on last. Okay. Because the, so, the people that came to see him, these people would have stayed all night to see them. Okay. That is a great point. That was one of the two things I wanted to mention. Chris and I noticed something when we did that Good Heart Patreon show. That, that there's a show in 91 that just bombs. It was like, what, like 600 people, but with plenty of big names? Something like that, Chris? Yeah. And we're looking and we and I'm like, wait a second. This doesn't have the usual locals throughout the card. And then we're like, oh, these shows were drawing a, a massive amount of the crowd from the locals, you know, selling the tickets directly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is something I've never seen anyone really talk about with good art, but. I feel like if you're doing one of those loaded shows and it didn't draw and the only thing that makes sense is that, I just don't know what other reason there could be, especially knowing how indie wrestling works. Um, the other thing, so I pulled up the notes from the Patreon show. I wanted to read part of the wrestling perspective, like retrospective on the TWA that closes the show because it gets into some of the things we're talking about here. One of Goodhart's biggest problems was the way he booked his cards. First blood matches, steel cage matches, brawling the seats, and heavy juice were staples of the TWA promotion. Although there were some fans who went to TWA cards spe to specifically see juice festivals, there were just as many, or maybe more, who refused to see another Goodhart card. Reportedly, dozens of fans walked out of some TWA cards due to their excessive violence. Additionally, many TWA cards were over four hours long. Between the unrestrained violence and the sheer length of the cards, many fans were burned out prior to the card's main events. He would book matches that he'd want to see and not matches the fans would want to see, Larry Sharp said. 
if he would have sat down and listened to what the people were trying to tell him when they called to his radio station and sorted out the good from the bad, he probably would have been successful. Goodhart, however, refused to listen. He did things his own way and wouldn't take advice from anyone. Goodhart brought in top independent talent and paid them top dollar. Sharp claims Goodhart paid certain wrestlers $1,000 to $1,200 per an appearance, while Excalibur Promotions, which was Dennis Corluzzo's thing with Larry, paid those same wrestlers $500 a show. Goodhart charged more for his big shows than the WWF or WCW, but he was able to draw more fans than WCW could in Philadelphia. Although Goodhart drew strong houses to Pennsylvania Hall, some as much as $30,000 to $35,000, he lost money on nearly all of them. At the same time, a $9,000 to $10,000 Excalibur show would net three dollars to $4,000 for Sharp and Corluzzo. Although the big-name big talent drew people TWA shows, Goodhart should have taken the time to work in his work with his local core wrestlers, including DC Drake, Johnny Hotbody, Tony Stetson, and JT Smith. He had the right idea when he opened up a local wrestling school, but he failed to follow through, instead of promoting his own wrestlers properly, decided to bring in top wrestlers, and when Goodhart presented spot shows, attendance was low because nobody wanted to see local wrestlers. Yeah, because he, he never... He never built a local name. They were just sell these tickets and you get to be on this card with all of these superstars where he didn't try to build any local guys. He didn't book any of his local guys with a name guy and in about the payoffs, <clears throat> there was, here's how everything was priced back then when you were booking guys that had just came off of TV. There was a Southeast price, there was a Northeast price, and there was a Midwest price. The Northeast price was double to three times what they were getting anywhere else in the country. There was a weeknight price and a weekend price. If you book somebody on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night, you're going to get them a whole lot cheaper than you're going to get them on a Saturday night. Because you have to remember, we wrestled every night back then. And these, there were towns running all the time. But then there also was that deal if, say, I call you, Bix, and I say, hey, I want to book Chris. Uh, do you have his number? Could I get that from you? You would give it to me. As soon as I hung up, if I was Joe Goodhart, you would call Chris, and you would say four times what you're asking. <laughs> He's a mark. So... <laughs> you would actually end up going for, but well, some of these guys never even tried to negotiate. They would call and go, what's your price? And they would get the price and they go, okay, I'd like to book you. They wouldn't say, could you come down a little bit? You know, I got to fly. you. I got, plus he's flying these people in putting them up. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, plus the rent on the buildings up there are a whole lot more than they are here. This guy, it's hard telling how much money he lost in in this short run of TWA. The but number we had was, Chris, the number we had on the show, I think, was pre-TWA. It was the money he'd lost on all the other stuff, right? Um, Sounds about right. So but, it just... but, 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 but Goodhart is the, he's the first of that type of promoter. Basically, you know, he to really get out there. 
he is the first that people know about. In, the, in like in a major way. And doing like yeah. a super indie. Yeah. Because uh because he had some magazine coverage because he was in Philly. Yeah. And you know, that that's kind of but no, there were some other people that well, was of course there was, yeah. You know, trying it. Uh um his name is one. Yeah. 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 Well, go or, or maybe. His name, was definitely out there and it was definitely known that if you were a name wrestler, he would, um, he would pay you and, um, pay you a lot more than you were asking. (laughs) And he wanted to hang out with you. And he actually believed you were his friend. And he was just a complete Mark. And then the stories from the local guys were, he would give you this many tickets, and whoever sold the most tickets could win the Battle Royal. Well, some of them guys would really push the tickets because they wanted to win the Battle Royal, <laughs> and some other guys just wanted to get paid and be on the show with the big guys. So say they got 10 tickets or they got five, or 20 tickets, and they would say, well, I sold 15. Here's, here's the other tickets back in the money. But they actually sold all of them. They just handed in the money. And they were keeping money, so I, I would imagine trying to him trying to do his books was a nightmare of actually how much money came back in and, and how much he had in hand and all that. Um, I don't think that he was a bad guy. For, I mean, nobody's ever said that, but he he allowed himself to be taken advantage of because he had no clue of what the wrestling business was. For more on Joel Goodhart, patreon.com slash between the sheets. Oh, yes. All right, let's go to South Atlantic Pro Wrestling. They ran a show in Newberry, South Carolina on March 2nd. We have Sumo Ricky over Butch Malone. American GI over the Nazi Stormtrooper. I presume that's Stormtrooper from Knoxville. No. Nope. Not? Okay. There were uh, were others. There were others. These were... Two blonde-headed guys. Both of them are named Chuck. Uh, <laughs> I believe both. I believe both of them have passed away now. Chris Chavis over Sam Houston by disqualification, and Bobby and Jackie Fulton over Sam Houston and Robert Fuller. So interesting to see Sam doing double duty and uh, being a heel here. Yeah, heel Sam Houston. Yeah, you didn't see that much. So, uh, South Atlantic is really starting to, uh, take a downward turn here at this point in time. This is, this is the end. I mean, it's, it's getting close. They run another full year. Yeah. They run another <laughs> yeah. year. This is like the winding down of the original run. Yeah. We, we, you know, this is the era where we don't have TV basically. Yes. Yeah. And they, um, they change owners at this point and, and, yeah, it's it's a mess. Speaking of messes, let's go to the torch. As far as Joe Pettacino's global group, the latest tentative start date is April 21st. The detailed work on financial backing was said to be still worked on as of a couple weeks ago. The Omni is being talked about as a debut location for global. The Omni. <sighs> <laughs> now, now, okay. 
But I mean, we're, we're into March. No one thinks there's an old Oliami anymore, I don't think. The- financial backing. De- de- detail work on the financial backing. That's the way the way uh, sentence there. That means he's scrambling to find the money that he yes. thought he had. You know, on Carol Overstreet. Here, Joe is the opposite of Goodhart. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Joe was the guy that was smart to the business and had been involved in the business end of the business and everything else. I mean, <sighs> Goodhart and Pedicino should have hooked up with each other and they could have maybe had something. <laughs> yeah, he could have been only only on me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Joe, how did this happen? Uh, uh, it, it, goes back to, it goes back to the Patreons that we did about John Collins. Yeah. To where, you know, there was someone who said, so, show us a certified check. <laughs> we want to see one cert- certified check. Just show us one for a million dollars. Just show one check for a million dollars certified that it's there. And he couldn't. He, but he had securities and the letter of and a letter of credit from an international bank. He also had a word processor and a copy machine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing to uh to see this stuff go on with these guys in this era, people that you would have thought would have known better, you know, the fall for some stupid shit. But yeah, I mean, and the thing I nope. don't fully get is because this is so much more involved than your usual Nigerian scam. Is like, what was Olu Oliemi's endgame, and how? Like, I, 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 you know what I mean. This is not your usual thing, and it's like. I, no one's ever said oh. that he got any money out of Joe, right? Right. But here, here, I've seen this. I've seen this, not to this level, but I've seen this many times over the years where these guys come around and, and oh, I have this much money. Let me back your little independent promotion and let me talk to you. They just wanted to be important for a day or two. But this they guy, just, so you think he just happened to be Nigerian? You don't think he was no. actually a Nigerian scammer, so to speak? No. I don't no. know that he was Nigerian. Yeah, we don't, we don't really know that, I mean, in particular. But the thing is, as we discussed in the Patreon show, because you got to remember this, the relationship between Carol Lindsay Overstreet and Oli Emmy is longer than the relationship between Joe Pettacino right. and Oli Emmy. Right. As best as we can tell... The reason that she decides to back global once it actually gets going is she feels guilty for vouching for Oluoliemi. Exactly. But he was her agent. Not was agent as in Yeah, he was the when we did when we did the LLC thing. He was the agent for the LLC. Her LLC. That's right. He, that he was on her one of her other LLCs. I forgot about that. Yeah, he was the Johnson Oliemi was the agent. So he's that's also what it comes into. There is also a big possibility that he is using them to scam other people because he's telling other people, look, I've got this wrestling deal going with Pedicino and with this and that. How on television. Like? They show him on TV. On TV. Yeah, because they were, they were talking about him and 
he was even on sitting in the crowd at the Nashville Fairgrounds, and yeah. uh, you know they're going to buy the USWA and all this stuff. So there he is. Yeah, I was just on ESPN Monday. I'll sell you five percent for twenty five grand. <laughs> I mean, it, it was right there. I mean, and what can you say? You said, well, shit, he's on television, right? This so, can't be. This can't be a lie. I don't think he got his money from them, but I, also uh, he was eating up the attention. He was John Collins. John Collins just wanted to be a big shot. He wanted to be a big wheel. But well, John well, Collins though also had the money of the Canadian guy too that he was laundering. He, but no, he was he was okay. He was. I don't know how much he ended up getting. He put very little of what he actually got into the wrestling. Okay. He loved the attention of having these wrestlers at his house and him riding around Evansville on the limo with them. And they're going to old Charlie's and he felt like he was on top of the world and he lived it to the fullest until it died. And when it died, it died fast. Then he has a heart attack, supposedly, and he has the ulcers, and he has this, and he has that, because now he's just back down here. But there for a few weeks, few months, he was at top of the world. People were calling him from the websites and from the sheets, and he was wrestlers were calling him and kissing his ass and just licking his taint, just <laughs> wanting to be on part of whatever he was doing. They were just so happy. This man is the greatest guy in the world. And but the, the ones of us that actually knew what it, right. But the ones of us that actually knew what it took to run knew, hey, we and we're the only ones that <laughs> me and Scotty Ace are the only ones that actually delivered and actually made our money that we were promised because we did what we said we were going to do. But I have seen this Barry Hill in North Carolina. Has this mystery man, has this guy that's going to back him in 95, they're going on ESPN too, they're going to run all these towns. He, This guy booked buildings everywhere. And he's taken off, they're going to run, they're going to do this and that. He calls me the first day, tries to give me something like 38 dates. And I said, let's do the first one to see where it goes from there. When we get there the first night, guess who the money man is? Who is it? Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Everybody knew right then <laughs> we're screwed. This guy is, this Barry Hill is royally screwed. Uh. Charlie Babb ends up leaving at intermission with all the money that comes through the door. <laughs> There's no money to pay the boys. Cops are called. Guy's stuff is destroyed. His clothes are cut to shreds. The guy that brings the ring says, I feel sorry for you, buddy. Come on, Charlie left you. Get in the, get in the ring truck. We'll take you home. They get him on I-40. They pull over. They jerk him out of the car beat him within an inch of his life, strip him naked, and leave him on the interstate. Jesus. And nobody ever saw or heard from him ever again. Good Lord. So, wow. one, of the good, one of the good things about 
the digital age and the internet age that we live in now, these guys can look up somebody or know about them. But the problem is there's people that are still running these scams out here and no people just want to believe it so bad. They want yeah. to believe it so bad they're still getting taken. Yes. There's yeah. no on the flip side, you can look up a William Quintana from Prestige and see, okay, yes, his family owns all these cannabis farms and dispensaries. He has the money, even if these shows don't seem like they're going to make money. Okay. You can look up Scott Perganti from West Coast Pro and see, okay, yes, he became very successful with his deals site and has the money. But, but they don't always it, make that effort, and then when the people don't have the money... But here's the thing. I mean, you got to remember... We, you would think, and we would think that the the people in this country would be smart enough not to fall for stupid shit like that. Let me tell you that, I mean, on the local news last week, they were talking about the um, these scammers that are scamming people in uh, in Metro Atlanta of. Uh, calling them up and saying that they didn't show for jury duty and tell them that they must pay this amount of money or they're going to be arrested. Okay. Yep. Something that should be, I mean, very easy to know that's a scam because that would never happen. They would never call you up and tell you that you're going to be locked up if you, and ask for money. They never, they're not going to do that. They will send you a letter in the mail or something like that. They were frauding people for tens of thousands of dollars. Well, Chris, did you see the thing that went viral a few weeks ago? The New York Magazine thing? What? The financial advice columnist for New York York Magazine got scammed out of $50,000. The best part of... That's crazy. The best part about the whole uh, thing about the, the jury duty, they actually called the sheriff of Cobb County and said, uh, Hey, you didn't show up for jury duty. Blah, blah, blah. We're in the Cobb County Sheriff's Department, and this and the and the, du- and the sheriff's like, I am the sheriff. And when he told them that, they hung up. <laughs> so this one, the New York Magazine financial advice columnist was calling, calling this woman, like at pretending to be Amazon. Saying there's a lot, a lot of that going on. Well, too, yes. but it's not the usual though. And then it becomes this elaborate thing where someone stole her identity, and Amazon transfers her to like the State Department, who transfers her to the CIA, and the CIA convinces her that she needs to withdraw fifty thousand in cash and put it in a shoebox and throw it in the window of an unmarked car for safekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, how do you fall for something like that? That's insane. But that's where we're at. People are gullible yeah. as shit, even today. Well, well I mean, probably today, even probably even more today. Well, today it doesn't help though that like, especially if you're you not using a cell phone, um, and don't have spam blockers. I mean, you're just inundated, and that means also, especially older people, just inundated with scams all day. No, well, no. Here's the thing, Bex. Here's the thing with this, with the thing about the jury duty thing. They're spoofing the number of the sheriff's department. Oh no, no, I know. But even then, like the spam blockers often still work fairly well, even if they're spoofing the numbers. I've had my own. I've had my own cell phone call me. 
Oh, I've seen, I've had that. My own number. <laughs> I just laugh at it. Like, shit, no way I'm not picking this up. You know, I don't answer none of that stuff. But, yeah, I, I mean, and, and the whole thing was, you know, it's always the, the whole racket was just go out there senior citizens. Now, oh, no, now it's everybody. And people just fall for this shit. Like, like it's nothing. I'm like, God damn, how could you be so stupid? But that's. Hey. I mean, that's, these wrestling these these people want to be wrestling promoters. Same thing. I, I tell. But here's the thing: this Joe Gerthart Goodhart was the beginning of promoters that didn't care if they made money. They didn't want to lose money, but they didn't care if they made money. Yeah. They didn't eat off of it. They didn't clothe their family off of it. They didn't pay their bills off of it. It yeah. was a, it was a fantasy hobby. And look here, I'm getting rub elbows with Abdullah and the, and the Sheik. Well, they're not. They're they're, they're they're also not running territories. They're running maybe once a month, every other month. So yeah. that's another huge difference. And and you you still have it now. I mean, you have people running shows now. They know they're going to lose X amount of dollars, but they don't care because them and their buddies are going to go hang out with this guy that they saw on TV. We're going to fly him in a day early, put him in a hotel. We're going to take him out when he gets here to Applebee's. We're going to take him to the IHOP the next morning for breakfast. We're going to take him to Ruby Tuesdays for lunch. Then we're going to make (laughs) it to the town. We're going to hang out with him there all day. Then when it's all over with, We'll go back to Applebee's where we was at the night before to make sure that if it was anybody didn't see us, they'll see us with him again tonight, and they'll report. <laughs> then we'll pay another night room, and then we'll fly him out Sunday after we take him back to breakfast again. So now they pay <laughs> five meals, two nights of rooms, and, and flight plus an over-exaggerated price that he's getting anywhere else just so they can hang out with him and post a freaking picture on Facebook and say, he's down to earth. That drives me out of my mind. Everybody that meets somebody goes, he's such a down-to-earth guy. Of course he is. You just handed him thousands of dollars. He's not going to get off the plane and go, hey, you fat piece of shit. He's going to say, hey, buddy, how are you doing? You all right? Nice to meet you. Oh, you're so smart. Oh, that match. Your kids working for you are so great. They're going to make it. Every one of them is going to WWE. When they get their Hall of Fame ring, you're going to get called out from stage. In fact, they may get so many rings, they may even be wearing them on their feet. So, and it's this is what you could get guys in '91 right off of television who were legendary names Ivan Koloff, Wahoo McDaniel, Tommy Rich, all these guys that you could draw houses with them and them alone for anywhere from $250 to 500 bucks. Now you have guys coming off of TV asking for 10 grand when they won't draw you five cents and even money. And you got these goofs paying it just so they can spend the weekend with them and hang out. 
And then the guy will say as he's getting ready to get on the plane, I really enjoyed you and your buddies, and I really like coming here. If you'd like to keep using me, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut it in half. Instead of 10 grand, you give me five grand. Then they think they're getting a deal and they book the some bitch right there again. But they don't realize the people just saw him. They've already seen him. They've bought the merchandise. There's no reason to bring that guy back to your town ever. And then they can't figure out when they bring him back, well, I'm paying him half the money, but he drew one quarter of the house that he drew last month because they've seen him. Nobody's ever smartened these people up. You cannot smarten them up. So that's where we're at. And this this right here, Goodhart, is the beginning of all that. And yep. nobody has bothered nobody has bothered to relive his history to see how he ended up mm-hmm. and how global ended up or whatever else to realize maybe I shouldn't get involved in this business because these, no matter how much they don't want to admit they're carnies and they want to say we got to get the carnies out of the wrestling business, they're carnies. <laughs> Everybody in this business is a carny. You're taking money from somebody. Now, are yep. you a good carny and know how to nickel and dime and get a little bit? That way you don't break anybody, but you take just enough from everybody to make the same amount. <laughs> or are you a guy that's going to try to take it all at one time, bleed the town, kill the promotion, and keep <laughs> anybody else from making any money? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, let's, let, let's go to an indie scene that doesn't have any carnies now as we move on to Florida. <laughs> no, no, no carnies there. Uh, Suncoast Pro Wrestling. This is from Matt Watch. Drew 275 at the Manatee Civic Center for a TV taping on March 2nd in a loosely Florida match. Penelope Paradise beat Debbie Drake and Gator Gilmore defeated a mass superstar by reversal. And that would have been Bob Cook. Yeah, Bob Cook. And a Southern title match, Nasty Ned Brady and Soul Force went to the WDQ. And the main event, Dick Slater beat Tommy Rogers. And Debbie Drake is Debbie Malenko getting ready to move to Japan to live yeah. in Georgia. And whoever, whoever ran that show right there and drew 275 people off of that one program right there, that one match in Matinee, Florida, Made more money than Joe Pettacino or Joe Goodhart ever did running. Not in that <laughs> building, though, Bo. That's, That's a like big a building. Four thousand seat building. Well, they didn't lose as much then. They still <laughs> left. It's a public building. Maybe it wasn't that expensive, but yeah. I mean, they 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 drew less than Herb drew for Beach Brawl. Yeah, yeah but like they didn't have television people there, right? They didn't have the television stars that Herbie had. Well, yeah, but Herb didn't have television in Florida. Well, there's that too. They got Greg right. Slater and Tom Rogers. Yeah, that's what they got. All right, uh, staying with Matt Watts, Jim Cornette is entering a sidelight business. He's going to be a distributor of the same kind of water and air filters that Austin Idol's been successfully selling. What? Bo, you know anything about this? I know that uh, Jimmy Golden made a lot of money doing that. Really? Um, it's it's. Uh, uh, the air filter, the water, it's it's water filters. It's what it is. It's a system you put in your um, you put in your uh, house where your main water supply comes in, and then you would pour salt in the the like a barrel, and it would soften your water. It, it was for places that 
had hard water, like rural little areas and towns. And uh, Jimmy Golden, his wife, had one of those businesses for quite a while and did very well with it. Is it a multiple um, marketing type thing? or uh, No, I mean, I, I'm sure you got something for bringing somebody in, but no, I mean, it was... It was an actual, uh, we had one in our house um, where I grew up because we live out in the country and water was hard. I mean, now the now Jonesboro water and Kingsport water come into Fall Branch, so you're getting city water now, as they call it. But it was, it was a water purifier and softener is what it was. There was a lot of the boys doing it. I, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to think too well. Ron Fuller might have been involved in that too. Um, there was, <laughs> there was two kinds of options for the boys coming out of the territories at this time. There was this business that was proven successful that everybody that was involved with it seemed to do pretty good. Then there was Bill Watch's Omni, uh, Omnitrition, Omnitrition, whatever it was. Yeah. Omnitrition. Yeah. Which Ivan Koloff and a whole bunch of other people were involved in. And, and that was definitely multi-level marketing. Oh, yeah, ended up having lawsuits and all kinds of stuff. But I, I never knew Cornette was in. I just, I can't see Jimmy going door to door selling in little <laughs> towns where people are going to know who he is. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I've never heard that Jimmy did that business. I just, I don't, I don't see that being real. <laughs> no, an omnitrition still exists, by the way. Well, the thing is, really, I, I mean, the thing is, though, with this bow is this Steve Beverly reporting it. So and he's talking yeah. to Jimmy during our week. We're going to get into that. So he's talking to well, Jimmy. So that's where it comes from. Jimmy may have been interested in it, seeing how the boys are doing it. But then he realizes what they have, what they had to do. Like Jimmy Golden's wife, Patsy would go out and sell it. And then Jimmy would install it. Uh huh. You know, um and show them how to do it. Um, imagine, imagine you being in somewhere in Tennessee and you're buying this water deal. And here's Jimmy Golden walking in your house to install it. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> Maybe that's where the bunkhouse buck outfit came from. It was functional <laughs> for when we needed to install water filters. <laughs> Our idol knocking on your door. Hey, darling. <laughs> you have hard water? <laughs> yeah, idol. Austin Idol showing up in your house, knocking on your door. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, uh. <laughs> oh, these, ra- these wrestlers, I tell you, they follow, find, a, find a some way to make a dollar. That, that's what it is. Yeah. And, I mean, doing something like that, you know, with all their years of cutting promos and working in crowds, I mean, that helps them in being salesmen because they're selling their, you know, the, the house shows and stuff like that. Why can't they sell some water filters? Like 10 years after this week, there was um, carpet cleaning businesses that some of the boys were involved in, and they were selling the stuff to hotel chains making some money yeah and they would go and uh 
demonstrated a big hotel and they would start on one end of the hallway and go all the way up cleaning it and go and look at that. So could you imagine walking in there and seeing a big time famous wrestler shampooing and cleaning the carpets? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's always been something that, you know, Freddie Blassie's inventions of selling them never caught on though. Like the dick stretcher. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Well, Blassie. Had, <laughs> well, Blassie had all kind of shit going on. Though. I mean, he he was into all kinds of shit. You know, make try to make money. So that's a whole other deal did he, there. Did he try to resell his uh, as Meltzer <laughs> referred to them in the obituary, his miniature porn books that he collected? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, talk about eventual had... pyramid schemes. Let's go to the USWA. Home of the pyramid. Uh, Memphis. All right. Uh, it looks like the relationship between USWA and the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis is about to end. Jerry Lawler, in an article in this past Tuesday's Memphis Commercial Appeal, claimed that Mid-South Coliseum manager Beth Wade had taken steps to hurt wrestling attendance by cutting the promotion's revenue, specifically rising charges for security and adding a $2 parking fee for the Monday night shows. At press time, Jarrett was settled keeping with weekly wrestling schedule at Memphis, but moving the shows to the Pitkin Building, an agricultural exhibition hall at the fairgrounds, which will seat approximately 2,500 fans. While the cost of running such a building will be lower, it will also cut down on whatever casual fan interest is left in the promotion. Ironically, the move comes at a bad time for the Coliseum itself, since wrestling was one of its prime tenants left. Most of the major events of the Coliseum, like Memphis State Basketball, are getting ready to move to a new building called... The Pyramid, a 23,000-seater, which opens shortly. Lawler claimed the weekly costs to rent the building have risen to $4,000, a base rent of $1,300 plus other costs. The security costs of the promotion increased to $1,500 on their way. Dave Meltzer's been told that break-even for the promotion on a weekly basis in the building was approximately a $9,000 house. A figure that's only been reached two or three times in the past four months. Jarrett was also said about a surcharge on the ticket sales increased from $0.50 cents to a dollar and a quarter, and the parking fee, which was added seven months ago. Now let's go to Steve Beverly. In the story by uh, the appeal writer Phil Stunkenborg, what a name, Jerry Jarrett called Wade, quote, unquestionably the worst person I've ever dealt with in 32 years in the wrestling business, unquote. To be clear, that's Beth Wade, not Wade Keller. Well, yes. Uh, Wade told Stunkenborg she was shocked at Jarrett's decision, adding, it came as quite a surprise because of it's such a long-term relationship. The late Nick Goulas from the, the Minnesota Coliseum debut in 1968. No. Jarrett cited the increase. Or something? This is what the appeal said. Jarrett cited yeah, the increase. One. Yeah, Jarrett cited the increasing user fees as a reason his crowds have declined. The promoter told the newspaper, a $7 ringside ticket became eight and a quarter, and along with a $2 parking charge, if a single person drove up to the Coliseum, it cost him $10.25. But other insiders suggest the root of the problem is the city. With the loss of Memphis State gains and facing more big ticket events, going to the pyramid could no longer afford to give wrestling favored financial status. Beth Wade is strictly trying to keep the building on a solid footing financially, said one official who declined to be named. Another source close to the promotion said, behind all the smoke, the fact is, Jerry can no longer afford the cost. He has to go close to a sell in three years. And when you can sit at home and watch 15 hours of wrestling for free on television every week, with bigger stars, you're not going to go to a weekly wrestling show. They weren't drawing big crowds even before the feeds went up. In fact, 
the four-week series in January and February, reviving the fabulous ones of Jim Cornette in the building, which drew a high of only 7,500 and a low of 4,800. The crowd for the March the 4th show, an estimated $11,200. Jarrett and Wade have also exchanged public disputes over crowd behavior in the MSC. Jarrett told Appeal that Wade has told Lawler Wrestling Drew, quote, an undesirable element. If our fans are undesirable, we are undesirable. Wade denies ever making that statement, but said complaints that come from other fans attend the shows. Jarrett and Lawler negotiated a movement to the 3000 seat building at the Mid-South Fairgrounds, the Farmer Coliseum. Some veteran ringsiders who have seen USWA crowds dwindle say the move will be better and make Monday nights not seem so sparse. But long-timers feel it's also time Jerry can see he can't continue to maintain a weekly card in Memphis with success. Now, Matt Watts contacted Jim Cornette in his Charlotte, North Carolina home Thursday night, and he lamented the end of the era. I still think they can work something out, said Cornette. Of course, when we went there in January, you could tell it wasn't quite the same. Not just the houses were down, but people just sat there during a lot of the show, and it wasn't like it used to be. Cornette believes the hardcore fans will hang with Jared. Even if we have a move to an agricultural exhibition building, believe, believes the aura is probably over. Though we pretty quick, it won't be the same as Coliseum, said Cornette. You'd think the Coliseum people would be doing everything they could to make the rest of the people happy since they're in there 50 times a year. All right, Bo. The undesirable element of wrestling fans. Uh, what was that code for? Poor people and black people. <laughs> I mean, real quick, just so people understand, because it's not a term that's used much anymore. Undesirable element, or even just the element, was a very common, like, racist term among, like, white flight types in, like, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Beth Wade was not from Memphis. Yeah, she's from uh, Michigan. She did not understand the appeal of wrestling. She did not understand the importance of wrestling to that city. She did not understand anything about it. She wanted bigger concerts. She wanted bigger events. She wanted, she thought the fact that it was Mid-South Coliseum, the home of weekly wrestling, she thought that hurt her getting anybody else to come in there to rent that place. Well, maybe that pyramid being built across town might have (laughs) something to do with that. Yes. The big building, new big shiny building. The city built that pyramid because they desperately wanted a professional sports team. Always have still. I mean, still to this day. They got the Grizzlies now. Yeah, uh, I mean, but I mean, they they always want an NFL team. Yeah, you know, they got the Grizzlies. They've had yeah. the Grizzlies for years. Yeah, but they they've but always they, won NFL. They dabbled in baseball. You know. Yeah, they uh, they have a Triple A team for the Cardinals. They had a World Football League team. They had a USW uh, USFL team. She thinks if I run them out of the here, and then. Everybody's going to come running. She made it as hard as possible for everybody involved with wrestling to run there. Now, the move from the Pipkin to the Pipkin building, which Dave doesn't or whoever wrote that doesn't understand where it's at because it says on the fairgrounds. Okay. 
The Mid-South Coliseum was on the Mid-South Fairgrounds. So was the Liberty Bowl. They were side by side. On the other front side, when you came in the big parking lot, there was the fairground buildings. Liberty Land was right there. All that was the fairground compound, which it's all gone now except the Coliseum and the Liberty Bowl. It literally was across the parking lot. So they weren't leaving. They were just switching next door uh, to the Pipkin building. So I don't know if she had control of the Pipkin building or just the Coliseum. I don't know if the the Mid-South Fair was different. It looks like it's just the Coliseum. Okay. Um, But I'm, I'm guessing they still had to rent the Pipkin building from the city. Yeah, it um, didn't have Beth Wade, and it was cheaper. It didn't have Beth Wade. She wanted, I don't know what she thought she was going to get if she got wrestling out of there. Well, uh, here's, the, here's, uh, the, here's the thing, Bo. I mean, real quick before. They, they lost Memphis State. They knew for sure Memphis State was leaving. Well, before Bits gets going with his point, it's not wrestling that's the problem. We'll have more on that later. All right, Bits, go ahead. Um, so it, it's getting distorted here a little bit. What's in the newsletters is actually combining stuff from different articles on back-to-back days. Um, there's a, like a generic Lawler quote that I don't think I need to read, but mentions the undesirable element thing in the one, in one of them. And then what's not mentioned here is Beth Wade gives her side in the article that runs the next day. Okay. Unless that's in the stuff you have later. Um, uh, no, 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 no. We're as far as in this general section, we're done with Beth Wade. Okay. So here's what we got on the sixth, so the last day of our week. Matt exits Stuns Arena. Wrestlers continue angry words, seek new sight. By Phil Stu- uh, Stukenborg. Ms. Alcalcia manager Beth Wade said Tuesday she was shocked when professional wrestling organizer told her last month, excuse me, they would be vacating the facility after next Monday's bout. But she said she's negotiating with Atlanta-based World Championship Wrestling to secure another professional wrestling That's what we're going to talk about later on. Wrestler Jerry Lawler, a partner in Memphis Wrestling Enterprises, said Monday his group's 13-year run at the Coliseum would be ending because of differences with the Coliseum officials regarding higher fees, uh, blah, 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 fairgrounds, uh... The loss of weekly rest of a weekly wrestling card would eliminate approximately 50 dates a year from the Galveston calendar. But Ms. Wade said she hopes to attract quote unquote specialty acts in addition to pro wrestling to build the void. World Championship Wrestling, she said, would be a once monthly event at best. Ms. Wade said Lawler told her two weeks ago Memphis Wrestling Enterprises would be leaving the Coliseum after March 11th. It came as quite a surprise because it had been such a long term relationship, said Ms. Wade, who was hired last June. Like Lawler, Jarrett was critical of Ms. Wade's management, calling her unquestionably the worst person I've dealt with in 32 years of the wrestling business. Uh, Jarrett, you know, talking about the increased fees and stuff. Ms. Wade said charges for security increased in the summer when attendance was greater, but decreased in the fall. Uh, Then the Jarrett quote about the increase in the prices and all that. And then uh, undesirable element again. And then closes with this from Beth Wade about the undesirable element line. That was never was a quote out of my mouth. We never had a conversation concerning the makeup of his audience. 
but we had so many of his regular fans feeling this had become an undesirable audience. Uh, thoughts on that? Well, I mean, episode? she's saying she never had a conversation with Lawler or, or Jared about it. But oh, the regular uh, this I, it is something the regular fans had been saying. So what? You didn't bring it up to him, even though it was a thing that the fans were telling. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The crowds increased in the summer. The schools out. Memphis was more of a Memphis and Knoxville did better in the summer than they did in the winter for other reasons than like Tri-Cities and Nashville did better in the winter months than they did in the summer months. It's just was part of the beast of booking and all that. She hired more security because she saw more black people in the building and was scared (laughs) and charged off for it. Um, she does not know the history. She's seeing TBS and thinking, we'll run these this local redneck crap out of here with all these undesirables. We'll bring in Ted Turner's wrestling, and he'll fill it up. They never drew in Memphis. No. Nope. Crockett didn't draw there. WCW didn't draw there when they took over. In fact, there was even the time they wanted to turn the house lights out and turn the ring lights above the ring on, and the the building told them uh, those lights belong to Jerry Lawler and we're not allowed to touch them. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to leave all the lights on when WCW was in there. Um, and by the way, WCW does not end up running the Coliseum in this period. Right. This does not happen. Jerry, Jared, Jared and Lawler wanted to keep the ticket prices close to what a movie ticket was. That, and that was the old school train of thought weekly towns keep the tickets affordable for everybody to keep coming and bringing their families and a movie um, ticket back then was seven dollars generally for a first yeah theater. so that so that's what they want to keep <clears throat> so now there's no mention that they're going to start charging the park when they started charging the park people pulled in and been coming into that building for years and years and years and they were being stopped and said, hey, it's two bucks. It went up to five bucks. Shit, now you um, got to pay like 30. <laughs> right. Yeah. But she just, she would do stuff without talking to Lawler or Jared or whoever. Like the surtax on there went to $1.25. So a $7 ticket's now eight and a quarter. Okay. Well, you're thinking to yourself now, what's a dollar and a quarter? What if it's a family of four? Now it's five extra dollars. That's 20 extra dollars a month. Not counting the concessions went up. This and that went up. So now they're probably, plus the parking now, $2. So actually they're probably spending an extra 25 or $30 a week in concessions, parking, surtax. That could be an extra hundred plus dollars a month. And by the way, just for the record, they WCW had run the Coliseum twice while Beth Wade was in charge up to this point. June twenty first, ninety, she had just started a few weeks earlier. Fifteen hundred people, Great American Bash on tour, eleven thousand dollar house. They come back in November, twelve hundred people, ten thousand dollar house. Yeah, but she saw what she saw. Most of those people don't come on Monday nights to the regular wrestling. 
that's your fans that are just they they think they're uh, they're seeing TBS stars or they're seeing the big stars. I don't watch that local stuff. I'll watch that local stuff on TV, but I ain't paying to see that that stuff. It's your casual fans. Um, so it's a different audience. So that's what she's thinking. I will run this trash out of here, this riffraff out of here, and I'll bring in those people in khakis and polos. And the families. Pies. Yeah. The family from, from Germantown. Right. They don't get mad. They don't throw stuff. They don't uh, try to fight the wrestlers if if something happens. I mean, it's just more of a white uh, a white crowd, you know, not, but not yeah. not your redneck white crowd. Right. And, and, and that's she wanted the business type crowd. Trying to kill them. Um, but he, here's here's what happens in the long run. The wrestling moves to the Pipkin building for like, I think, five months or six months, and nothing is really coming into the building, period. And she realizes, if I don't get the wrestling back, I'm going to lose my job. It's just under five months. They come yeah. back August 5th. So she has to work out a deal to bring them back. And it's Memphis, the, Memphis, the funny Memphis part about go ahead. I said the, here's the thing though, Bo, before you get into it. The funniest part about all that is when they bring him back. Is when Embry's booking and doing some of the wildest, craziest shit <laughs> that they have been doing. Some of the raunchiest shit. I mean, <laughs> it's amazing timing. Oh, uh, Memphis took the nosedive in. 89 and it started going down going down going down louisville is still good nashville is still good evansville is still evansville spot shows are still good but memphis is where the tv's at memphis is where the coliseum that was the town that kept everything running for all of those years and times were changing and then Brandy gets it back up. I remember in 95, during the Smoky Mountain USWA feud, they had to open the balconies up for the first time since the 80s. And it was on a major upswing all through 94, 95, building coming up, coming up, coming up, coming up. And then the freaking Monday Night War started. Yep. And they moved it to Wednesday night, Saturday night, Sundays. And it just, it killed it. Well, we just, we, uh, ju- we just talked about that, you know, uh, fairly recently, you know, how they were, they figured out that it don't, no matter what you did, I mean, you might as well just put, leave it on Monday night because it's not going to work no matter what. Yeah. Um, I pulled up the July 31st uh, commercial appeal article about wrestling coming back to the Coliseum. Um, so it says financial terms of the lease were not disclosed, but Lawler said the new arrangement is more viable for his group. Only the lower arena will be used for wrestling. I mean, the Coliseum will essentially be transformed from an 11,200 seat facility into one seating 4,263. Ticket prices will remain four, six and $7 with the dollar 25 surcharge per ticket. As before, there'll be a $2 parking fee. Parking fees have been part of the wrestling group's dispute with the Coliseum, but Lawler said security will be improved and 
that his group surveys indicate fans won't mind paying to park if their cars are watched by security. They're going to have the parking lot patrolled, Lawler said. Well, see, and, and another thing, too, is that as much as we're talking about, you know, the undesirable element and Beth Wade so using that as a reason, yeah. it was an actual thing that was a thing. I mean, that was well, true. That, that neighborhood was getting more crime ridden and stuff. Yeah, yeah no, but not not necessarily the people inside the building. Right. Right. Yeah. It was just it, that that area of. It was Mid-town. trying to trying to market to the people that you want to try to get in there yeah. that won't won't come there. But it's also it's a major city, and every major city in America was having this trouble because this is still during the crack epidemic and it's everything else that was going on with the times. Well, I mean, it was the suburbs, I mean, yeah. more, more, you know, people were moving out to the suburbs. Yeah. And it just, but the actual fans, she lumped everybody together. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with she's not from there. Yeah. And it's just, you know, when they when they went back, they brought her on Channel 5. She came out and talked about how happy she was for him to come back. Hmm. I bet she just hated that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. The, uh, I believe... I believe the new financial arraignment was 8% or a number, whichever was highest. Um, I can't remember. But, um, you know, 1991 was some rough times in the city of Memphis for wrestling. Was When was, when was Memphis Memories? 94 or 93? 94. 94 was the first one. Okay. That's when R.H. gets involved and Randy <coughs> starts booking. It was right before that. So the end of 93, it starts coming back up. Well, they've been working and, with the WF, you know, and they've been bringing the WF crew in, and that and it was helping at the gate. Yeah. Uh, pretty much, I'm really around this time we're talking about is when Jarrett really checks out. Or, I mean, he has very little involvement in wrestling at all uh, from this point on. But until, the Dallas is about to go under. Yeah. I mean, we, we had a whole ru- the rumors uh, already all throughout 90 that he was going to shut Memphis down completely. Yeah. So it's pretty much once Dallas is done is when he gets into the real estate and the development. And he stays other appearance or an interview here and there. He stays away from the wrestling end of everything until TNA or whenever, when he goes back up for Vince, when they think Vince is going to get arrested, but as far as that and being involved with WCW, yeah, consultant, but, but the actual, if it wasn't for Randy Hales and Jerry Lawler, Memphis would have been shut down in the 90, in 1990. Lawler kept it going, and when Randy came back aboard and pumped new life into it, 
I mean, they those two don't get the credit they deserve for keeping it going as long as they did. And then once Larry Burton get shows up on the scene, the <laughs> beginning to the end is there. <laughs> yeah. But any, uh, anything the else? Pyramid, the pyramid don't even last two decades. It's a Bass Pro Shop now. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, they wanted a pro team so bad they built the form, the FedEx form, for the Grizzlies. And part of the deal for the Grizzlies to come there was all the events in town have to come through us to get booked in here. So that's why they ended up building in DeSoto County another arena on the Mississippi side where the monster trucks and the wrestling and all that stuff ended up going to. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how, you know, these cities were, re- were really kowtowing to, to these uh, sports franchises. I mean, Atlanta, that was a big thing with Atlanta, you know, with the Braves. I mean, yeah. and that was a major complaint, you know, a decade ago from fans, especially white fans they did not want to come to turner field because of where turner field was at they felt it was you know it was too dangerous and i mean (laughs) there's a lot of crime in that area that's just the way it is and you got people coming up from north metro they don't want to be part of that you know and that's why the braves decided to build the stadium in cobb county where it's in a you know a real good spot, and ever since then they've been killing it in every way, every way. So they're looking at it from their business perspective. I mean, it was the perfect decision for them to, to move in that area, you know. So, all right, Bix, any other thoughts on Beth Way before we move on? I think it's time to move on. All right, they were scheduled a four-man tournament for the vacant Southern title held up after a Jeff Jarrett Steve Austin match, and also determined the challenge for Terry Funk's. USWA Unified title on the March 4th Memphis show. Funk is coming in to defend and more than likely lose the title on March 11th. The tournament was to have Lawler, Jarrett, Eddie Gilbert, and Steve Austin. Well, on television Saturday, Embry and Pritchard were complaining that they weren't in the tournament, so as Jarrett was about to do a squash, they attacked him and beat him bloody. Jarrett then pulled out of the tournament to get at Embry and Pritchard. He asked Lawler to be his partner, but Lawler said he won the world title more than anything. They said he'd do it if Eddie Marlon allowed him to wrestle in a tag match and in the tournament. Marlon turned him down, so Lawler wouldn't be his partner. He asked Gilbert, and it was the same story. Then as Gilbert came out for a squash, they attacked him, and he bled like crazy. You know the rest of the story. So Jarrett and Gilbert would team up against Embry and Pritchard. Lawler agreed to be in their corner, but specifically said he was in Jarrett's corner, but could not care less about Eddie Gilbert. I've got to find that this is on YouTube or not, because this is a fantastic angle. I think I've seen it. Um, I've got it. But uh, for what it's worth, though, we don't have any clips this week, in part because the 1991 set that's out there, even though it's all WMC shows, it's missing basically a a full month. That includes this week. Beth Wade erased the tapes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this used to be on YouTube. Um. It's not on there no more. Yeah, the, the the channels that had a lot of Memphis stuff, uh, one of them bit the dust, and the other one um, got. Uh, I mean, decided to take all their their stuff off from this this particular year itself. So, 
Yeah, I'm looking at it. I do not see it on here anymore. I have it on DVD, but we're not getting into all that stuff. So, yeah, it's just a classic deal where Lawler is putting the, you know, he wants the title. He wants the title. That's his focus. You know, more than anything else, he'll be willing to help Jeff and be in the corner and blah, 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 blah. But he does not want to give up his title shot. Gilbert was that was doing the same thing because that's what Lawler was doing. And there's even though Eddie is basically a baby face here, he still has this thing with Lawler. So they beat the shit out of fucking uh they beat the shit out of fucking Gilbert and Gilbert changed his mind then. You know, now he wants to team with Jeff. And that's when we get this whole thing here. The way they booked stuff like this, again, it's only in Memphis, Bo. Does this stuff work like this? Only in Memphis. Because you had the same fans coming for so many years and watching for so many years that they remember the stuff from the past. So they know why he doesn't want to be his friend or he doesn't want to deal with him. And... Because that was one thing always killed me about when somebody would turn, all of a sudden now they're best friends with the guy they were just fighting. You know, in Memphis, there was still always that tension. Continental, too. I can't trust that guy. He don't trust me, but we, we've got to do this, you know, and then they gradually do it. Or, you know, I mean, you always knew with Lawler and Dundee, it could, it could happen at any time. Same thing with Gilbert and Lawler. Yeah. I mean, and they would admit, and Lawler and Dundee would admit, we're not, we're not great friends. We're not, be- yeah. we're not best friends. But we know when, when it's time to do do it together, and there's nobody better than us together. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing. That's what it comes down to. Is it's you? You put your personal feelings aside. You know, to handle business. Yep. But, uh, yeah, just just great stuff. I love this era of uh, of Memphis television. It's, I mean, this whole, the whole Gilbert, you know, thing that's going on here and everything, and Memphis Mafia, the, Texas versus Tennessee. Yeah, well, Memphis Mafia is you know slowly going away at this point. Because Eddie is aligning in a way with the baby faces. Yes. Do you but, know how Tom? Do you know how Tom Pritchard got to be Eric Embry's partner? Embry comes in and says, you know, he's from Texas and he's the leader of Texas and blah, blah, blah. Eric may or may not have any ideas for Tom, but he's got Tom on commentary with, and Tom says in the commentary, this guy says he's from Texas. I don't think he is. I believe he's actually from Kentucky. (laughs) I'm from Texas. Next week, he's Eric's partner, so he won't call him out on TV. Yeah. So, yeah, just just really good shit. Oh wait, man, I think I may have it. Uh, I found it. I found it. Cause I I tried looking a little. Okay, send me a link. I found part of it. Okay, let's see. So this is one of them. All right, this is when they're arguing about who's going to be just partner. Okay. All right. So there is that. Is this on the YouTube channel of anyone who's pled guilty to anything recently? 
Yes. Okay. Which he did a shitty job of describing shit. That's why I had I had to really look. <laughs> well, at least he's never done anything worse than that. Oh, I'm kidding. But Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, yes, Lawler versus Gilbert Eight is the title. They already made. Yeah, I mean, granted, this is uploaded. You know, fourteen years ago. Anyway, uh, Eddie Gilbert, of course, wearing a very Eddie Gilbert short for the era. <laughs> I can appreciate where you're coming from, but by the same token, you got you got to realize where I'm coming from. You know, I I have devoted my whole career. Wait, wait a minute, Jeff, come here now. Listen, I have devoted my whole career to one thing. When I first set foot in a wrestling ring, I made up my mind then and there it was going to be my ultimate goal to one day win the world heavyweight yeah, well, championship. Well, okay, all right, Jeff, no, that's fine. And I have been there. I won the title, and I feel like I got screwed out of the title by this jerk right here. And now I get another chance. To, that's right. That's right. Now I get another chance that may not come along very often, but I get another chance to wrestle Terry Funk if I win this tournament. I got to tell you, no, I'm not, there's no way I'm going to pull myself out of a tournament because this is the only way that somebody's going to get a shot at Terry Funk. All right, fine. fine. Gilbert, I want to ask you. I know you're saying no, and I understand everything. Gilbert, I, I want to ask you something, Gilbert. You're born in Tennessee, and I think you got a little pride. Will you be my partner? Not I don't agree with everything because I'm sick and tired. I know what you're going to say. Something about Lawler. I'm asking That's you, will right. you be my partner? No, I'm going to say it about him. He wants to stand and say he's not going to pull himself out of the tournament. If he's not going to pull himself out of the tournament, I'm sure not because I'm not going to let you go in and win the world title because it's your big aspiration. Pulling myself out of the tournament, not as long as he's in it. Well, Gilbert, you don't even deserve a title shot. And Jerry, I can understand you want the world title. I'll get a partner. Well, Jared. See what you did. See what you did. See what I did. I didn't do anything. All you had to do is say, yeah. Wait a minute, Eddie. No. I mean, you listen. What Jeff needs to understand, and especially what this idiot right here needs to understand, is. Well, I'm telling you okay. that this is a this is a chance that may not come around again very often for me, especially you now. That again. Yeah, well, that's right. Hey, I'm not a man enough to stand here and admit it. Now, Jeff Jarrett is a young guy, and sure, he's looking at he's looking at uh, maybe a hundred title shots in the future. Well, you know, I've had title shots in the past, and now I'm going to get a chance to get another one. And and I'm sure I don't like Eric Embry, and I don't like Tom Pritchard, and they're from Texas, and they're out here running their mouths and they're jumping on everybody's back but you know i've had my head busted a thousand times i understand where jeff is coming from right now but i hope that jeff can understand where i'm coming from right now the most important thing to me in the world is regaining the world heavyweight championship and all i have to do to to get a shot at regaining that championship is get past him and now it looks like steve austin well I'm man enough to stand here and tell you that that is nothing but a step for a stepper, brother. And I will get past you, and I will get past Steve Austin, and then it's bring on Terry Funk. And Terry Funk is from Texas, too, and right now he... 
to me, epitomizes the best in the world. He's got the World Heavyweight Championship belt around his waist, and he's from Texas, and all I got to do is knock him off and put that belt back around my waist, and then I feel like, you know, you're talking about pride in the state you're born and raised in. Well, sure, I'm from Tennessee, and I'm proud of it. Memphis, Tennessee has been my home, and I'm not like a lot of these other jerks. I have stayed right here in this area when, sure, I've been called by WWF. I've been called by NWA. I've been called by all the organizations, but I've stayed right here in my hometown and right here in this area and right here for these fans that have made me what I am today. And I am not going to step aside when I got a chance to win the World Heavyweight Championship and represent these fans once again and be the world champion. And Eddie Gilbert, I don't care what you got to say about it. And unfortunately, I don't care what Jeff has to say about it because right now, the championship is the most important thing to me and that's number one on my mind. And brother, when I set my mind to something, and you better know it, Eddie Gilbert, ain't nothing going to keep me from doing it. Well, what you ought to do is go on back there right now and try to talk to Jeff Jerry because you're going to alienate yourself. You're not going to have any friends after what you just did to Jeff Jerry. Layered storytelling and a lot of it on that segment. A lot. Weekly episodical TV with long-term booking. And history. Yeah. And history with everybody there because Jarrett has been in the territory his whole life. Gilbert been in the territory his whole life. Lawler, he is a territory. There's nothing else I've looked. I went to the channel directly. <laughs> he, he has nothing following it up. Oh, okay. The, the, the follow-up clip is something from a week or two later. But, yeah. I'm telling you, Beth, wait to break the tapes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's just, you just don't get that in, in anywhere else. Memphis was a unique beast. <laughs> Other than, other than Memphis and Continental Portland would be the other, but Memphis by far. But those other two, because Portland had that great history with guys that stayed for long times, where they yeah. could go back on. Yeah, they had that that element to it, but the thing about the difference in Memphis and the other and the other two you mentioned, yeah, and Continental did too with the history. Memphis being in that studio setting where it was more about that type of stuff there, not the actual wrestling in the studio, because you didn't get a whole lot of wrestling on Memphis wrestling television. And in that era, especially it was all about angles, promos, stuff like that. to set up the the house shows and, and you're getting in this way in there more women anywhere else. But that's time. Because Portland is more of a wrestling show with, with promos in the middle, and Continental and, and you know Southeastern. When Southeastern's in the studio, is a little bit different. But Southeastern and, and you know at, at, at Boutwell and wherever, it's still more about the actual wrestling going on. But Memphis in that studio setting, doing that type of television, was the last of that that dying breed right there. Yeah, just amazing stuff. All right, March 4th in Memphis saw JoJo Jackson, who's now called Night Train Jackson. Always liked him. Beat Doug Gilbert. Curtis Thompson, Bix. I don't think I have it here. Oh, my God. We haven't used it in a long time either. <laughs> uh, which one? <laughs> how, about, how about that ass? Beat Johnny no, Rod. The, how, how are you not saying it right when it's a clip of you? Well... <laughs> 
Cody Michael. It's it's world. It's or how about that ass? Yeah, Cody Michael's pinned Uptown Bruno in a new tuxedo. Danny Davis get the lightweight title going to double count out with El Grande Pistolero, sixty-year-old Gypsy Joe under a hood. Bill Dundee of a dirty white boy. Law over Steve Austin because no one can for Terry Funk. And Embry and Dr. Tom beat Gilbert and Jeff when Embry pinned Jeff after hitting him with a chain. So there it's a Mid-South Coliseum. Jeff Gaylor switched to being managed by Uptown Bruno from to JC Ice Baby here. Oh, Jeff Gaylor switching managers, switching babyface, switching heel. He was all over the place in the early 90s. Uh, he's already squandered the dream team of Jeff and Jeff. Yes. Yes. Torch. The first week, all the wrestlers were bussed together from Texas to WNC Studios. The bus showed up when all the fans were already lined up outside the studio. After trying to find an option, the heels and faces just got the bus together in front of the fans. <laughs> and this, and then Steve Beverly follows up with this. Don't expect Jeannie Clark to be riding along on that USWA bus between the Memphis and Dallas Friday and Saturdays. Seems it became a bit uncomfortable for Jeannie being the only woman on board on a recent trip. Oh, I can't believe that, Bo. Uh, story time off the air. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. I don't, they, in Dallas, they would pull up to one door and the heels would get on. And then it would pull up to the other door and the baby faces would get on. <laughs> but I don't see when they left. Okay, when they got to Memphis, because the people come in the side when you come up in the parking lot off of Union. And the people would go in that doorway, which is the famous doorway from <laughs> everybody fighting out there in the parking lot over the years and all that stuff. The wrestlers actually entered through the back door. Of the on a loading dock. The, the, the so the, why didn't they just the garage door from the rude Lawler car angle or something the, else? Garage door from no something else on the back of the building. Okay. You came you came into uh, you come in the hallway and into the break room, the cafeteria. So, so um, someone that was not seen on television. Yeah. So. Why didn't the bus just pull back there? Because the fans weren't allowed back there. Who knows? USWA, everybody. <laughs> well, they may just be saying that they probably did have to bring the bus up off of Union. I don't think they could get in that parking lot coming, making the turn off the side street back there where you came in there. Um, <laughs> and they're on Waylon Jennings' bus. <laughs> yeah, they are. Uh, Tojo made some of those bus rides uncomfortable from what I've been told. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, me. All right. Well, let's go to the Metroplex proper now. And we start with uh, the torch. USWA has been told by the ESPN or Channel 27 that no more blood or abuse of women will be tolerated. And all matches must end with clean finishes. After one week of fall on this ruling, fans appear happier and cards are much better and attendance may be on the upswing. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm sure Eric Embry's going to just stick to that edict. <laughs> All clean finishes. No abuse of women. I mean, they probably should have learned from uh, losing Channel 11 after 30 years. 
the previous year to cut yeah. cut out the hitting the women, the guys hitting the women, but I guess not. Nope. And it wasn't it wasn't just they hit the women. It it was you know, John Tatum kicking the brains out of Tessa and yeah, just that was the I big mean, one. It, yeah. I mean, it was some brutal stuff. Yeah, no, that was not Embry on that era. So no. can't put that on him. In a extremely Matt Watch story, ESPN's push for Craig Johnson to return to USWA Monday afternoon package sooner rather than later. Johnson has basketball commitments for at least two more weeks if George Washington University receives an NIT bid. I'm sure... Uh, Thank you, John Horton. Yeah, I was going to say special Atlanta correspondent, John Horton. <laughs> was he... Where did he come from? How... I know that he did lacrosse, he did basketball, he, I mean, but where but did... how he, did Jarrett hire him? No, how did he get in Atlanta? He get, how did he get involved in wrestling? Was he with Petticino early? No, or? Well, so no, no, he, he, got, he was he, with USWA first. Then well, he came to Atlanta after. So what happened initially was he was working for Max Andrews by day for his syndication company. So Mark Lawrence, you know, retires or whatever you want to call it to go into seminary. They have this guy who works for Max, who is a sports announcer on the side. So they go with him. Yeah, because okay. his relationship with Pedicino does not begin until Pedicino gets involved with Dallas. Then, okay. then he comes, he starts working in Georgia in 91. That's when he basically moves to Atlanta and starts working in Georgia. And that's when the Georgia boys really get on and popping because, I mean, Pedicino, the Georgia boys really doesn't get started until 90. At their, that's when Prazak and Hudson first met was in 1990. So yeah, it wasn't around. It, it wasn't around as long as people thought, you know, it wasn't something that was going on in the eighties or anything. I mean, it, this is all early nineties is when they hooked it up and started doing all this stuff together and become part of the part of jo Joe's show. Yeah. And so for the record, the Atlanta boy is, Oh, Johnson, slash John Horton, yeah. Scott Hudson, Joe Petticino, Steve Prazak, Greg Yarman, who else? There are other affiliates uh, as part of that, yeah. But they, I mean, that was like the main cast of characters. Yeah, but it, Michael St. John was not good in this role. <laughs> oh, Michael St. John. As much as the newsletters, or at least the Observer, did not like uh, the work of... John Horton as Craig Johnson early on. Like, I, I always thought he did a pretty good job. Yeah. You know, he was very professional. One thing I remember him telling me was that he did prep as if it was a regular sports broadcast and soon realized he was unique in that regard. And he, you know, he was very different from Lawrence, but I thought he did a good, solid, polished job. He was a professional broadcaster, but he was a big wrestling fan, and he was able to blend it together enough to make it work pretty well. Yeah. Now, yeah. I don't uh, I should think Mark Lawrence gets oh, to, go ahead. <laughs> I think Mark Lawrence gets the credit that he deserves. He gets He's more gotten more lately. than he used to. Yeah. I, I, oh, I, I always enjoyed his work. Yes. Yeah. 
the gravitas he brings to it and all that. Yeah, I, I, I've always loved Mark Lawrence's work. Now, as far as Craig Johnson, though, and then I guess you could say the same for Scott Hudson to a degree when he comes in. Not a great idea to have a six foot four announcer interviewing wrestlers in a Jerry Jarrett owned and booked promotion. <laughs> no. no, not at all. Eric Embry's a new booker here. How can you tell? <laughs> oh, you mean the guy that just suddenly returned and turned heel and won a title and is now dominating the show as the booker? Yeah, what a shock, huh? I always liked that turn, though. Yeah. That, that you know, he asked Dundee for a Southern title shot. Uh, was it Southern Texas title? I don't know if it matters. And Dundee is like, yeah, anytime, any place, anywhere, you know, brother. And Embry's like, okay, and just attacks him. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, any time is now, any place is here. And then he just squashes him and wins the title. Yep, exactly. All right, the first head-to-head battle in Dallas between Jarrett's USWA and Gary Hart's Texas Wrestling Federation drew interesting results. USWA drew their best crowd of the year, 650 fans, 530 paid at a sportatorium on March 1st with kids under 12 for free, but there weren't many kids in the building. TWF at the Metroplex Arena drew 375 and Sargent's in a while as well. But about 190 of that was paid as all mothers got in free. Ironically, the Metroplex was filled with kids because those free mothers. At the Sportatorium, Tony Falk beat J.C. Ice Baby by DQ when Ice pulled out the scissors and started cutting Falk's hair. Danny Davis got the heavyweight title being Dr. Tom by reverse decision DQ as Dr. Tom got the pin using a chain. But Jeff Jarrett told referee Tony Falk, who reversed it, Curtis Thompson. Oh, wait, asked, so you got Tony Falk wrestling and refereeing? <laughs> yes. Curtis Thompson, ass, over Dog of War. Jeff Jarrett over Awesome Kong after dropping off the ropes. Steve Austin over Cody Michaels. And the main event saw Bill Dundee and Jeff Jarrett be Eric Embry and Gary Young when Dundee rolled up Young. After the match, Embry, Austin, and Matratoja Yamoto all attacked Young for losing and beat on him until Dundee came in to help and they beat old Dundee as well. I forget. Dog of War singles wrestler is Buster, Buster Fowler Blackheart. or Mike Blackheart. Okay, it's Buster Fowler. Yeah. And then when they're a tag team, it's Buster Fowler and Mike Blackheart. Whatever. Um, Hart take three hours television in the Metroplex Arena as Brian Adias beat Sweet Daddy Falcone as a babyface by disqualification. One man gang over Terrence Garvin. Al Perez beat Angel of Death by DQ and Angel used a trumpet to score pinfall and the second ref reversed it. <laughs> Perez, as a babyface, was announced as new world champion, having beaten Matt Bourne in a fictitious match in El Paso. Angel then beat Tim Talltree. Oh, that should have Gar- been a visually interesting match. <laughs> Garvin and Falcone beat Rick Davidson and Big Bad John Davidson, the Davidson brothers. In but not wrestling is the Davidsons. <laughs> yeah. One man gang over Al Perez by Canada when Perez was fighting outside the ring with a California stud Rod Price. And the third TV saw gag over Talltree. Angel and Brian Diaz went to draw with Falcone and Garvin, and Perez beat Stud with a small package. And asked Terry Gordy and the Samoa SWAT team will work here at Next TV Tape in a few weeks. No lineup was announced for this coming Friday when they go head to head again. Gary's TV show has drawn better ratings on Channel 27 than either the USWA show or the WCW syndicated shows there at the same station. Well, Steve Beverly has that. Even the March 2nd, 
Gary Hart's Texas Championship Wrestling. Outrated USWA Sportatorium Show 2.4 to 1.9. The first time that kind of upset has ever happened. That's a so pretty Uncle healthy margin, too. Uncle Gary's got a little momentum going on here. And it's because, Bo, his wrestling felt like Texas wrestling. He had Bill Mercer. Yep. He, he had, like, I mean, we'll see people he's got on his TV. Kevin Von Erich, Iceman. You know, it Dang. felt like Texas wrestling. Adidas, yeah. Dave, even the it's, Davidson. Maybe. Yeah. Good. Bo? So, I mean. Oh, is he dipping? <laughs> I don't know. We just—I think we got a bigger lag tonight than we had last night. Yeah, we do. We do, but it is what it is. But, but um, but yeah. So I mean, it's just—it was old school Texas wrestling, and that's what they like. These fans wanted to see at this point in time. All right. Well, let's go to a couple of clips here. Gary Hart is explaining some of the new rules in Texas Championship Wrestling with Bill Mercer. So let's go to Uncle Gary, shall we? Yes. I, I, like I said off air, I find it fascinating how for as relatively few episodes we have of this, that every time it comes up in any detail, we actually have an episode on YouTube. And of course, we uh, would like to thank the Armstrong Alley YouTube channel for having this uh, content up there. Yes. So let's go to the clip. What is this thumbnail? It's Iceman uh, and Kevin Von Erich uh, was doing a promo for a local spot show. And well, we're, we're, no, for the Metroplex Arena for the Friday Night Show. Okay, and who's Roddy that it says something about here? That's Rudy Poo Stick, Big. Oh, okay. The font is blurry. Okay, yeah, it's the Rudy Poo Stick, yes. ...position on Texas Championship Wrestling, and with me a person who's never been controversial, mm-hmm. uh, matchmaker Gary Hart. Well, I'm trying not to be. I've Good been to see terrific. It. Yeah. I think you're doing a great job, and the wrestling fans really like and it. You're doing a great job bringing in these wrestlers. This is a, an exciting time to uh, yes, it is. put back into this, this class we've been talking about. Yeah. It's coming along. And make it uh, something that the whole family can say. Again, with the putting class back in thing. Again. Well. I know, but the associate. It's working. The- I know, but the just. It's so obvious what they're trying to do, though. It's like, yeah, we're. Bringing class back to wrestling, class back to but, Dallas but, wrestling. But who what? owns the world class? Who owns the world class name? Someone who's working shows for him. Yeah, exactly. There you go. He's also implying we ain't going to beat women and children on this TV. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to TV set and enjoy it. You know, I've had that already. Had that response from some mm-hmm. folks, and that's good. But there was a little controversy in this about this foot under the rope. And we talked to the referee, and he said, if that foot is under the rope, you're going to be counted anyway. It's over the, uh, the rope on the bottom rope. Yeah. It gets, uh, hey, you got to pull it out and start over. Well, you have, see, a lot of times, Bill, in wrestling, people try to abuse the rules in many different ways. So the best way to do it is... I recall that. Yes. Well, yes. I, well, I was looking after my business then, and now I'm looking after my business now. And we're not going to have any cheap outs. If you're going to win, you're going to win legitimately. And legitimately, if the foot is over the top rope, the man has made an effort to save himself. Sure. If it's laying under the bottom rope, there's no effort. And I think the referee was right in counting him down, and I agree with it. What about, now they were telling me you're going to do a little differently, too. We've seen this happen in championship matches. Over the top rope and out. What's, what's yeah. this now you're okay. going to do? Many times I feel that a lot of champions yeah. took advantage of over the top rope disqualification rule to save a title. Sure, they didn't lose the title. Over. That's right. But in Texas Championship Wrestling, even though it's dangerous, 
and if someone could be hurt, I think it's important not to let anybody save a belt by doing that. And you want to talk a little bit about Thunderdome on March 22nd, or shall we wait till a little later? Let's wait a little later, but you're going to love Thunderdome. All right. That's a part of Texas Championship Wrestling. What a way to start out the night, ladies. All right. So he's stealing the other promotions gimmick match? Well, yes. <laughs> what were the um, time slots for this show and the USWA show? On Channel 27? That's a good question. They were saying that he was outdrawing them. <coughs> By half a <coughs> But I just wonder. Late Saturday night. Were they on one, <coughs> one right after the other or? Uh, they were head-to-head, if I'm not mistaken. No, he said they're both on Channel 27. Oh, The head-to-head head were... was the live show on Friday night. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, okay. At the... Oh, okay. We have from right after our week, Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Uh, Saturday at 7 is USWA Challenge. Saturday at 8 is USWA Main, main Event. And Saturday at 9 is TCW. So he does, yeah, he's got the better... Gary's got the better time slot because the people are going to go out and eat or whatever and then come in Saturday night. They'll settle in about the time his TV's coming on. Well, it's weird, too, because especially in light of that, you have the A show in the worst time slot than the B show for Jarrett. Yeah. And USWA main event at this point is just old matches. Like, it's not like when it first started and, you know, when it was the later version of Wild West Wrestling before the name change where they would show like, you know, KTVT stuff that wasn't aired in syndication at this point. No, they're just recycling, you know, stuff from a few months ago or whatever. So that's, that's a big misstep to put that in the 8 PM time slot and challenge at seven. You should be flipping those. Yeah. And All right. Well, that... do we know when the WCW show was on? Cause uh, I don't know. There's a WCW show on a different station at midnight. Um, but yeah. So, oh, so as far as the clip though, with the rule changes, that first one is so stupid because the point is, is that it's it's the rope is not the thing. The point of the rule is that you are out of bounds. It's not a false count anywhere match, so it's not supposed to matter if you're in the ropes or under the ropes. Still now, a then, cheap way to get it, a finish. I get no, but I, I and I get the idea here that if you're putting the foot on the rope, you actually have to make an effort. If you're putting it under the rope, you don't necessarily have to. But still, that's not the the point. Is it's what is out of bounds of the ring. Now, like and then you know, on the other hand, like if someone's using it offensively, it's not illegal because you're get, using it for leverage. It's illegal because, I mean, it's. Not a legal pin, because you're out of bounds if you're in the ropes. Now, as far as the over-the-top thing, isn't the thing that would make more sense to just have titles change hands on DQ? That's what World Class did. Instead of just making it, oh, this is not a specific DQ anymore because it's abused by heel champions. I just saw the fact that Bill Mercer was like calling Gary out on his shit, and then Gary's, Gary's like, yeah, that was back then. Then you know, <laughs> I was taking yeah. care of what my business then was. Now I'm taking care of what my business now is. Yes, I the, love that. The D, the DQ rule was so they couldn't double cross the world champion. Yes, so and switch the, the belt on the DQ. Okay. Yeah. Yep. 
and then it just for consistency trickled down to the territorial yeah. regional titles. Yeah, but it seemed it seemed like world class used that finish more than anybody else with Flair. Over the top rope DQ. Yeah. Or they they were more known for that. Well than anybody else. that it would be like Flair's in trouble, chucks the guy over the top rope at a almost out of nowhere, that's the match. As opposed yes. to doing a dusty finish or whatever. Yeah. Uh, all it, right. Um, yeah. It were used in Dallas way. I mean, Flair did it with Lance, Kerry, <clears throat> Kevin, <laughs> probably David, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the finish to the Big David match, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Mike's the one that got the pin in. <laughs> well, that wasn't a title yeah. match. Uh, no. All right. Well, speaking of Von Erichs, we get a personality profile with Kevin Von Erich here. So let's go to that, shall we? Oh, we're not going to continue and see what kind of ring announcing uh, skills Don Batiste has. No. Okay. Dressed like Blossom. Well, it's that Arabics. It's a con- that's a popular style. Kevin visited with us earlier this week about his thoughts and his desires. Kevin's quite a family man. You know, uh, lawsuits and litigations, and uh, they take so long. I've never had anything to do with these uh, parts of business, but uh, lately I'm dragged in. Kevin Von E-R-I-C. <laughs> it's one thing in the newspaper, but what? What? I mean, isn't Mickey Grant involved in this show, too? Yes. How does that happen? <laughs> into it, and I'm in listening to, you know, lawyers talk all day long for the past few months. But what I do best is wrestle. I've been missing it. And uh, lately I wrestled at the Metroplex uh, Arena. Had a good time out there, too. Uh, you know, something kind of gets inside you and it builds. It, it wants to go, you know. you just I mean, this is what I've been doing all my life is professional wrestling. I, I know one speed, and that's 110%. Just a minute. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good job. Out of girl. And, you know, this is great, the family style living and all. I, I love being at home, and, and, you know, that's great. But something inside me says, you know, you got something else to do, Kevin. It's, uh, I've been doing this all my life, it, it seems like, and it's just uh, my, my life's empty without it. I need to get in that ring and have some combat. I, I don't know how to describe it. It just feels good to deliver a blow. It feels good to, to wrestle. I just love it. And it's, my life's been kind of empty in that way. And I plan on getting back in the ring and giving it everything I've got. And I want you folks to keep an eye out because you're going to hear Kevin Von Erich again real soon. Serena. Well, Kevin openly talking about his, his legal issues here. Well, about that. So he said he's been spending spending a lot of time on the on the lawsuit against Jerry Jarrett, right? Yeah. He filed the lawsuit on August 30th. Um, when does, uh, does it say? Oh, yeah. So Jarrett answers on September 20th and files a counterclaim. Gray Pearson withdraws his counsel on October 8th. Um, the judge approves that two weeks later. Kevin, uh, then the day after that, uh, requests an extension of time. And then the case goes dormant. Uh, and it just eventually 
ends up being a judgment against Kevin in September. So Kevin has not actually been spending any time on anything having to do with the lawsuit for months. But that's what's been in the media. Yeah, I mean, that's the last thing he would have done visibly. Well, actually, no. The last thing he would have done would have been that, uh... Was it Star-Telegram or Dallas Morning News that had the article about the last world-class show at the Sportatorium? I don't remember. But the one with, uh, about what's her... Oh, who was the fan with her husband? And she, like, took the plaque from his seat, like, the deceased husband's seat home and stuff. She was she was a newsletter correspondent in the bulletin days. Oh, what was her name? You know who I'm talking about. Just I, I can't remember the name. But yeah. But yeah. So that that's probably the last last any much of anyone's heard from him in the area. <coughs> you know, it's going back to what? November or whenever that was. Cookie had had other lawsuits that he was dealing with too. Uh, that is possible. Yeah. All right, so let's go in a totally different direction. Yes, I closed that by mistake. I have to reopen it. Now let's go to Texas Championship Wrestling wanting to tackle the problem with homeless, being homeless. And Iceman King Parsons talks about his life story. Let's go to the clip. Down Dallas, is it? Something unfeeling here. Yes, there's about 5,000. Uh, homeless in a five block area in this part of Dallas. Right here. Right here in this area. Uh, the homeless shelters are full during this time of year when it's real cold. Uh, the Union Gospel Mission here, it's next door. They are have people sleeping on the floors. There's a lot of them that just will not go into the shelters. They prefer right out here in the open. Right out here with this fight. So we provide the barrel. Here comes and, Iceman. Hey, man, hey. what's going on? Hey, hey, good to see good you. See what's you. up, Bill? How you doing? Oh, fine, baby. Good. Yeah. Feels good around this fire, doesn't it? Uh, I know what it feels like to be cold and homeless, baby. I've been there, man. Guys, you come down here quite often, then. Yes, sir, brother. You know, it's not just here in Dallas, Texas. It's all over the country, man. My hometown, St. Louis, Chicago, New York, I've been there, man. You know, and I know what it's like to be cold and hungry and no place to stay. I've been there. Is there a solution to this? Is there, is there something we can do? Is there something we're not doing? You know, these people ain't greedy. They just a need. Instead of helping all these other countries, what about our people right here, man? Help our people right here at home, you know? They're not greedy. They just didn't need him, man. Help them. Then think about helping somebody else in some other foreign country. That's what I feel, man. Remember, most of us, when it gets dark outside, have a place to go that's warm and safe. Unfortunately, not everyone has a warm, safe place to go. And Iceman King Parsons has a warm and safe heart. And uh, he uh, exhibits that. And uh, we, uh, we at Texas Championship Wrestling are interested in uh, ways that uh, we can help the people who are needy, the homeless, and other people who are in uh, desperate straits. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, uh, just by many ways that we can do that, and we will uh, talk about that. We have some ideas that uh, we can come through and, and be a part of this community to, to maybe not solve the problem, but help the problem. That's what it's all about, helping each other. Helping each other. That's what it is all about. And we're going to take a break from the best of Texas Championship Wrestling and be right back with some more excitement for you right after this. Friday night, tag team battle right. to Metro. Okay. I have a what an interesting segment for a wrestling television show. Well, maybe I'm too cynical, but I have a question for Bo. 
do you think the motives for that were entirely altruistic? Or do you think that, at least in part, was to try to remind fans that the Sportatorium is down the block from a homeless shelter? No, I don't think that. They're just... Okay. <clears throat> I don't think that was a shot at Sportatorium. Because I did look. The one that they were at is not close to the Sportatorium. They, uh, it's several miles from the Sportatorium. And I, I would say it's in the back of their mind. They want to be back at the Sportatorium at some point in time. Mm-hmm. That's how. Well, not no, necessarily that... because the promotion exists entirely to because of the building. The building is the promoter. So. I'm talking about the talent. Oh, okay. I thought you meant Gary. They're looking, at, they're looking at that's the place to be. Auditorium. But still, just a, a very just interesting segment on a wrestling television show. Yeah. Uh, you know, social and and deep there. You know, and Iceman talking about being homeless and everything. I mean, just yeah, just something you wouldn't expect. And yeah, I mean, there are no homeless people in the segment, but still, that there's this clear effort to humanize them. And but you know, but you know what? That's probably for the best because then it'd, it'd be looked at you're exploiting them. Yeah. You know, that's probably that was for the best not to not to have. Any actual homeless people shown? Yeah, because yeah. um, I, I do. I do here for the <clears throat> during the holidays for the homeless here. Yeah, and I show Hunter first, and I show Michael, um, who who's in charge of it. But I don't show any of the homeless people. Yes, and for the, for the, the best. Yeah. All right. Well, now let's go into a whole nother direction here in a way. Tiger Conway Jr. won the Houston Pro Wrestling title, March 3rd in Houston, beating Tug Taylor. Alice the Pug Porto worked here, and they did meet a character just one week after the war ended called Sheik Saddam Insane. It was probably pronounced Saddam, so damn insane. <laughs> which was a common phrase that was used in that time period. Houston Pro Wrestling. Of course, it's headlined by T- Tiger Conway Jr. and Tuck Taylor. Yeah. I mean, on, undercard's probably mostly Tuck Taylor students. Yeah. Uh, interesting also just seeing the contrast, you know, between this and the other big Texas market and that Dallas isn't thriving, but you've got three weekly promotions. You know? Yeah. And, and at least big, there are at big, least two big D ain't around yet. Yeah, well, Houston died. It, I mean, when it when Paul was gone, it was gone until Booker T opened up. I mean, there never was. I mean, there was people that tried to run Houston that we know about, but nobody really had any success for twenty five years. Basically, yeah. And that's one of those markets that really came back uh, thanks to Austin, like Dallas did. Yeah. You know, like, it's something that doesn't really get talked about anymore. It used to, I mean, on some level, Steve Austin revived pro wrestling in Texas. In a way, yes, he did. Yeah, that's very uh, true point. All right, now let's go to the LPWA, Torberg's uh, promotion. They take TV on February 28th in Laughlin, Nevada, as Leilani Kai and Judy Martin won the tag toss from Misty Blue, Sims, and Heidi Lee Morgan. Reggie Bennett 
beat Mrs. X, Bailey Letter. Ms. X. Miss X, excuse me, especially, yeah, Peggy Lee Letter, Miss X, uh, in a non-title match. The rest of the regulars were there, minus Medusa, who's entangled in a legal battle with her management company, and missed the taping, but it's supposed to be the next ones. Norman, Mike Shaw, was at the taping and did angle with the queen, Christopher Love, who stole a stuffed animal and is holding it for ransom. All right, results of the taping here. We got all the matches. Misty Blue and Heidi Lee retained their tag titles over Comrade Orga and Lagata. Denise Storm over Allison Royal. Malia Hasaka over Linda Dallas by DQ. Black Venus and Bad Girl over Cindy Paradise and Ahmad Alvarez. Lady X retained... It's Lady X, not Miss X. Lady X retained the LPWA title over The Beast by DQ. Then we have the tag title change. Terry Power over Lagata. Reggie Bennett over Comrade Orca. Black Venus and Bad Girl over Malia Hasaka and Bambi. Susan Sexton over Lady X by DQ. Kat LaRue, Linda Dallas, Akamura Orca over Cindy Paradise, Allison Royal, and Al Alvarez. Cherry Power over Reggie Bennett over Denise Storm and Lagata. Denise Storm over Almar Alvarez. Malia Saka and Bambi went to a WQ with Linda Dallas and Kat LaRue. Reggie Bennett over Lady X. Leilani Kai and Judy Martin over Susan Sexton and the Beast. And Terry Power won a Lumberjack match over Black Venus. Now, Steve Beverly knows that normal we part of the LPW angle involving the rabbit, which somehow turns up missing. And eventually someone called Norma will show up to spirit away Norman. It's a complicated yet funny angle. Complicated? Well, Steve Beverly has all the creative, you know, stuff here. So he knows what's coming up. So, I mean, uh, like, did y'all get their TV? Yes. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, I that was definitely in the Pedestino on, block. Uh, I got it on Sports Channel America. Yeah, it was definitely in the Pedestino blog because he's all over TV. But it was a later nighttime slot, so I didn't get to watch it that much. We got it here on a weekday afternoon on one of the sports channels. I can't remember what it was. Um, And I found it flipping through one day after school, and they were in Jackson, Tennessee. I realized recognized the Jackson Coliseum and was like, what the heck is this? It was Tim Horner and I think Barry Horowitz with two girls in a mixed tag. So that was, uh, they lasted, didn't they last longer than like Powell or uh, any of the others? On and off for what would you say, Chris, like two, two and a half years? Yeah. Um, how? Pay-per-view. They ran the one pay-per-view, and I think that might have been their last show. Yeah, in early 92. Pal might have technically lasted longer, because Pal starts in the fall 87 season, right? And then runs into... It runs side-by-side with Glow for at least a couple seasons. I forget if it's still going opposite Glow's last season. but So comparable for LPWA and Pal. But LPWA was, like, it's not great, but it... Probably the best effort yet at doing a serious women's promotion. Yeah. You know, Ladies Major League wasn't bad, but it was, you know, smaller time. Um, I've never seen Flair. I know some of the TVs out there, but I've never seen it. You know, Pow had some, you know, established wrestlers mixed in with the Globe alums, but still not the best you could do. This, you know, was a good attempt at getting as much of the established 
talent together as possible. You know, WWF's not using them, WCW's not using them. And getting them together and putting on a show and using some, like, known guys in roles where they could maybe help draw eyeballs, but wouldn't overshadow the women. You know, like, you know, Cornette and Slaughter on commentary. You know, Brad Ringens as the trainer who's helping demonstrate the move of the week and stuff. Like, yeah. it... it <clears throat> I don't know if you could have made it work financially back then, but in terms of, like, the effort and putting on a good show and treating the women well and presenting them, you know, seriously, it was very well done. Yeah. Absolutely. Considering, you know, what else was, you know, was out there for as options. So, yeah. But yeah, we had it all over here because it's in the Pedicino block and he's all part of it. And, right. He was yeah. an announcer and it's sort of at arm's length with global, at least in the initial plans too. So, Bonnie was yeah. on there too. She Bonnie. Do a segment. Bonnie was on there. Yeah, the whole Pedicino deal there. So, whole family. <laughs> yeah. All right, now let's go to Portland. March 2nd in Portland, saw Steve Dahl go to double count with Scott Norton, with Norton having the full Nelson on outside the ring, and all the baby faces had to pull him off. C.W. Bergstrom went to a draw with Doug Masters, Bart Sawyer over Brad Anderson, Mike Winter or Billy Jack Haynes by DQ, and Bart Sawyer and Rip Oliver beat the grappling equalizer when Oliver pinned grappler. Equalizer hasn't turned face officially, but acts like he's friends with Sawyer and won't wrestle against him. Grapple and, and Equalizer argue back and forth the entire batch. Trooper never came in. That's the Patriot, Del Wilkes. Mm-hmm. Beetle, Beetlejuice appears on television for interviews, but can't work because of the commission. The only where spot shows in Washington where there is no commission. This is his suspension. Or was it suspension or they wouldn't give him a new license? It was one or the other or both. Because They couldn't do it just because of the way the bylaws were over the rape conviction. So they did it over lying on an application about whether or not he'd ever been convicted of a crime earlier or something like that. Like that he had lied about a cocaine de- conviction or something. They found a way. <laughs> they and found you know a what, way. Though? You know what? Like they probably should have had better bylaws that would have allowed them to do it anyway. Yeah. They're, I think as, as fucked up as that commission could be, you know what? I don't blame them for trying to keep the guy that raped a girl in the stairwell away from being able to wrestle in the state. They had a good reason. A new heel's headed in called Psycho Sam is apparently going to get a big push. They claim he's right out of jail where he served seven years for manslaughter. So. <laughs> who, an, who was that? An Did uplifting gimmick. <laughs> what? Did who was it? Um, Does he end up showing up? Yes, there is a Psycho Sam, I think Psycho Sam Cody. Well, okay, there's a Psycho Sam match on YouTube. Let's see if we can, against Mike Winner. Let's I don't, see if this I don't remember him. moment I haven't been waiting for, Psycho Sam is going to be out here to take on Mike Winner. Okay. Psycho Sam and Mike Winner. Don Owen making the announcement right now. All the wrestlers out of the building so there's no interference by anybody and see who is the toughest. So <laughs> that's what we'll have. Uh, you can Tell make reservations or buy tickets all day tomorrow at the, at the uh, flea market here. God's up, Don so Make your reservations and get your tickets shortly. The final match of the evening will be one fall. Introducing the, the psycho and Mike Winter. Well, get out of there. Gathering, Don. Get out of there, Don. You're going to get hurt. 
you, you do have a psycho in there. Psycho Sam and Mike Winter. Uh, Mike Winter's got a headlock. Wait, hold it, hold it, hold it. What's going on here? The grappler is over at ringside, and he just grabbed Winter's foot, and Winter went down. I don't down. recognize the guy. And of course, Psycho is all over him. I don't either. Uh, here comes Bart Sawyer. Bart Sawyer is coming out to the ring. I'll see if we get a better look at him anywhere here. I mean, he's got a very bushy beard. The closest I come up with is he looks like one, he could have been like Rick Renslow or Dave Wagner or you know, the Alaskans or something like that. Yeah. But it's not it's not either one of them. I can tell you that. Oh, it's not. Yeah. He's familiar looking, but I don't know. Who. He looks like a miniature great Antonio. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that's yeah. Psycho Sam. Yeah, I, I don't know who this is at all. Um, but the closest thing uh, <laughs> I remember to Psycho Sam was when Al Snow started using the Prodigy song in ECW, that there were uh, outlets on the internet saying that he was going to change his name to Psycho Sam Attic. Oh, God, I remember that. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in 25 years. Oh yes. Oh, God. Because the song has, you know, in the lyrics, is psychosomatic. Psychosomatic. Yeah. Attic Yeah. I had to be confusing to the people of Portland that uh, Art Barr was not allowed to wrestle, but this man that killed someone just got out of prison <laughs> in this wrestling. <laughs> yeah. How about that, huh? Uh, All right. And to, and to close out this long section, Terry Funk is filming a role in the TV series Quantum Leap this week. A great episode of Quantum Leap, where Terry Funk plays a wrestler promoter in Georgia in the in the late fifties. Yes, oh, I, I, I love this. I love. Come play my game. I'll test you. Psychosomatic attic insane. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I love the original Quantum Leap. Oh, the original Quantum Leap is fantastic. One of my favorite shows ever. Love that show. Yeah. All right. Let's close out with everyone's favorite world championship wrestling. They're preparing a major bash tour this summer, including some outdoor shows. Dave knows when they can't draw 5,000 for indoor shows, what does it need to go outdoors? At RFK Stadium and in Charlotte. Bash kicks off July 4th in the Meadowlands. From television, it appears they're, they're building the Sid Vicious for Eligante, which should be a money match. Dave has said they should save it until Eligante is ready. Since they've already got him against Ric Flair, it's fruitless to say they shouldn't rush the guy. Well, Don Glass is still working there, isn't he? But the, th the thing is, though, is they're preparing for this stuff this early, and Sid's going to be gone. Flair's going to be gone. So, yeah. <laughs> Whatever plans they were having was not going to happen. Then well, both of those were preventable, too. But they don't do any of these outdoor shows, either. None of these yeah. outdoor shows. They do want so. a bash tour after a year off, but yeah. Robert Gibson was given his notice from what Dave understood. Gibson had been kept on salary, even though he didn't have a contract. Then again, his injury was suffered on the job, but they decided to do away with the rock and roll express, midnight express and four horsemen forever and create new things. And then when his knee heal is healed, he comes back and does at least the brief feud with Ricky. Yeah. But the thing, the thing here is what Dave talks about with the horsemen, because, yeah, in this spring '91 in the summer is when everyone's when kind of doing their own thing. Yeah, 
like Sid team Sid on his own and teaming with Stan Hansen and yeah, Barry there's a lot of disjointing players do kind of do in his own thing. Yeah, a lot of disjointed stuff. They're not really the Horsemen as a unit anymore. Yeah. And getting into that, Barry went into an interview on Worldwide, where, which sure something he was turning Bayface down the road. He said he was tired of traveling with Ric Flair and Arn Anderson and listening to them talk about their titles. And said anyone who with a title is it safe from him? And specifically mentioned both Flair and Anderson. And this does not go anywhere. Does not go anywhere. Now, doubling back a little bit, though. It's weird looking back on at all this WCW stuff where in this era, people are acting like it's magnanimous to keep paying someone who got hurt on the job. I mean, in this case, he didn't have a contract, but I mean, wasn't any like not just that, like in one case, like with Sid with the lung, weren't they? It wasn't like it kind of framed as if he should be grateful that they even paid for his medical expenses. Yeah. You know, like I just it's weird looking back on that. Like, is that just. I mean, Bo, I guess that's just leftover people thinking about how it used to be and not realizing it has to be very different in a corporate setting. Yeah. And it's uh, it's also depends on who you are. Hmm. You know, if that would have been Sting, they would have kept paying him. Yeah. If it had been Luger, you know, it's Robert Gibson. How common outside of Crockett was the thing where wrestlers would pool, like all the wrestlers would pool part of their payoffs towards someone who was injured. Was that mainly just a Crockett thing, or did that help happen in any other territories? Um, you know, I don't know. Like, I know when Whitey was killed, they did a week of, they did Johnson City and knoxville the same week and all the money went to whitey's family mm. from those two uh i know they did a big card in Kingsport when ed wolf got hurt and gave him all the money uh i don't know what they did for sam bass's family and the domino's family you know i don't, I don't know for those who don't know for magnum and I think it was the same arrangement with Darso when he blew out his knee. Um, every single wrestler on the roster, main eventer down to prelim guys, all contributed $25 out of their weekly check towards Magnum, which Crockett would then match. And that's how they dealt with that. Yeah. When when Darso was hurt and Magnum, you know, his future was uncertain. Yeah. I mean, that's I was, uh, generous at the time. I, uh, I asked Bobby Eaton about Darso. Uh, one day we were in a car going somewhere. We were talking about different guys. And I said, how'd you get along with Barry? He goes, I got along with him real good, which Bobby got along with everybody. He said, but I gave him $100 a month and he left. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Bo, you'll love this one. But then does an interview about talking about the title situation as well and called the Steiners the world tag champions, which they don't win on TV for another week. That be say, everybody. Landell's interview was incredible where he talked about like he was the kid on the sidelines in the milk commercial begging for the coach to put him in because he knows he can bust through that line. Which he is interesting. Very, very just. 
He was motivated. He wanted to work at this time, but they wouldn't do anything with him. So he got very discouraged. Well, let me add something from later to this. But then that was fired for apparently blowing snot on a hotel manager on the road. But he had been on double secret probation anyway, since this was more of the straw that broke the camel's back than a singular incident. Bobby Eaton was going to have a few with Landell, which will now be shifted to Terrence Taylor. Yeah, this is the time where Buddy is looking like he's going to be joining the York Foundation. And then he gets fired. Yeah. He wanted out. He was trying to get fired, and then finally they fired him. You think he, he just dusty? Um, yeah. Because when he comes in, when he comes in, when he, when he comes in, in 90, it's only that's the booker. Not Dusty. Buddy would talk about this time, and he would say they had him, they had uh, Ricky Morton, they had Terry Taylor, they had Bobby Eaton, they had Dutch Mantel, they had uh, a few others that they did absolutely nothing with. Tommy Rich, you know, some of the Ricky and Tommy got put with the York Foundation, which that helped them out a little bit, but. You know, Buddy was just there. Yeah, they had this weird, like, prelim wrestler nucleus of guys who had been much bigger stars than that. And, yeah. and they wanted them. They had. They wanted them to get the young guys over, like Z Man and Pillman and, and those guys. But they're not letting them. You know, they're beating them every night without getting any real heat or any kind of real program. Where if they would have put them in an actual program to where they were actually doing interviews about each other and, and that kind of stuff, it would have made it ten times better. But yeah. no, it's just go out there and put them over. And but like, this is that era of WCW where there's just stuff just it's like it's being thrown against the wall and see what'll stick on some of these yeah. things. Especially on the syndicated shows with the separate universe and all that. Uh, because D- Dusty Dusty's in there and he's he's got the crew that was there before he got there and now he's trying to integrate his crew in and it's just a mess. The best yeah. thing that Buddy did during this run was he was in the ring with the Freebirds. Oh god. And they yeah. were about the Southern Boys or maybe they were the Pistols by then I can't remember. But Tracy and Steve come out and <laughs> bounce the Freebirds around. And then Buddy rips his jacket off like, and he's beside them like he's ready to fight with them because he didn't want to get beat up. It, that was one of the best little deals they ever did, and then they did nothing with it. Yeah, Buddy was Buddy was great for what he he was able to do in this time period, but again, just that that booking change really killed his momentum. Yeah, yeah. he was a highlight whenever he got a chance to do anything, whether it was personality wise, you know. York with the York Foundation teases. They do stuff like have him grab Alexandra York's uh, computer and shake it like it was an etch a sketch. <laughs> or you know, in the ring though, like whenever he actually gets a chance, he is really delivering. You know that Pillman match Pillman had American some bash was yeah. really good. No, they just. I think Dusty had no faith in him or trust in him, but. Yeah, because he, he walked out I on mean, him twice. He, but he but puts his own really, worst enemy. And he'd tell you that. Yeah, he's, but, he knew. 
But he was motivated here and was really wanting to do something, and they didn't. Had a really good TV match with Rick Rogers, I think, on one of the syndicated shows. He had a match with Flair. I mean, let me ask you guys both this, though. And yeah, the Flair match was fun. Um, which was that part of running the gauntlet? Yes. Yeah. I don't always see that one listed online, but I don't think anyone actually has a complete list of all the running the gauntlets online. Um, what is the best use of Buddy Landell in a promotion with Ric Flair if they're not feuding with each other, though? Or a teasing feuding with each other? Mm. It's tricky, well, any, right? Anytime he was in yeah. the Flair, there was always that tease that they were going to feud with each other. But here, Buddy's a prelim guy. But he's still talking about Flair. And they do have the one match. He talks about Flair a lot on TV. Uh, Here's the thing about about that, too. Because I see this online a lot where they go, oh, he ripped Flair off. Oh, he stole Flair's deal. Oh, he this. Oh, he that. That was the gimmick. (laughs) That was the gimmick. And that's not a gimmick he came up with. Tom Ernesto gave him that in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Then they used it in Mid-South. Wait, with the Memphis? And Memphis. And in Dallas, Buddy went over and worked Fort Worth on a Monday night. Him and one of the Kaniskis worked with uh, Bobby and Tommy. Worked with the Fantastics. And Buddy was supposed to start in Dallas. And he comes back from the ring, and it was Flair was there to work with. And I think it was the night they had to do the my dog died, and I had a hundred and seven degree temperature. And Buddy comes back from the ring, and Flair takes him off to the side, and he's in Charlotte less than a month later. He got booked into Charlotte because of Flair, but then Flair tries to say whatever about him too. He was the nature boy. Because that's what every promoter he worked for told him to be. Except one. Ron Fuller made him beautiful, Buddy Landale. Yep, that is correct. Because he still had flair coming in, or thought he was going to. Yeah. But then yeah. Crockett didn't allow that to happen. It really is something, though, just how over the years, even like, you know, newsletter reading fans, everyone, like all over the place, how so few people like who would consider themselves, you know, quote unquote, smart fans did not get that that was the gimmick, that the gimmick was look at this motherfucker who thinks he's Ric Flair. Right. right. And that was Flair's gimmick at first, because look at this guy that thinks he's Buddy Rogers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you did nothing on TV or in the towns. Your gimmick, all that was controlled by the office. Period. Yep. So he's following orders. Oh, yeah. Doing what he's told. All right. Let's continue on. On the March 2nd episode of World Championship Wrestling, the last match of the show saw Sting team with El Gigante. During the match, Ric Flair and Barry Windham came to ringside. Higante left the ring and, of course, told Flair, I want the bet, which was followed by BW and Flair attacking him. Sting stood in the ring and was attacked by Flair. Sting rolled Flair into a fitting position. Eligante in the ring and counted the three. All right, well, let's watch uh, <laughs> I would Belt, shall we? ...have made the mistake of crossing the line in the horseman land. Be- 
Larry Wyndham, myself, Howard Anderson, Vicious, are in the very near future going to make a point of making sure these two guys stay out of the world title picture. That's what? right. Higante made a mistake by stepping into the ring. I want the belt. So what do you said. want? I want the belt. <laughs> Such a silly feud. Yeah. But uh, I, I guess they felt like they had to do it this, uh, because it was to justify him being worth that money. Because he was being paid whatever his NBA contract was, right? Yeah. yeah. Like he was moved from the Hawks to WCW within Turner. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine being a guy that's dedicated your whole life to the wrestling business, sitting in the dressing room, knowing that much money that guy's making. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want the belt. Yeah. All right. And uh, by the way, the Sting and Agate against Magnum Force never actually ended. <laughs> Sting no. and Flair was the end of that match, officially. Yeah, basically. All right, um, Stan with a torch. Nikita Koloff may already be one of the most over wrestlers in WCW. On the March 2nd World Championship Wrestling, there were aired an impressive video of Nikita working out with a Soviet flag in the background. Close up of Nikita's muscles and grinding teeth was back with him groaning. Shatoata. During Luger's interview um, with Ross on the show, the fans chanted Nikita, Nikita, Nikita. WCW could probably get Sting or Luger over big time if they produced a year for them like they did for Nikita. <laughs> was that a new video or is that one from Crockett in 85? No, it was a, new, was a new one new, where new version where he tears up, uh, he like rips up the Luger Galoob figure. It's a new version of the oh, old wow. idea, basically what it is, but yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, wait, now also what he was moaning, you say? I wonder if he was enjoying himself because, <laughs> after all, you know what he said about the Russian sickle. What it feel like when you hit your opponent with a Russian sickle? You know what it feel like. I take a word from this great Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's better than coming. That's what I make Nikita Korov feel like. Better than coming. Paruski. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's from then, the Danger Zone uh, home video. 
With the fake accent and everything. Well, it, it, especially in 1988, um, maybe some. But I bought that. I bought that video at uh, the matches in Johnson City. Now, did you get the calendar as well with it? Yeah. And what a terrible home video! That was. <laughs> it was such a weird choice that this is. For a full-price home video, the same price as all the pay-per-views and Crockett Cup and everything, it's like, what, an hour, five minutes, an hour, ten minutes of just yeah. clips, uh, just highlight videos set to the same generic music over and over with some exclusive generic promos mixed in. Yeah. And they were selling it cheap at the arenas. That's why I bought it. Uh-huh. Well, and they also had the uh, Dane men of the... Men of the Danger Zone swimsuit calendar. And Missy Hyatt. Men, yes, and, well, and one month was Missy Hyatt. Yes. And Precious was the one month. Oh, okay, they don't mention Precious in the commercials. That's interesting. No. The, well, it was during the Garvin Sullivan angle, so that's probably why. Uh, the Your Foundation currently consists of Bobby Eaton, Buddy Landell, and Terry Taylor. Bobby Eaton? At last Tuesday's tapings... Landell's fighting Zinc when Taylor interfered because Landell lose by DQ. Big Cat, who is now a big bubble light bodyguard for Miss York, along with Taylor and Landell, beat on Zinc until Eaton made the save. Eaton and Zinc cleared the ring and were standing back to back. They turned around, stared at each other, and did not shake hands before leaving. I think Wade's kind of a little confused but on, on Eaton's deal, but yeah, Eaton was not a member yeah. of the uh, York Foundation. But there you go. Saturday Night the Matches, or another name, would be replacing the name of the Saturday WCW show, a name which has turned into the name of the organization, World Championship Wrestling. This was badly needed, but it takes over a year for anything like this to happen for it to become WCW Saturday Night. Yeah. Saturday Night the Matches is too long of a name. Yes. That's a terrible name, too, unless they were like actually showing matches from arenas. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That It, like, it does kind of suggest... Something like that. It doesn't suggest a regular weekly wrestling show. Yeah. Um, yeah it's All just right, so how's... awkward, though. Like, just that for, you know, almost a year and a half. Yes, World Championship Wrestling presents World Championship Wrestling. Although I guess that's not a surprise from the promotion that had the tag team Minnesota Wrecking Crew 2 featuring Minnesota Wrecking Crew 2 number one and Minnesota Wrecking Crew 2 number two. Yeah, exactly. All right, Chattanooga on the 28th or 3000 as the Freebirds beat the Young Pistols, dusted over Touch Bantel, JYD over the Master Blaster, which would be Kevin Nash. As an individual uh, here would be Nash, yes. I think, yes. Yeah, yes. Tom Zink over Terry Taylor, Bobby Eaton over El Cubano, that's uh, Dave Sierra and Mass. Steiners over Barry Windham and Sid Vicious by DQ, Sting and Luke over Ron Simmons and Buddy Landell, horrible. When Simmons chased Teddy Long to the back, leaving Landell against both Sting and Luger, and he got pinned. And Flair pinned Elegante by, well, Flair beat Elegante by disqualification when Elegante didn't break the claw hole. Terrible finish. March 1st in Baltimore drew 4,500 as Landell beat Ricky Morton. 
Dustin Rhodes and Tim Horner beat Larry Zbysko and Dutch Mantel. Sid pinned Tommy Rich. Tom Zink over Bobby Eaton. Terrence Taylor oh, distracted Eaton. Barry Wyndham over Rod Simmons by pinning Butch Reed, who attacked Simmons. As if that makes any sense at all. Oh, I can think of a few people in that company it made sense to. <laughs> Big Josh over <laughs> El Cubano. Steiners of the Freebirds to keep tag U.S. tag titles, going to the exception that we aren't supposed to know that the Steiners are world champions and have given up the U.S. titles. What sense is it made for a supposed world champs to challenge for the U.S. belts? So, <laughs> yes, the Freebirds are still the world champions on television, and they're facing the Steiners in a U.S. tag title match on the house shows. Yeah. That'd be scary about it. Well, and not only have they already lost the titles to the Steiners at, ta- at center stage or was it center stage? Columbus. It was Columbus. Okay. But still at the tapings, those tapings took place before the Freebirds won the titles at WrestleWorld. Yes. So they had the first of two or three negative WCW tag team title reigns. Yes. Luger beats Dan Spivey and Flair was staying by DQ when Eligante as the referee was staying clothesline Pee Wee Anderson and Barry went through powder in Eligante's eyes. Waldorf, Maryland, on March 2nd, saw Big Josh of El Cabano, Dustin and Horner over Zbysko and Dutch, Morton over Landell, Sid over Rich, Luger over Spivey, Wyndham no contest read in a street fight when Simmons interfered, Stain P. Flair by DQ when Higante was the referee, when Wyndham and Landell interfered, and Steiners over Freebirds when Scott pinned Jimmy. Atlantic City, on March 3rd, drew 1,800 fans as Dustin, Morton, and Rich beat the Freebirds and Dutch. Taylor over Horner. It got to a flare by DQ and win them in a fear. Steiners over Sid and Pitbull Spike. While Big Josh pinned Pitbull Rex. <laughs> wow. Bear win them over Bobby Eaton. Not as good as it sounds on paper. And Sting and Luger over Reed and Zabisco when Simmons pinned a fear causing Reed to lose. Do you think that when they were looking for local substitutes, Larry Sharp was like, oh yeah, I have these two jacked up guys and they expected someone much taller than the Pitbulls? <laughs> if he's team wow. if uh wait spike is uh uh gary wolf right uh i think so yes yes so if, i i can't I, i'm trying to imagine what that image looks like of the two of them teaming together yeah oh and heart one man gang debut tv tapings of marcia marietta the status of Butch Reed still in question. He wasn't on the tapings, and an angle was done switching Ron Simmons' focus from Reed to Gang. However, he made all the shots over the weekend and was being advertised for mid-April shows. Now, the TV tapings for WCW Pro drew 1,300 fans as Owen debuted. and said it looked great with his moves, but the fans had no idea whether to cheer or boo him. So they didn't react in his first match. So they put him in a tag later in the show Ricky Morton to get the people an idea of what to do. There is talk that Owen and Brian Pillman will eventually become a tag team called Wings, but not right now. And well, they had no, they had just didn't have a clue of what to do with Owen. Nope. Not an idea. But it was a pretty smart move to put him with more and to let the fans know, okay, you're supposed to cheer this guy. Yeah. And he and Pillman, I think, team maybe once on TV in a little house shows, but I don't think they're ever actually called Wings, right? No. They started teaming, uh, heating up El Higante versus Sid. Dustin Rose issued a challenge to Stan Hansen. They'll do a program down the line. No, they won't. Owen Hart broke jobber Keith Hart's eardrum, no relation, with Insegiri. 
Wyndham beat Pillman in the great TV match. And after about Pillman kept jumping Wyndham and Wyndham beat Pillman up and left him laying three or four times. Pillman did a crossbody off the top rope outside the ring on the Wyndham, who was being interviewed by Larry Zbysko, and then Wyndham beat him up again. During the Ron Simmons squash, Kevin Sullivan, Teddy Long, and the one-man gang all attacked Simmons, and gang gave him a 747 splash. Alexander York said Taylor would pin Eaton in less than 515, but Eaton lasted the time. So Taylor hit Eaton with the computer, and he juiced. Zayn then went and got the computer tried to steal it, but Mr. Hughes leveled him with a clothesline. One surprise on TV was the Royal Family, Jacko and Ripper, beating uh, Brad Arshaw and Tim Horner. Freebirds beat up Young Pistols on TV, complete with Big Daddy Dean, giving some others a pile driver. <laughs> and during a sit squash, Higante came out followed by Flair and Wyndham, and Sting and Pillman then won the shows. Dark match saw Sting, Higante, and Luger beat Flair, Wyndham, and Zabisco, and Higante used to call on Zabisco in a three-and-a-half-star match. Hmm. So, so, oh, go ahead. I was going to ask Bo. <laughs> I wonder how Tracy felt taking a pile driver from Sir Oliver Humperdinghe. <laughs> I'm sure he was fine with it until he was riding down the road thinking about it, and he starts punching the radio and the dashboard and <laughs> yelling, they're trying to kill us all. Yeah, because they're not Southern boys no more. They're young pistols and... From Wyoming. Yeah. Um, I pulled up Cage Match to see how many times Pillman and Owen teamed in WCW. They have three listed. One is during our week in a show you did not include in Greenville. Yeah, I didn't include every house show, no. Yeah, where Paul McCartney and Wings defeated uh, the fabulous Freebirds of Garvin and Hayes. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, I mean, just, again, WCW, just no organization no. at all. You know, and Dusty's probably, you know, Hurd's probably trying to control Dusty. We know that. And that should probably had an effect on Dusty in this early stage of his booking. Yeah, he's only just come back a few weeks earlier. Because Hurd wants a version of the WWF, you know, as we, we talked about before on the show and who better to have do that than the guy who was just in the WWF. But yeah, WCW is just a weird thing here. Fun on television, but just weird. Lots of weirdness. As we continue, Arn Anderson's injury is actually a torn groin around the pool. He's still out of action. They're hoping that he'll be back by this coming weekend. If not, he'll be out of the Tokyo dump car. Well, he worked it. Yes. I guess it was not a groin tear the likes of which you've never seen. <laughs> yeah. That's Dave. the second, second one. He had one of those when he was working for Fuller in Pensacola. Yep. Dave said, and you move, need to move tapings away from Atlanta, Marion, and Gainesville because the crowds don't react, and that fake sound, the way it's been used of late, is worse than no sound. Titan faced the same problem when they did TV out of all the TV out of Poughkeepsie and had to move it around. You know, there are many valid reasons, economic and familiarity among them for keeping them in Atlanta. The dead crowds making the wrestlers seem less important. They means they seem asleep for even the good matches like Eaton and Taylor. And even a flare at times, which makes the champ look real bad on television. <sighs> then they move the tapings to Knoxville. Well, the first couple of ta- tapings, Real hot, but by that third or fourth taping, it's like, oh gosh. They needed to come up with a list of cities and run them on a loop 
of tapings. Yep. 91 is a complete disaster when it comes to TV tapings because, I mean, there, there are shows trying to track down dates for, for TV that you don't know. I mean, you have no idea. You have to try and figure out the look of the building to where, where, where it's being taped at because there's no, resu- no real results on a lot of them. I mean, it's, it's hard to figure out sometimes in dating these shows of when these shows took place. They had, you know, Chattanooga, Knoxville, Nashville, Birmingham, uh, Dothan. I mean, all those towns were not far from Atlanta. Well, they could have easily did TV Montgomery. And then you had the Carolina side of things, you know. I mean, Anderson, South Carolina, they taped a lot at. I, I mean, there are places to go, but they just wanted to stay closer to home more often in this era. And they were probably getting a really good deal on the buildings, using them regularly on Monday and Tuesday nights. Yeah. Yeah. And then in 92 is when they start like, well, 91 they do too. They start taping in fucking like Kansas, (laughs) in in Missouri, and they start going to some different places. Being at some of those TVs, though, were hard because, I mean, they... They were long. Yeah. 20 matches sometimes. Five, six-hour tapings. Not, not good. On a school night, especially. Especially. All right. TV ratings for March 2nd. So WCW did a 2.8. Power Hour 2.0. The best in their time, in that slot. And Main Event did a 3.2 on Sunday. Black Bart's Power coming Power Hour uh, Saturdays at 9 a.m.? Saturday in the morning, yes. Black Bart's coming in full-time in April. Yeah, I'll say he is. Yeah, he needs Stan Hansen. Yep. Kevin Sullivan will be managing Black Blood in a one-man gang. Blood will be a mass wrestler. Dave's heard talk. He'll be either Kevin Nash, who will be given a new role. He's the big master blaster one way or the other, or big Billy Jack Haynes. And Matt Watch chimes in. One-man gang will be associated for the part of Butchery and a program as Ron Simmons. And we're told gang will come out of it looking good. Well, not really. Imagine how different everything is if Kevin Nash is given the Black Blood gimmick instead of Oz. Probably not that much different. Oh, yeah, it would be. Because Nash, even to this day, people will make fun of the Oz gimmick. You know? And the thing was when he was Vinny Vegas, was like, hey, that's all, there's Oz, you know? And mm. a, a, a new character. But if he's under the hood as Black mm. Blood... You know, under a mask, you don't see who it is. So, yeah. But again, this is Jim Hur and his silly gimmicks. So, yes. And Black Blood, though, of all people, ends up having a prototype made for a potential action figure, which I'm guessing part of the reason is that he's one of Jim Hur's silly gimmicks. And you also could have accessories. The axe. You know? Yes. Yeah. Stay with Matt Watch. Yeah, who, who, who giving Billy Jack Haynes a double-edged sack, uh, axe was a good <laughs> idea? Especially what we will later find out. <laughs> I mean, wasn't what we knew then? Bad. But he had problems. But he was a night considered a nice guy, right? He was considered a crazy, weird, nice guy. <laughs> Somebody you didn't want to fuck with. Yeah. Basically. 
right. Stand with Matt Watch. Turner Home Entertainment Vice President Sharon Sadello tells us that Turner Home Entertainment is backing off original plans for our June and August meeting pay-per-view and was shooting stuff for September. Sadello tells us that September's show will be different concept, but won't yet tell us what. And that doesn't happen. No. We don't get any mini pay-per-views. No, we get one. What? Japan Super Show. That was in June? No, I'm just saying not in that in the not in that time frame, but we get a mini pay-per-view. That's what I'm saying. That's not June or September. June or August or September or whatever. Yeah. So I mean it goes as far as the live pay-per-views, it's Wrestle War Super Brawl. Is there any uh, Bash Havoc Starcade, right? Yeah, yeah. And now to go to a story we talked about earlier. Mid-South Coliseum officials are negotiating World Championship Wrestling to become the prime ring tenant for the building. With Jerry Jarrett's USWA Wrestling leaving the Coliseum after a dispute with building managers, MSC is attempting to fill 50 annual dates. Coliseum manager Beth Wade is attempting to get a monthly commitment from WCW. The Atlanta-based group may not be able to fulfill the 12 dates. And there ends up being no dates, like we talked about earlier. Yes. Um, by the way, something that just hit me. Some of the quirks of Steve Beverly's writing style, I realize what they are. He's trying to write like a Hollywood trade publication, like Variety. Like, when we've read stuff from Variety in this era on these shows, like, it's full of, like, jargon and weird abbreviations and stuff. And I think that's what he's trying to do, right? The prime ring tenant. Yes. It's been reporting gossip columns and a few newspapers and entertainment television shows that Jason Hervey and, and Missy Hyde are engaged. No confirmation from here, although it is the single most talked about thing in the wrestling business. Let's flash forward to the next week. To clarify something, no matter what you may have read or what has been reported, Missy Hyatt and Jason Hervey are not engaged. <laughs> and the Observer is not the only place this was mentioned. Torch. Torch did a, 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 and Matt Watch both. Yes. Um, let's fast forward a year to Matt Watch, the final chapter, the 1991 annual. Um... This is this comes up in passing on the new Patreon show because Steve brings it up in '94 as well. But uh, he had a run-in with Missy over this story, uh, so I'll just—it's only a little bit before it gets to the meat of it. So I'll just read the whole passage here. Unless memory fails me, I have probably watched The Wonder Years twice. Nothing against the show; it's just not a comedy which has struck a chord with me. When Jason Hervey appeared as a special guest on the first class of the champions, I didn't even know who he was. Ken Osmond as Eddie Haskell was a far bigger celebrity to me. If I have something in common with Hervey, I suppose it's that we're both wrestling fans. That may be about all. I'll never forget how he was nearly booed out of the place at the Philadelphia Civic Center during the first Halloween Havoc when he was used as a ring announcer during a match. Then and there, Jeff Carr at TBS decided after three shots that was the last time he wanted him on any TBS wrestling program. Jason calls often. He always wants to be on, Carr told me, but I think we've seen him enough. Most hardcore fans agreed. I'll be quite honest. When I first heard Missy and Jason were an item, I laughed. And I wasn't the only one who did. You should have heard Jim Hurd. Between guffaws, he said, Oh, everybody knows that thing's going nowhere. Of course, Jim's public relations chief, Barry Norman, had been confirming reports from E! The Entertainment Channel and WXIA-TV, among several sources, that the Harvey, Hi Harvey, Harvey Hyatt pair were, was engaged. 
It had been an item on Atlanta Channel 11's Noonday Entertainment News. Both Atlanta newspapers had reported it, and a 24-hour cable network featured the story. But when I quoted all of those sources, Missy vented her anger at me. My telephone answering machine had been on the fritz, more on that device later, so I had temporarily replaced it with an old one, which would only allow a one-minute message. I returned from some work at my TV station on a Saturday afternoon. On the line were three blanks. One was a message from Missy, and two were from Jason. The following is a transcript of Missy's message. It was so rich, I saved the tape. I just read what you wrote about me and Jason and Matt Watch. I just want to tell you, it's not true. You've always been against me. You've never liked me, and I don't like you either. You may think this is all real funny, but I don't. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in Monday morning and tell Mr. Hurd I think he needs to get you off the hotline. And I'm going to get you fired. And if you think that's not enough, just wait until Jason gets a hold of you. He's mad about this, too. And he can take care of you. I'm tired of you. Just wait till I talk to Mr. Hurd. I'll... <laughs> I don't know what else Missy was going to do. The message ran out and she never called back. Nor did she leave a number for me to offer a, a rebuttal. Not that I would have. I had better things to do with my time. All I know is, is she told a mutual friend... Oh, I wonder who! Uh, much uh, the same intention concerning me. I related the store to her, and he just laughed. He didn't laugh often, but when he did, it was a belly laugh. The next message was from Jason. As was the third. Yes, I saved that tape too. Just for an occasion such as this. Here is what the TV brother of Fred Savage had to say. Hmm. An interesting, maybe even a clever, outgoing message. You know, you sound like such a nice guy. It's hard to believe you would do what you've done. But let me tell you something. You have no right to write anything about me in your little publication. I mean, ever. Look, Missy and I are simply boyfriend and girlfriend. That's all. Nothing more. And it's nobody else's business. People in Hollywood don't take very well to people like you poking their nose into their business. I happen to be an actor. I'm not a wrestler. I'm not one of those steroid... Excuse me, I'm not one of these steroid freaks. So don't you ever, ever... To finish what I was saying, don't you ever, ever write another thing about me again in your newsletter. What is it? What does he call it? Matt Watch? By the way, what is that TV station you work for in Jackson? WBBJ? You know, I work for ABC... And Bob Iger and Brandon Stoddard are both very good friends of mine. And I'd hate for them to call up your station and your manager and have them say they think he ought to get rid of his news director. I'd hate that for your family. But you keep it up, and I'm warning you, it could happen. Beep! Obviously, Jason couldn't think of any more entertainment figures with whom to threaten me. So he didn't call back a third time. Yes, WBBJ is an ABC affiliate, but it's been more than a year, and I haven't had a call from Brandon or Bob, and neither has my general manager, Tommy Spain. Some people at WBBJ who work with me got a good laugh out of the tape when they heard it, however. I wonder how many pro wrestlers would get an equal charge out of being labeled steroid freaks. Some are, but they jealously defend themselves against that, tra that trademark. I've had people tell me Hervey 
has expressed equal expressed interest in wrestling under a mask for a nationally televised organization as the Wonder Boy. But so far, there hasn't been a line of traffic to sign him up. Jason Hervey has probably made more money in the last five years than I have in a lifetime. And I wish him well in his future acting career and with his intended, if that is what she is. They deserve each other. I must have struck a nerve to draw a telephone threat from a 19-year-old TV series regular. I'm flattered. <laughs> but Lord, little, the... Brooke would... little Brooke would have killed him. <laughs> oh, man. Good Lord. Thoughts? Somebody... <laughs> that, that's definitely somebody that's gotten to. I don't get why they were so pissed at Steve Beverly in particular, though. Because Missy hates Steve Beverly, and she got Jason riled up. But even then, it's... <clears throat> he wrote about it because it was in all these mainstream media. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's Steve Beverly. You know? It's like people get pissed off at you because they hate you. Oh. Because it's, I mean, it's stuff that other people do, but they get pissed off at you because they hate you. Oh, there's people listening to this show right now just because they hate me waiting on me to say something. <laughs> yeah. All right, back to Dave. I hope they stop this canned crowd noise during the TBS shows. Here's stuff about that again. I've heard the term sound sweetening, but this is sound souring. The noise makes it impossible to get excited even during the good matches because tape track, they use the constant dull roar rather than the ups and downs that get you into the high and low spots of a match. I mean... Folks give WWF and WWE shit for years doing this, but WCW did it, and they were they were worse doing it than WWF ever was. They had this one very generic track, and they they'd always use it like when there was no one like visibly doing anything, too. Yes, yeah, they're sitting there asleep, and you hear the roar. Yeah, I mean so... the worst ever. The worst ever was Roy Shire, though playing the arena crowd noise track in the studio. He wasn't the only one that did that. Who else did that? Um, I'm trying to see. Was it... I don't know if... I'm trying to remember if Detroit did that. Uh, there was, there was a, another t- another territory back then that did stuff like that. Did that coming back from break? Who? Detroit. They were coming back from break. Yeah. They would have arena sound, and they'd be twelve people sitting in that little studio. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those those were the kind that were just noticeable, regardless of how you were watching it. You know, like the WWF stuff was only really bad. Like you know, when we watched stuff back on Saturday Night's Main Event, and it's on headphones or whatever. You know, um, and then of course, you know, in later and more recent years. You know, there's the SmackDown uh, seagull slash hairdryer that uh, became very noticeable because it was always the same. Eddie Long said, no, no player. There's somebody that you haven't defeated, and that's The Undertaker. Three men who've all beaten King Booker in the past. Bobby Lashley holds a victory over you. And also, Batista... You get the idea. Yeah. All right. And let's close this out. Back to the torch. After the LA police beating up the black speeder after a high speed chase, 
Should fans now expect the State Patrol to get a new push if even Ron Simmons and Junkyard Dog after beating them with their nightsticks? Thanks, Wade. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming this has just happened that he's calling him the Black Speeder and not yes. Rodney King. Yes. Yeah, but that, yeah. Um, I mean, this is... It's one of those things he shouldn't say, but it's also you're, he's saying it because of expectations. Mark Sturd. Mark, 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 Mark Sturd. Oh, it happens in our week. In yeah. our week. <laughs> yeah. Well, wait, the, the actual incident or the video coming out? Mark Sturd was when it happened. And then when does the video surface on the news? Uh, it, right, a, right after that. It was right away? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a sto- a big story right after it happened. But yeah, the beating was March third. Oh, uh, okay. I have Wikipedia up. Two days later, on the fifth, uh, George Hall- Holiday called LEPD headquarters at Parker Center to let the police department know he had a videotape of the incident. Could not find anyone interested in seeing it, so he went to KTLA. Um, you know, instant media sensation. Blah 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 blah. So yeah. Good lord! Uh, it's honestly knowing how wrestling still was back then. It is kind of amazing that there was no real attempt to try to exploit the Rodney King stuff. Yeah, but I think Bo that may have been going a little too close <laughs> to having some issues. You know what I'm saying? If they try, if somebody tried that, yeah, yeah, too close to the sun. Yes, but I mean there was the thing where. One of the newsletters thought that the way they staged the photos of the of boss man's bruises after nails attacked him with the nightstick was supposed to look like Rodney King. I don't know. Maybe I don't remember how we. I, I know we covered the week where they talked about that. I just don't remember if we came to any conclusions. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's possible. We we've already covered how much heat the war got. Yeah, and using the using. Imagine how much. Mainstream oh, backlash boy. that. Oh yeah, especially a year later if they're trying to do it during like the 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 riots and stuff. Oof, oh, that yeah. would not have been good. Yeah. Um. Okay. I pulled up some of the photos. I get it, whether I don't remember if it was Dave or Steve or well, no, it wouldn't have been Steve because he wasn't doing Matt Watch at the time. Um, Dave or Wade. I can see what they're talking about. If you look at the Rodney King photos that were shown of how he looked after the beating, I can see it. I don't think it was necessarily deliberate, but I can see where someone would think that. Yeah. All right, Bo. It's it's, uh, plug time, so uh, go ahead and plug away, my man. What you got going on? Follow me on Twitter or X or whatever they call it now. King of Kingsport. Instagram's King of King Sport, Facebook Pro Wrestler Bo James. Also follow Southern States Wrestling on Facebook, X, and Instagram. It's SSW Wrestling One. Uh, we're producing two weekly programs on our YouTube channel right now, Legacy, which has been going on for over a year now. We just started a program called SSW Retro, where I go back and show you classic matches. So we've got 33 years of footage to show. So I don't think I'll have any trouble running out of the footage <laughs> no. and not having something to play. So, um, uh, the retro shows, I've got a lot of nice emails and comments and direct messages on how much people have liked us doing that. Uh, 
I just put up in January a couple of TVs that we shot that never aired early on that were our test run of doing TV when we first started doing it in January of 99. So you can go check those out and check out Legacy. It drops every Saturday. That's our weekly current program. So you can see the young kids that are working for me and I'm real happy and proud with them. And they're working hard and they're getting to do interviews and they get to be in programs and they're getting experience. So hopefully that, uh, you know, they can get tryouts somewhere. And I've already had one have a tryout some uh, with a big promotion and I've got two more got tryouts coming up here soon. So we're doing a lot. And uh, I will be in Iowa this July for the Hall of Fame. Oh. See how get see how his award. See Dr. Tom get his award. So anybody that will be there, come by and say hey to me. Uh, What's Tom getting? I think Al and I will. He's getting the Vergonia Award. Yeah, the Trainer Award. Um, so I'm excited for both of them. Happy for them. Happy to be there. And uh, looking forward to it. I've only been to Iowa in the winter time. I've never been in the summer. Um, so I'm I've heard go. it's not very pleasant in the summer either. <laughs> kind of swamp. Uh, so, yeah, but I'm I'm planning on going to the Hall of Fame and going to the Field of Dreams. Oh so, yeah, I, yeah. So I looked it up. It's not too awful far away from each other. So I'm looking forward to that. And on all my other stuff, I'll uh, be updating you on where I got coming up. The last Saturday of every month, we're at the Armed Forces Reserve Center, 399 Highway 11W, just outside of Kingsport in a little suburb called Mount Carmel. We're just one mile west of the city. Great building. We had it packed out this past Saturday. We're there the last Saturday of every month. We'll be back in Middle Tennessee with some fairs this summer. So it's things are getting busy. And uh my Patreon, patreon.com slash King of King Sports. I got my podcast on there. I just did a mailbag episode. And uh, in December, I went back and looked at some events I was at in years past. And I'm always looking forward to seeing the feedback from those and from my patrons and getting questions for the mailbags and that kind of stuff. It's always fun to interact with people. And everywhere I seem to go, I meet people that listen to this program here. So anywhere you see me, come see me. If you see I'm coming to your town, come see me. Come introduce yourself. I'll be at the merchandise table. And, you know, last year I, I had a guy drive from New Jersey to West Virginia to meet me who listens to us here all the time. So that was a big surprise. You never know who I'll see where. And it's always nice to meet people that enjoy what we do here. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, good deals. Everybody uh, check out Bo and all of his, uh, things he's got going on. All right. Next week on between the sheets, we go to 1996 hmm. where we'll talk about, uh, Rick Rue making his first public appearance. since his testimony in the Vince McMahon steroid trial. And it's with the WWF. So I have news on that. Plus, we have a uh, live Monday Night Raw to talk about, some TV tapings, and uh, talent coming and going in WF. 
So we'll have news on that. We got a uh, USWA starting their feud with uh, Burt Prentice's North American Wrestling Federation. So have news on that. Plus, Yoshi Kwan comes to Memphis. <laughs> so we'll talk about that and all kind of other independent stuff. In Mexico, we got uh, AAA running some TV stuff. Uh, not a lot, whole lot going on in Mexico during our week, but we got a lot going on in Japan as uh, Joshi shows run all over Cork and Hall, so we'll talk about that. We got um, New Japan starting their new tour featuring WCW talent, so we'll talk about that. And um, regarding WCW, we'll have uh, an update on Antonio Noki's show he's working on in Los Angeles. Um, the National Enquirer is uh, running a story on Vince McMahon challenging Ted Turner to a wrestling match. We got uh, Eric Bischoff doing a prodigy chat with Bob Ryder. Always a good time. We got certain night TV tapings to talk about. Nitro to talk about featuring Brian Pillman showing up out of nowhere. Ric Flair gets arrested for being a passenger in a DWI. Plus, uh, we have Jivey Bad quitting World Championship Wrestling and why that's going on. But the big news in our week is an Extreme Championship Wrestling as Dave Meltzer attends ECW shows in Queens and Philadelphia. The big-ass Extreme Bash. Which is also the farewell uh, for Mick Foley in ECW. Exactly, exactly. So there is a lot on the ECW section next week is... As long as it's been in a long time, because Dave gets full rundowns, it's almost half the show. So, do we have so a guest that, for that reason? No. So next week, uh, a lot of heavy ECW talk on between the sheets. All right, you can follow me at Chris Elner, KRSD. Why am I doing the halftime plug here? I'm, I'm doing the halftime plug. <laughs> I think I'm doing halftime. <laughs> Social media, that's, we'll, we'll talk about that at halftime. All right, so, Bo, thanks as always for joining thanks us. Thanks for having me. Bix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris Ann, so long from the Peach State of Georgia.